Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of A Hitchhiker's Guide to Truth. I'm your host, James Cordner, and today is July 29th, 2023. Uh, I'm excited for tonight's show. A brand new guest who's never been on before. Been trying to get this going for a minute, but we'll get to him in a minute. Uh, so, as usual, I'm not going to pull it up tonight because I just don't have it pulled up. But I do still want to mention that the Seed uh, 5 conference, Metamorphosis, Seed 5, is going on this September 23rd and 24th. It's going to be a great, great conference. Go to seedtruth.com to learn more about that. Uh, in fact, my guest tonight is a, a fellow uh, presenter at that conference later this year. And then we're streaming live on the One Great Work Network. Go to onegreatworknetwork.com. Fantastic platform, over 70 content creators on that platform, an amazing team making sure that that website stays up and running. Um, and then, so just go over there, check it out, go through the list of creators and find one that you relate with. You know, it might take some time, but you'll get there. Um, other than that, I just want to, you know, as I've been trying to get into the habit of preparing like a little monologue before I bring in the guest. Uh, so this week, I just want to kind of talk about this for just a moment. You know, we're all familiar with this, with this, you know, kind of quote that's attributed to a couple of different people. One of them is, I believe, the Buddha. Uh, another person that used to say this a lot is Mark Passio, that there are only two mistakes that one can make on the path to truth. One is not starting and the other is not going all the way. Um, here on A Hitchhiker's Guide to Truth, we don't take you all the way. We just take you a little further down the road. Uh, you know, the funny thing about hitchhikers is that they actually, uh, they rely on others to get them a little further toward their destination. Okay. You don't, we don't always bring you all the way here, but we'll certainly bring you a little further down the path. So, uh, and we do that. You know, because everyone needs a little bit of help. We do that, that we, we do that in the, well, I don't know why I'm saying we, but I do that and my guests help. So I guess that's why I'm saying we, but the reason why that's done that way is because everybody goes down this path kind of in their own way at their own pace. It can be very overwhelming. And sometimes you run into hurdles. Sometimes you run into little roadblocks where you want to stop, but you, you need to keep going, right? You don't want to be a tent pitcher. But always just remember that if you're working at your own pace, if you're giving yourself, if you're showing yourself patience, then you're going to ultimately succeed. That might just be my opinion, but that seems to be working out for a lot of different people that I've talked to. It's certainly working out for me. I can, I can share my own experience about that. So keep that in mind as you're, as you're perusing, as you're going through this sea of, uh, the sea of truth. As your eyes are being wide, wide opened, and you know, it can be overwhelming, but you got to push forward because it's just the right thing to do. And so, yeah, um, just like the book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, right? And I was actually talking to my guest tonight about this just a minute ago before we started, but just like that book, uh, the main character of the book, Arthur, has on him the namesake of the book. So he has the actual hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy on him. And as he's going through his travels, he's uh, running into problems. So he takes out this book, the hitchhiker's guide to 
the galaxy and he searches for solutions to whichever problem he's facing. That's sort of the, that's sort of the, uh, the model in which I've, I've endeavored to, uh, adopt here for this program is every now and again, you run into an issue when you're traveling down the path to truth. And maybe you can come over here to a hitchhiker's guide to truth. And, and, uh, maybe just maybe you find an answer or two. Um, it's been tough, you know, producing, producing, you know, the alternative media is, is kind of a tough thing to do. There's a lot of, uh, hurdles to jump over. There's a lot of censorship. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of burying, you know, algorithmically, algorithmic burying that goes on with people like myself. So this is why it's very important for everyone that listens or watches any alternative media. We have to fight these algorithms. And as far as I know, one of the best ways to do that is to simply just give the, give the shows a thumbs up wherever, whatever platform you're on, you know, give it a like, you know, give it a subscribe, give it a, give it a share. You know, this is how we combat these algorithms the best way we can. I have prepared tonight, whether my guest wants to stick around or not, I have prepared tonight some uh, articles and, and whatnot to kind of show you guys out there a little bit more about just what I mean by, you know, some of the censorship that goes on. So, and some more about producing your own media. But without any further ado, let me bring in my guest tonight, Mr. Corey Andrulat, and uh, and we can get this party started. So, Corey, how are you, man? Thank you for being here. It's the first time that we've actually like done an official, you know, broadcast together. I'm excited to to finally have you here. So, why don't you introduce your? Well, I've already introduced you, but why don't you tell us a little <laughs> bit about yourself and what you do and and how you do that and your inspiration? I like asking that. I think first. Awesome. Yeah, I'm glad to collaborate with you too. It's been a hot minute since I think we've been in touch and trying to create something. Uh, I know that I want to try to bring as many people together with a lot of the projects that I start up. So for anybody who's freedom, truth oriented out there, um, I definitely have resources for you. And we definitely are in a very unique community online, um, I would say. Uh, you and I being in the One Great Work Network, connected to people like Mark Passio, Larkin Rose, the majority of independent media doesn't know who they are. Nonetheless, mainstream media. <laughs> but these ideas are growing very fast because of how powerful they are for individuals. I think your cat also wanted to say hi to me, so it came out. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, my inspiration primarily has to be the truth itself, uh, which means that I don't have a limit as to what I should say or what I can't say. I will say whatever I want to say <laughs> based on whatever the truth needs to be expressed. And so um, I don't have a filter in that regards, although I don't curse or although I don't may express myself in certain ways that some people may expect. Uh, I am just myself. And that is my inspiration is being who we are meant to be ourselves. My message and my channel is called nature is the answer. That's what it means. I wrote a book about this in another perspective, talking about it through the lens of honesty. All it is is radical honesty, being honest with yourself, with others, to the world around you. And you will create results based around truth, not lies or deception. But getting past all the lies and deceptions requires sitting back, being able to take the step back and see 
what were you indoctrinated in your entire life? And that can really challenge a lot of people's current belief systems into cognitive dissonance, where they get very defensive and they're like, well, I'm afraid of challenging my own worldviews. But how else will you innovate unless you do challenge your own worldviews? So my inspiration is seeing those people who are now free after years of indoctrination. People like yourself or myself or others, I interviewed over 50 in the End of Slavery Summit, hearing their stories was amazing. Just hearing their personal experiences, regardless of the rest of the interview or anything else they had to share, hearing just about their own journey. Because some of these people were like cops for 40, 50 years or doctors 40, 50 years in their field of profession, finding out, oh, shoot, all this time I was indoctrinated into a belief system I never knew I had all my life. And it was contributing to all these problems I never thought were problems, at least in the way now that I see them. There are problems that are so evident that contribute to so many other problems. And so we're trying to really nail down on what those problems are and seeing the light and seeing the beauty that is the human individual expressing themselves, finding themselves. That is, and it has to be very inspiring for me. So I have to say that's my other inspiration. And then my third inspiration is things I naturally come into. For instance, abolitionism. A lot of people interview me. They say, hey, Corey, I want to hear about your abolitionist worldview. What does it mean to be an abolitionist? Because I call myself that, even though I'm just a human being. <laughs> but I came across those works in the 1800s. I found them super inspiring. Why? Because the individuals in the 1800s that called themselves abolitionists, they actually created freedom. And they did so without politics. And they did so with educating the public. And they did so without technology like we have now. <laughs> They did so with the with the invent, the literal invent with the printing press. The printing press gave them the ability to spread their message far and wide. They used that to their advantage. They used their voices. They went against the media at the time. The media would blame them, saying, look at these abolitionists causing these revolts, causing these fires in cities. Look at them. They're no governmentists, is what the media called them to attack them. They would call them anarchists at other times. Just to try to say, look, these people, they're unorderly. They're going to create chaos for wanting to free slaves. They use that as a moral justification to say, let's not pay attention to the obvious slavery that's right in front of our faces. <laughs> and now we have a slavery that is less obvious, but it's still right in front of our faces if we want to look at it. And many people just don't want to look at it. So our job is to continually remind people of this is what it is, guys. This is reality. You have to face it. This is the reality we currently are in. It's not the real reality. The real reality is beyond this man-made illusion of a system of slavery. Because slavery is what the man-made systems created. But getting past those systems is freedom. And that is so eye-opening. That's why the abolitionists were singing songs. They were singing songs with the slaves on the plantations who were singing songs so they can become free and express their freedom, bring it to the world. Started their newspapers in every single state, started their news, their meetings, anti-slavery meetings. And we're basically doing the same exact thing nowadays for creating freedom. Despite all the censorship that happened then, same thing, there's censorship now. Despite all the attacks that happened then, same thing, there's attacks now. It's all just history being repeated, but we're moving toward more moral evolution. If we choose to do so, it requires more individuals. And one individual can make a huge impact but then two individuals can make double that impact. So uh, that's that's why I don't care if I can just change one person or influence one person, better word to say, because that can make a huge difference in this world, especially among millions who are shutting off their brain, that one person who has their brain on will outdo 
several 10 to 100 of the ones who don't have their brain on. That one individual who has a passion, who is driven on their cause, regardless of all the people who are following that one cause, they will be the one to take it all the way to their end because they have a cause with them that they take to their heart, unlike all the others who don't have a heart and are willing to give it up. So that's what inspires me. It's the individuals who are still individuals. <laughs> yeah, you might reach that one, you know, you might only reach one person, but the one person, uh, the one person that you reach is the person that has the ability to reach a million people, you know? That's, exactly. It's, it's very, that's why it's so important that when you've come to a, a decent level of understanding of what it really takes to, you know, attain and maintain a state of or condition of freedom, that it's important that you speak up about it. This is what has hit, this is what has been proven through history, like you're mentioning, you know, and this is why having the ability to produce a type of a type of content, whether it be in the modern day, or even if you want to revert back to some of the more traditional ways of the print uh, method or model, then of course, do do it all, right? Exactly. Because, because it's these different medium that are going to be able to reach the most amount of people. Not everybody likes a podcast or, or a video, a, a vlog. Some people prefer a blog, which is like even, you know, Douglas Martin, he enjoys uh, transcribing certain podcasts that he finds interesting to get it onto a platform of text because, it pro because some people process the information better that way. And right. then they can go back and read it again. Instead of having to, you know, of course you can watch this again, there's replays, but it's very important to have a wide range of different medium to uh, provide people in order to get the proper exposure. Because like I said, and I, I hate repeating myself, not everybody wants to watch a couple of knuckleheads like us have a chat. They'd rather read a book, you know? Sure. So, and there was another thing that I wanted to mention to you that that um, that I, that got brought to mind through what you were saying is, you know, being your true authentic self is the best the best policy. I was having a conversation a couple of weeks ago with a with a friend of mine, and she was traveling over to the she was traveling over to uh, visit with someone else who invited her and she was a little nervous. She was like, Oh man, what if they don't want me there? And I just was just like, Hey, you got this. Remember they invited you, which means they see something in you. They want you around. So just be yourself and everything's going to be cool. And it's just like, this is, this is a very important thing that a lot of people like, I don't know. I think that it's a decent thing to want to please people, right? Mm -hmm. Because in a way, if you're doing it, if you're doing it in a healthy way, that means that you're, you know, oh, I don't want to harm them. I don't want to, you know, tread on their rights. I'd rather please, I'd rather help them. I'd rather, you know, get them, you know, what they need. Hopefully if they're also gonna, you know, hopefully they'll reciprocate or whatever. So, you know, it's not a bad thing to be a people pleaser, but you got to be able to stand up for yourself. You know what I mean? You got to be able to stick to your values and stick to the principles and everything and not sacrifice those things for what somebody else may need. So, yes. and in fact, I don't think that a sacrifice of the principle of your principles and values will take place at all. If you are being your true authentic self, you will find yourself um, 
you will find yourself surrounded with people that are also resonating on that frequency. So there won't need to be any sort of sacrifice of moral principles or values because you'll all be working on that same frequency together. So, and that would be like the golden rule kind of into place, you know, Um, something that intrigues me about you is your, your work ethic and your ability to, you know, your persistence and your stamina um, your end of slavery summit. Uh, I was very impressed with that, man. Good, good work. Thank Seriously. Like, yeah. and, and, uh, thanks to all the speakers, <laughs> uh, you know, and now you're doing now, oh man, did you, am I behind the times or is the liberator Two a new project that yes. comes after the, mm-hmm. your completion of the end slavery summit, then you right. launch the liberator Two, like, Let's talk about that. What um, what what the heck is the Liberator Two, my man? Yeah. So the End of Slavery Summit happened in late 2022. It was planned uh, mid 2022, and I said, "All right, let's make the biggest event I possibly can make um, <laughs> with interviews based on summits," which is uh, an idea that I've had for a while because I've um, I've always throughout my health journey, researching health and being a health coach would listen to many health summits. So I was like, all right, I'm going to start a summit, but for the truth of like natural law, morality, all this stuff that we talked about, right? And consciousness and ownership and really nail it down through slavery and and see where all the perspectives come into play with this powerful title, the end of slavery summit. That way, anytime you look up the end of slavery or the end of slavery summit, it's like, sorry, guys, it hasn't really ended. Uh, But if you want to end it, we're going to show you the full way. Like you started in the show, you said, not just starting the path, but going the whole way. Yeah. If we say slavery is wrong, that means slavery is wrong. Doesn't mean, oh, well, slavery is right in this scenario. Oh, well, violence is right in this scenario. It's like, no, it goes against the nature and the nature of ownership it violates the individual. And if you're willing to violate the individual, what about yourself? You're an individual, no. (laughs) It's like, you're willing, if we want to apply the golden rule to this, it's reciprocal, like you said. We should respect others as we would respect ourselves. And if we wouldn't respect ourselves, gosh, well, we're not giving ourselves great value either unto our nature. Now the world that we look at is even worse. So I think there, there is a level of having judgment and discernment through a lot of this knowledge that we talk about and having so many different people come together for these events that I create really help bring it together so much, especially when they're focused on one particular subject. So slavery was that one. This time we have a project and it's about a question that each individual answers for one minute. Now, one minute may sound difficult for some people, but why can't they concise their message to one minute? I'm curious, you know, if it's such a simple thing, powerful for the world to know, it should be rather simple to put into one minute. And then if they want to learn more, you can always share resources and say, here is where you can go. But I think a lot of people in today's world is like, tell me what I need to know. <laughs> and not necessarily that they, it can come to them in one minute, but the one minute is there to possibly spark a light to start someone's journey. And being that the today's popular mediums, uh, TikTok, YouTube Reels, uh, Instagram Reels, YouTube Shorts, um, these are all one minute platforms and people like that as a a form of entertainment or information or whatever. Like sometimes I'll look up a cooking recipe rather than watching a 15 minute recipe video. I can just watch one minute and get the whole recipe within one minute. 
I mean, I'd rather do that uh, personally because I can keep up with it. And then if I need to, I just pause or slow down the speed. I mean, it's not that difficult, right? So I think there's a lot of value in this one minute production. And I want to get people onto this uh, current medium because that's the way the information is currently being expressed in today's world. Not only would it help us practice with that, but this is a showcase that I'm creating. So that way we can show all the different content creators and we can do it in several shows. So it's totally different from the End of Slavery Summit, but it's put in a format that is more effective and even simpler to put out because it's only one minute. So anybody who's watching here right now in this live stream, you can totally get involved because all you have to do is record a one minute video. And if you can't do that, I don't know what you can do then for content creation. I mean, this is a good place to start. You can script yourself if you have to. You don't even have to show yourself if you don't want to. You don't even have to tell your name if you don't want to. But putting out a message on a simple question, that can definitely help if you're starting out a new channel and I'm making a show with a bunch of other speakers who already have audiences. They'll be tuning in. They'll be like, wow, maybe this person is saying something interesting or something unique or you know, just expressing themselves. And maybe we'll talk to you after. We'll do a little bit of an interview. So this this is going to be a whole different format. And if people want to check that out, it's at theliberator.us. You'll see there's a banner at the top, right? So theliberator.us is the website for the Liberator 2, which is continuing the abolitionist efforts from the 1800s. So it's all about ending slavery, but to the fullest, just continuing the efforts of the End of Slavery Summit, but in now a platform that will forever exist past the summit. Uh, because now we have recurring weekly articles that we send to people's email inboxes. Uh, you can even sign up for notifications, uh, browser notifications. You can uh, network with others, share your server. If say you have a Gilded, Discord, Telegram, uh, Skype, I don't know, Facebook group or whatever, you can share it on the website and you guys can network with each other. You'll see we already have a bunch of servers that people sent to us and we're like, all right, here's a bunch of servers. So now if you're looking for fellow truth minds or you want to network, maybe you are a content creator and you want to share your content around to get some more clicks and get more engagement going, you can definitely use that to your benefit. There's also an activism section. Recently, I added a section of activism called the White Rose that was started by the Art of Liberty Foundation. This is another way to create action within your own community, not just online, but in real life. So there's so much um, that we have for people, resources for action that most of independent media just doesn't even consider. Like the fact that everybody in the audience can get involved at any time, anywhere they are at any stage, whether by writing a little bit here and there every week or every day or whatever at their own pace, they can turn their own videos and send us, you know, videos. We'll turn it into more of a video. We'll do green screen production for them. We'll put it into a newspaper format. We'll put it on every platform. We're making the work easy for people, but also in a way that everybody can just stick together. Like we need unity and, and co people come together because that increases the message tenfold hundredfold, you know, like we already had 15 different writers. So we had some of their audiences coming to us. And it was just like, here's now a platform for everybody. So all these projects I create is just for everybody. <laughs> like I don't make any money off of anything I do. So it's just truly for the education and for the truth. And if there ever comes a time where I'm like, okay, guys, these are my donation goals because there's costs for the website, there's costs for the mailing and all this other stuff, then I will be honest and transparent about it. But as far as I know right now, I can do it right now on my own for no, no real reason because I'm very good with my tech stuff. I pretty much am very cheap. <laughs> I can do things like I was telling you. I could use OBS to stream. That's completely free. Right. You know, I can set up a YouTube channel. That's completely for free. I can record with this microphone. As long as I have this microphone, 
I'm not paying for this monthly. Like I have it, it's mine. <laughs> so um, a lot of things when it comes to content creation, just relies on your own heart, your own head. And if you want to do something, you'll do it. I think there's a lot of people who are also forcing themselves into content creation. They don't have to do that, right? Um, they just to produce what your heart contends and, and really you got to follow it to its end because there's a lot of people who I know and there's people who take Mark Passio's course on like technology and how to work things. And that's great. It can teach them a lot. But unless they have that internal drive, they're not actually going to do something with it, um, I'm afraid, because that's that's the truth. I mean, if you want to be a content creator, I think you have to have it to some degree in your heart. Yes, there's a sacrifice you can make for the populace, for the moral obligation of sharing truth. But that sacrifice, you have to understand yourself first. Um, you can't be doing something you don't want to do, something that you don't believe in, because your audience will probably see through you and see that you're doing something that is like, oh, I have to do this, right? Like I produce content because I want to, and that's it. And, and so I'm always honest with my audience and I like to connect with them uh, here and there, but I don't have this parasocial relationship either. Like, I don't care if they don't watch my videos. I don't care if like, if they want to support it. Great. You know, awesome. They're help support the message, but that's the thing. It's about the message. It's about the truth. Um, and if they care about me, awesome. Cause I care about them. Right. But it's like, we're through a virtual screen. It's through online. I don't know them. So, um, but the projects are great because now we could bring everybody together and then we see all the energies emerge at once, right? And so we can create something that um, hasn't been created before. And this format that I created has never been done before as far as I'm concerned. So I encourage people to check it out. It's very easy to get involved. Like I said, one minute on one question. So the liberator.us for that. <laughs> yeah, I got that link in the show description like as we speak. So it's, it's, it was put there ahead of time awesome but yeah people can people can click on that right away if they if they so choose you know it, it dude what you were saying about like unity and and everything like yeah like that's an important that's an important part of all of this you know uh not everybody's going to get along and that's a wonderful thing because we don't yeah. want to be we don't want to be robots but mm -hmm. where's the fun in that right yes. But at the same time, it's like, yo, it, it's almost like you want to be like, you want to grab someone, but if it wasn't, you know, if you weren't like, you know, assaulting them, but you want to grab someone by the shoulders and just be like, why are you being a jerk? We're on the <laughs> same team. Lee, come on, man. You know, like, or, you know, whatever. It's, mm. it's, it can be, it can be very aggravating, you know, mm. it's just like, but I, I appreciate you saying that because it's a big part of this. Yeah. Uh, like the reason why uh maybe not absolutely but i would say it's pretty high up on the list of reasons why movements like this don't gain traction why they don't actually become movements they're just communities they're, so it's it's because of the infighting it's because of things like that it's like you can't we're destroying ourselves from within you know, it's like, oh, okay, you, you do your thing over there. I'm going to do my thing over here. And they're both components of the same goal. And it's like, we're going to move forward together, of course, but we don't have, it's like, we don't have to be friends, you know, like we don't, but like, Hey, can you agree on a couple of things? Okay. Don't, don't steal from people. Like mm -hmm. don't hurt people. Don't be a dick. Like that kind of stuff. Okay, yeah. cool. All right. Same. That's team. why. Yeah, that's why it helps to have like a banner of like, this is the Liberator 2 showcase and it features all these different speakers, although they may not agree with each other. Right. Mm -hmm. Like this is the one great work network and it features all these bunch of content creators, although they may not agree with each other. <laughs> it's like right. because it's not the point. They all have some foundation. So like the abolitionist, the fact I call them abolitionist, 
like you know how much infighting there was back then right. like lysander spooner did not agree with william lloyd garrison at all on most things but yet at the end of the day they were both anti-slavery so it didn't matter because they both helped end the the problem that they were mainly focusing on although the other things the surrounding elements were not really fulfilled so what you know, it's like at the end of the day, we are just humans. And so all the other opinions and judgments and values, or whatever, out the window. Right. So um, I think this is this is where we unify. Right. And, and having platforms where people come together allows people to do that, as long as those platforms are not very strict and rigid, saying people have to do this or that. But then we'll see, you know, they'll expose themselves through their rigidity, uh, those those systems that. Um, many people might end up leaving or there might be some friction that it basically destroys itself from the inside out. And in the Liberator 2, it's like I'm the only one really running it. So it's not like we have to really worry about some in internal friction um, unless it comes from myself if I were doing anything manipulative. But like William um, Douglas, who is like my co-editor, he just sends me an article. I write an article. We just take other people's articles and we just copy and paste. You know, we put it in the right format and we're just broadcasting that's all we're doing we're not rebranding we're not claiming this is ours now and you know we're not we're not doing anything but saying here's everybody's works and let's put it out there together so that way it looks professional it looks formatted it looks in a way it's like this is your news media this is yours and 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 now we can invite everybody to get involved and that's even better because like the one great work network is great and all but it doesn't accept in in ask for the public to get involved like this is how you can do something same thing with a lot of independent media out there here's the news but I'm, we're not going to tell you what you can do about the news you're just going to figure that out for yourself it's like okay fair enough i mean at least you're giving us alternative information but there's also alternative <laughs> actions aren't there <laughs> right so oh, it's, i it's... think finding the solutions is part of that process and, and that's what we're trying to do with the liberator too is like bring in what hasn't been there for so long it's more, <laughs> I was laughing because it's more like, here's the news. We're not going to tell you what to do about the news, but if you <laughs> do the wrong thing that we disapprove of, we're going to scream in your face about it until you get it right. But we're not going <laughs> to tell you what's right. We're not going to do that. No way. <laughs> but you're just going to have to learn yeah. the process of elimination by doing wrong, what is considered the wrong thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you might end up driving some people out in that process. But I think this is like why questions are valuable. Um, opening the discussion is valuable. Connecting to audiences, like you said, to people who may even disagree with you is valuable um, yeah. because that can bring in people like that are still just people. Like if our message is about humanity and about truth, then everybody from anywhere should be able to come to understand it. And right. therefore, we should open our hearts to everyone, even those who we claim are in the shadows or those who are uh, promoting slavery. They're our fellow man. Like, <laughs> why should we discard them uh, if we lived in their circumstances we would probably end up like them and, and and that's the truth is like at the end of the day um we're all just living different experiences in the same reality so so seeing the connectiveness in humanity is where we find our unity but then seeing the difference and uniqueness in humanity is also where we find our freedom so i think there is a great yin yang polarity to that which um is very valuable uh, the active and the passive, the masculine and the feminine, and many people have many different diagrams and ways of displaying that, right? But this is something we need to keep in mind for content creation as well. Um, how much are you finding the truth from within and throughout your current world, not just through the truth of the news or what the independent media says or what other people are saying? 
So having that time to get a balance between both or really find out um, the true essence of things beyond the illusions of he said, she said, or material things that are just results of something else deeper, we see so much more in this reality. So like in my recent videos, I talk about like meditation techniques, which are very valuable. Not that people should meditate all day, but they're valuable. Why? Because you're embracing the emptiness in reality. That emptiness is that yin aspect of the yang, which you don't see. So people want to just pass it off because they don't see it. It's like, oh, well, I'm just going to deal with what I see. What, I, what is there in my reality? I have to deal with it. I have to apply force to it. I have to try really, really hard. But you might end up causing counterintuitive results. Why? Because you never paid attention to the yin, the emptiness, the there that the emptiness that actually gives creation to everything in this life. Um, for instance, this is commonly taught in Taoism, but let's say I'm in a room. The walls is what encapsulates the room, but the usefulness of the room lies in the emptiness. Same thing with this glass. There's, you know, or, or cup, whatever. There's coconut water, basically. <laughs> so, um, you know, within this jar or whatever, this, this glass too, right? I mean, the usefulness is within inside the emptiness. And people undervalue the emptiness in all things. And, and lately, I, I tend to think about what people say. And I'm like, where's the emptiness? Well, think about it. When I'm breathing, I have to, and even just to speak, I have to inhale first before I exhale, <laughs> right? I have to like take, I have to take air before I can actually say something. The emptiness is where our value actually comes from to actually create anything in the first place. So it's another way of saying, well, without an open mind, you won't be able to see new information. So there has to be a time where people step back or take uh, refuge from the current society if they want to see the truth or see what other people aren't seeing. Because by definition, if you don't want to see what other people aren't seeing, then you have to go or do what other people aren't doing or seeing. <laughs> that makes me think about like the overstimulation of the mass amount of people out there where everything is just, they're just constantly stimulated. So it's that emptiness, that time off that you're, that you're kind of talking about exactly. is not available to them. They don't see it as available. Hmm. They're preoccupied. I, I would say that they're, that they're preoccupied constantly, like as if they're trained to think that if they're not busy doing something, then they're doing life incorrectly. Yeah. And they, and they'll even call themselves meaningless or purposeless without having doing anything. It's like, really? So hmm. they, they actually push themselves down and um, in the efforts of pushing themselves up, which is the funny part, because the yeah. whole reason why they wanted to push themselves up is to push themselves up, not down. So it's weird that they would get counterintuitive results that from working really hard and pushing themselves, trying super hard, they actually end up not getting where they want to get. And you see this with many different examples, and I don't know which one you want me to go with, but um, there's a lot of stories that have been uh, historically also said. So like, let's say an archer is trying to aim his bow. If he's so focused on the result or so focused on other people's opinion of him shooting that bow, he's no longer focused on shooting the bow. So like someone who's just playing for fun might actually do better than someone who's focusing really hard trying to, uh, to get his result. Um, because one person is doing it spontaneity um, through like non-action, through effortless action. 
and another is doing it, trying super hard, and they practice. Maybe someone like, let's say they're on the stage in the theater, they're practicing their lines over and over and over again. They actually get on stage and they mess up because they overprepared themselves. But like, that's like over yang energy, that's over masculine energy. And then having the ability to step back and be like, I'm going to go with the flow of things and where things go, then you have more flexibility um, and you're able to adapt. So um, be like water in a sense, seeking the lowest, seeking in the level. And that is um, ultimately the lesson of, of being away from expectation and attachment and desires, uh, being able to see past illusion and being able to see nature because nature gave rise to everything. The emptiness gave rise to all the things that are um, there, the active, the being, the non-being gives way into the being. I mean, we even see this in all religions. They all say some way, not just the golden rule, but they say, you know, Jesus breathed spirit and that spirit gave them life. Like, What is spirit? It's breath. It's empty. It's not even, where is that? When you're meditating, you're breathing, you're taking in the spirit, right? So, which is respiration, rest spirit. It's just re-breathing. Yeah. So I think um, there's a lot of connections that people have not realized, even in their simple language. But if they take the moment to step back um, and maybe even be quiet in their own mind, they can see so much more. Just notice from deep breathing, just, uh, just do some deep breathing. And all of a sudden, you will be, be more present in your environment. You're going to notice some things that you never noticed before. You're going to be like, wow, uh, you know, the, I can feel the elements more. Same thing when people fast, right, in the body, that they stop eating sugar for a while, then they go back on sugar. Now it affects them so much. They don't realize how much sugar affects them until they take the time to really take a break from it. So um, our society definitely is in the yang extreme, in the masculine extreme, uh, left brain extreme or whatever you want to call it. Uh, it needs the time to really relax. And some people take that to the deep end where they just meditate all day or new age spirituality, right? <laughs> where they don't do anything about problems that could absolutely be solved using the active energies. Um, and that's because they're holding themselves back in their own mind using yang energy as well. I mean, there needs to be a balance uh, between the yin and the yang, and they're always at work for each other. But that requires uh, being able to um, utilize both and not just utilize one or the other. So like, for instance, I was um, gardening today, like I was doing rocks and everything. My body wants to rest. And when it rests, by the way, it gains muscle, not when you're actually doing it. <laughs> when you're doing it, that is what allows you to gain muscle, but when you're resting. So the rest is actually what makes like working out essential. But um, the, the whole process of doing that, you do it because you want results, but you're going for the results, which, you know, ends up being where you're not doing anything. So I don't know how to best describe this. It seems like it's hard to describe in words because, <laughs> because words themselves are yang, right? And yin is not, not having to describe things in words. I mean, if I ask someone, um, can you describe the truth in words? Can you describe love in words? Can you just describe nature in words? I would imagine they can get, grab some aspects and elements of reality and try to grasp onto reality. But then if I ask them, like, is that really what truth is? They're going to be like, well, no, if they're honest with themselves, like their words are limited or their perceptions of that truth is limited. And it's based on their experiences or what they've seen. And they can't describe all of reality at once. <laughs> it seems almost impossible.
So it's interesting that you then have all these religious texts who also claim to be the answer to everything, regardless of all the translations, regardless of all the people, and saying that you have to do this and you have to do that, regardless of your own environment, regardless of your own being and where you're at and whatever energies you have currently going on. Um, this is why I learn from everything and why I don't limit my mind and, and why being um, who I am helps in that process, because it's one thing that you can assure. Like you said, honesty, it's really simple, but many people make excuses for it, but it's so simple to do the things that you know you should do. Like a lot of people know they should rest. Oh, I don't have time. You know that you need time for yourself. Well, how do you create that time? We created this whole concept of time. So clearly there's a, there's a problem, but it rests in ourselves. <laughs> it's not nature's fault for you creating this concept of time for you saying you don't have time. It's, it's human's fault. Humans just have a hard time because they try to make excuses um, for their behavior to say that they need to do something and they'll just do it for the sake of doing it. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, well, it's largely comes from this prescribed belief system that we're kind of programmed into, you know, I mean, of course, like you want to stay busy, you want to, you want to do the workout, you want to contribute you want to maybe you know cultivate your own land or be a part of you know you, you want to treat your neighbors you know rightly you don't want to be a burden upon anybody these types of things are i think good things right no like you mm -hmm. it's you, you don't want to live a necessarily like a sedentary lifestyle you you yes. want to get out there you want to be be moving shaking you know doing stuff right mm -hmm. but the manner in which we as a population do it these days is completely just uh, it's upside down uh compared to the way that dare i say it should be where we're able to self-actualize forge our own path you know blaze our own trail type of type of life when largely i mean the large amount largest amount of the population they're doing what they do um not because they actually want to, but because mm -hmm. somebody along the way told them that this is just how it is. Mm -hmm. And like, no, no, nope, you have to do things this way. And that's that. And it's like, well, yeah. you know, that's, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. It's like, where did their desire come from? Because desire is not all bad, right? Like the yeah. dispel sort of like the Buddhist thing of like life is suffering and defeat all attachment, defeat all desire. It's like, well, you have to eat, you have to breathe, you have to do certain things that are really essential for your life. Where does this actually come to be essential? And I think people have to ask these questions. Um, instead of just discarding certain religions or traditions or certain ways of thinking, or instead of just embracing them altogether, saying they know the truth and I don't, I can never find it myself. There needs to be some level of I need to find out this truth um, for myself with my own eyes. If they're claiming it's the truth, then I should be able to see it uh, myself as well. You just have to be able to open yourself up to the possibility of seeing it. Yes. And that's a lot of people, they put up these these barriers where they want to live in the corner, right? They want to have the blinders on. That's another big, I, I mean, we're kind of getting into this. Let's talk about problems and, you know, blah, blah, kind of. But anyways, like that, that's a, that's a big problem too. There's people, it's because there's certain overshadowing too. Yeah. Like, I'm at, like well, when you say blinder, there's something there blocking their vision, yeah. right? 
So it's like it's not like they're this is like because it may sound like, well, if they're if they're not looking, then it sounds like they're looking inward or if they're if like if they're not looking outward, it sounds like they're looking inward. It doesn't necessarily mean that's the case. <laughs> right? well, it's, like, it, it's like when maybe you remember when you were a kid, but like it's like when the when you go to take a family photo and the kids just like not sitting still, they're not looking at the <laughs> camera. And it's like the, the guy in the camera has got the puppet. He's like, look over here. Look at the birdie. You know, look over here. Or he got the puppet on his hand or whatever. And it's like that's where people are looking. And they're not looking at the they're not looking at the truth, you know? It's like somebody is telling yeah. them, look over here. The red herring, you know, the red herring of life, if you want, if you would like to call it that. Constant distraction from what is actually valuable in this weird, awesomely chaotic life that we all get to live one time this experience one time like if if i'm going to have a corporeal form that i'm aware of now it's going to be this of james cordoner i resurrect later my spirit might come back and take a different corporeal form whether or not i get to remember this one i don't know mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know but there's something to that where we need to figure out a way to really hone in on just what is valuable in this in this chance this experience that we get who knows what happens next but we know what we have now exactly we know that we have this chance at making things better and mm -hmm. not having to live life always having uh, always having to do what we're told Yes. You know, we can we can figure out how to live, have a right, you know, uh, have, live in righteous truth to live, you know, according to the principles of like natural law, for instance, yes. or, you know, voluntarist principles, mm -hmm. these different beautiful things that we can learn, adjust to adopt and pledge our pledge ourselves to yes. in order to live a more uh, free and healthy lifestyle. Without and these obviously come with not treading on anyone else's rights, you know, because yes. you don't want because this is this is the thing. I think a lot of people really fail in their understanding. This is the roadblock. They don't get it that it's because so many so many people just don't know how to cooperate with one another. And if they and that doesn't mean that you're forced to associate. What I think I'm trying to get at here is when we start battling one another that creates this vacuum that people think needs to be filled with some sort of authority figure in order to settle the dispute and largely these disputes are superficial but when it gets really hairy it's when people are really just violating each other's rights yeah and, and when they're when they're doing that that's when it's like, whoa, that's when we and have that's definitely Yang, right? I mean, they're right. not taking the time to sit back and be like, is this a right thing for me to do? They're just doing it because they're told to do it. Right. And a lot of these mindsets that you mentioned, voluntarism versus statism, for instance, we recognize one is the solution is one is, and one is the problem. Why is that? 
look at the nature of these mindsets. So a lot of people who are calling themselves constitutional or calling themselves like we need to go back to America, they're very stuck in the past. And then there's a lot of people who are like, we need to build this utopian world where it's a smart city and it's got to work like this to defeat global warming and blah, 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 blah. They're very future minded. Where's the present mind? The present mind says you own yourself. You've always owned yourself. <laughs> and there's nothing going to change that. And I think it's like, yeah, that's using some level of the past and that's using some level of the future to say that can be a better world. But when we're always planning so ahead or using the past, it's like the past was not such a great place, especially 200 years ago. That's when slavery was ended. Like for thousands of years, we've had governments and tyrannical systems. Maybe it's better to focus on the present. You know, there's things constantly changing. Uh, every time we come up with a plan in this world and never usually works out the way we exactly think it works out. So um, maybe it's better to be more present and deal with the things that we do know will work. So voluntary interaction. We know it is right. We know we should not, you know, transgress upon another. Like you said, we should not violate the rights of an individual. And most people agree with that. Why? Because it's foundational. Because it's present learning. Unless they disagree with it, it's because they're future or past-minded. They're passed on, oh, I got to follow this book, this communist manifesto, this guy, what he said, or whatever, blah, blah, blah. They never came to that conclusion on their own. Or future-minded in the sense of, well, it's got to be a certain way because what if humans do this? And what if humans do that? And what will be done about that? And, uh, well, what if humans like or have the ability to reverse engineer the world and we need to make sure that we uh, use eugenics and all this sorts of stuff? all very future-minded. But like, where's the present that literally creates the future? Because that is where voluntarism and the ideas of truth and freedom actually are. Um, you're not going to be free if you're attached to the past. You're not going to be free if you're attached to the future, which is not yet here. You're going to be free if you are here and now, and you're going to see much more things in your reality. So if, if I were to summarize everything I've said so far, because it could be kind of confusing for some individuals, is to be more present-minded. Because that ultimately is the heart of everything I'm saying. In order to see the emptiness, in order to see the activeness, all of it uh, requires being present. Right. I, I mean, it. you got to admit, though, it, it is important to keep in mind that there will be a future. You know, like it's like... The, but that depends on the present. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly. Thank you. And it's like, it, that, depending on how the present moment is going, that's what's going to write the future. That's And so... That's, I think, the goal. I mean, yeah, you learn from the past, right? And we could speak about but that. We don't get stuck on it, right? You could speak about that, and and it and it's a great teacher, right? Sure, uh, but yeah, having a present moment awareness, living in the now, that's that's a good thing, you know. And it's like, ask yourself, am I violating anybody's rights with the actions I'm taking right now? Okay, yeah. I'm not. All right, cool. Then you know what, in the next five minutes, no one's going to get hurt, <laughs> you know, or, or however long it, you know, whatever, you know, you know what I'm trying to say, but yeah, yeah, man, for sure. I mean, I just, well, if you act oh, on man, principle, you that, would act with that, something that is consistent, right? Yeah. Uh, I was, um, I was about to say that for me being a father, it's very difficult to not be focused on the future because of how young my children are, right? They're not necessarily responsible for themselves just yet so sure. it's 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 very very difficult um to not think about what their future is going to be and yeah. that's a very big motivator for a person like me is to 
try to make a better future for them because they're just kids and it's going to be us adults the way that we're acting now that's going to kind of really impact their lives when they actually have a and you know what when they actually have a fucking say in the matter when they can actually stand in their stand in their power and start making a difference you know i mean they're just kids you can't expect them to you know but they do have an impact because there are people like me that Mm -hmm. go and look at those little ones and say oh man wow what a responsibility i have holy geez like one day they're going to be grown-ups you know and i gotta see what i can do to secure a better world for them and that they're going to uh they're gonna there's one thing they don't have a choice in is that they will adopt a future they there is a future for them and Mm -hmm. what kind of future is that going to be that's up to us and again and here's where it comes full circle to your point that's up to us and what we're doing in the present moment each moment each present moment because because five minutes ago that was our present moment then and now we're having another one so it's like what we're and that's how we carry on right this whole Mm -hmm. construct of time and everything i mean well yes we certainly see that our lives exist on on a scale of time i mean that's why it was constructed this way we see the cycle of life and everything we wanted to figure out a way to measure that and blah 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 it's like in our attempts to do that right sort of counterintuitive (laughs) sure exactly i mean it's like okay so why are we putting limits on this thing why are we setting ourselves up to be stressed out about oh i don't have enough time oh my god it's like no just live your life bro just just live it like every day is your last day right that old cliche you can worry about like imagine you're driving a car right and like you were worried about every action someone was taking making a ton of predictions (laughs) of like what could possibly go wrong most people don't worry about that they just drive they do their thing it's effortless (laughs) yeah (laughs) not that they shouldn't worry about it but if they did what would happen they're not focusing now on their driving yeah this is what i'm saying yeah i mean (laughs) Uh, yeah, I mean, there is a thing called defensive driving. Like, I have to practice. I have to practice. I drive a twenty-ton truck down the road that only gets heavier as my day goes on. So it's like I, I, wow. I'm, I, for other people's safety, I have to be like, "What's that guy doing?" You know, oh, yeah, there's, yeah. there's people out there, and I, the I, hate, I hate to sidetrack it, but there are people out there that do not know how to drive around a big truck, and they're just <laughs> like, they're just like, they're jerks. They don't yeah. know what they're doing. They think that a truck can, the truck that size can stop at the same rate that a regular car can. And I'm sorry, but it can't. And well, that's, that's why what, knowledge helps. Yeah. Like they right. don't, they don't know better. Like I, I think you're right. Cause when we were moving, we had these big trucks and my mom was driving one of them and she had to stop really early. She never knew that she had to do that until she actually you know, got in the truck like that. Yeah. The so brake I mean, systems in those yeah. trucks were put in, were first invented to stop trains. They're made. They're built on. They're an air brake system, and most of the big trucks, if they weigh over a certain amount of tons or whatever, then they're going to put an air brake system in them because it can stop that amount of weight. You know, you can't. You can't have a hydraulic brake system in a truck that big. It's not going to. They'll be failing all the time because it would take way too much pressure. And so, anyways, I don't want to sidetrack the conversation, but yeah, it's interesting because it's just an interesting thing. Um, the That's way people point. drive. <laughs> yeah no that's a good point because anything it's like a, it's a skill it takes practice but once you get into that practice it becomes effortless it becomes sort of spontaneous um so spontaneous so that's what i'm trying to aim for like it, when it comes to like the truth or expressing ourselves why isn't it easy 
Why isn't it easy for people to just be themselves? Why isn't it easy for people to live their lives? Why is it so like we need to constantly bring others to the camps, do this, put them in a jail cell, pass this law? Why are we stressing ourselves out with this? And most people, you'll talk to the politicians, you talk to these people, I'm stressed out. I don't know why I'm doing this. I'm doing this for the people. I'm sacrificing myself. It's like you're taking it out on yourself. And if you're taking it out on yourself, are you actually going to be helping other people? I mean, if you can't even take care of yourself, this is what I'm saying. So it's not so like we just ignore the future or we ignore the past. It's that we stay present minded in the sense that, okay, we recognize our kids are going to grow up into a world, but that world we don't really know. The world is rapidly changing, especially now. And if we're so focused on the future, then it's going to make us want to mold them in a certain way. And the more we want to mold them, it might actually be counterintuitive. Because we have to be able to flow with where they're currently at in order for them to flourish where they are supposed to be. Because right. nature changes. Change is law. And finding out that we have to align to that change is the matter of like the water flowing across a stream. And if it holds on to a branch, which water doesn't, it always is able to go through every obstacle and reach the lowest point which is also significant for when people are seeking political power. They're not seeking the lowest point. They're seeking the highest point. Uh, you know, it, it, we can learn so much from it. And so that's why I created some other works recently, like the Hourglass Template, uh, which is new, which I haven't yet talked about at all on my channel, uh, a new book that I created called The Auto Diet, which heavily emphasizes the nature of water. Now, did I intend for that emphasis on water to be so correlative to Taoism um, and its emphasis on water? No, but let's face it. Water is like over 80, 90% of this world and water makes up this world so much and we can't live without it. So there's so much value in just learning from the simple things in life, like a tree or water. And so for somebody to pass it off and say, oh, I'm not going to learn anything from a tree. I have to read some book. It's like, yeah. are you sure about that? I would ask them, are you sure about that? Because I, I, I do guarantee people can learn from nature and they oh. just disregard it in their own mind and thus they never will learn from it uh, in the great, mysterious, wonderful ways that they can. And um, that's why people have written poetry about it and why those words of the past still apply to the present because they were looking at the present. They weren't worried about the future. They weren't worried. Like how many philosophers of the past were talking about technology? I mean, not many. Not many could even predict where it got to it is now. But yet all the philosophies they said, still, we can generally pretty much like be like, yeah, I vibe with this. This disagrees with like what we're, what we're doing, like natural law. It's a concept for thousands of years. We still apply it to the modern day, despite how there's all this technology and all this other stuff. It doesn't matter. It's all the product of the same reality that our ancestors lived in. So, you know, for people to worry about things, no, I think. Worry is the problem. We know fear contributes to control. It contributes to the lack of knowledge and ignorance. So being able to love and accept, being able to open, which requires presence, is what will allow us to ultimately attain knowledge and sovereignty um, and freedom. Right. The, the um, Yeah. So it, in general, the, the only thing, if you're going to, if you're going to concern yourself with the future, the only thing that you have a chance at making it better is you got to turn that focus into the present right. because that's the only time you have to act. You can't, you, you know, and that's going, so yeah. So, and the thing you mentioned about fear is that actually, so you have stimulus then response. Okay. What fear does is it changes it from stimulus response to stimulus reaction. 
Okay. And then on top of that change, there's also a second thing that fear does that change changes in that process. So you stimulus reaction instead of stimulus response. When you're dealing with a stimulus response um, process, there's a certain amount of time between the two. Mm-hmm. Fear changes response to re- to reaction, and then it shortens the amount of time, and that's very very dangerous for your own for your own mental health. Mm-hmm. It's, you see what I'm saying? It's like so that's why it's important to be able to like deal with fearful situations head on. Because you're going to be able to turn like and be like, oh, you know, okay, yeah, that's a that's a dicey situation. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna deal with it head on, because that's the best way to do it, you know. And standing in truth, and and all these wonderful things I could say, it's it's difficult to do, mm-hmm. you know. It, it, bravery is a very difficult thing to do. Having courage is is pretty difficult these days. Uh, yeah, just learn, do it. <laughs> yeah, but like, but the thing is, is that like you know, um. Reinsure, reassuring that's because their fears of the future right well yeah but reassuring yourself that you're you're doing this out of love you know that your that your next actions are that of of love and that you're going to do whatever it takes to do the right thing man i i don't see a way you can't win <laughs> you well know? because because again people are like well what will happen to me i will be thrown into a cage and this and that and so it all just pushes down their ability then to do what they know is right right now yeah and and so it's it, people will try to search for every justification in the world to not do what is right right now and thus they never actually end up living the life that they want to live yep <laughs> that's the yep. truth because then they're not living life by definition if you're living you're you're living like you're now you're here now like otherwise you're not living what are you dead like in the future everybody's gonna die at some point why are we worried about that <laughs> if we fear right. death that's the biggest fear of all is it not yeah, i mean it's um it brings to mind and i'm gonna butcher the lyric about it it's just this song that i uh that i heard some some years back the the singer was kind of a poet and um and the lyric was is that i'm alive not just breathing you know, and I won't go into the rest of the song, but that line always stood out to me. Like this guy gets it, you know. Yeah. And it was like this huge wail, like I'm alive, like, and he just like screams that part out, and then he just then then he's just like quickly just comes back and goes, not just breathing. It's like wow, that's a fucking short, so simple but so powerful, you know. Like there's such a difference there. Yeah. A lot of people just walk through life just breathing you know they're not experiencing this wonderful thing this this yeah. wonderful place where we're at yeah and it's, yeah it's, and then like intentional it. breathing would be like more of like seeing okay i'm alive because <laughs> <laughs> like because be honest like people like we breathe our, our bodies operate without us even thinking about it it's amazing that they can but when we actually focus into that we actually notice there's health benefits we actually notice where we can actually see more and do more and that's the amazing thing. It's like martial arts, being able to use your body and know where you're putting it. Like you and a truck driver, you know where to put the car, you know how to handle it. You operate the machine as it's designed to be. But like many people are just living their life on autopilot. It's like wherever it goes, it goes. But I am not like really going with the flow of nature. I'm going with the flow of society. 
and right. society is throwing me off a cliff <laughs> because I'm not paying attention to where I'm actually going. It's like that false sense, the, the false understanding of what this law of attraction is. It's like, no, you can't just go with the flow all the time. Sometimes it's like, all right, you're in the zone. Yeah, like go with it. Sure. But like you have to create. You have to man. You have like who's going to manifest it? It's you. You do. It takes action, right? Like mm-hmm. you're not just going to like thing. Like I, I guess things. Certain things just fall in your lap, but they fall in your lap because you acted yes. and you got yourself to these places where the synchronicity could happen. Mm-hmm. You know, or it's, it became it's, effortless. It, it's a cycle, and the things feed off of each other. And effort it's, becomes effortless. Yeah, like it's like I, again, I, like the person who's practicing to drive, and then all of a sudden driving now becomes effortless. Right. And it's if they like, become too unconscious, guess what? Now they end up in an accident. Oh shoot! I should have paid attention. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you want to talk about another like mechanical process, right? That we could kind of, you know, that we could kind of uh, juxtapose to this is how do you start a lawnmower? You got to pull. You got to pull start the engine, and then the engine starts, and then it just does this cycle. So that it takes action to start it yes. and then the cycle starts and if you're living right in your you know right livelihood and you're doing the right thing then you the action keeps propelling this cycle and synchronicity falls in there as well and next thing you know boom like like you mentioned way earlier is like you know you're living your authentic self you're living yeah. an authentic life and next thing you know you're going to find yourself surrounded by a bunch of other people if you so choose or you're going to find right. yourself in situations that are resonating with the with the truth that you're living you know if you're living according to the truth not just i'm not i didn't mean it like yo my truth or oh you're living your truth like right. no, not that kind of bull shit like it's like no the truth you know if you're resonating in that frequency mm-hmm. you're vibing there you know great like that's yeah you know but um oh um well it's funny like your truth is sort of um, a contradiction because the truth is what create all of us so there's a there's a source that is beyond all of us and if you don't recognize that source then you're looking at sort of like a symptom like your truth it's sort of solipsistic it limits the world to your perspective oh it's definitely solipsistic <laughs> like it, it is the it is yeah for sure like I'm, it, yeah it's just and like they, the root to your it. truth. It's like if you separate the two, there's one that's you and then there's the truth, which is another concept. And, you know, I mean, like there is such a concept as you, but then there's also such a concept as truth. Otherwise, they wouldn't be separate words. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I, oh, my God, that is such like the the most cringeworthy betrayal of the of like a of a definition of a word is attaching my or your is or her to the word truth it's no it's the truth that's it like you have your experience within the realm of truth and that's respectable i can respect your experience if you're equating it to an experience but it's not your truth that's like you can tell your side of a story but there's always the truth of what really happened and that's the closest that we can to actually giving a conceptual definition to what the truth is. Yeah. Right. Well, that's like, why we help each other learn. Right. right. Like we, we help each other so we can try to attain the truth together. And although if we can't find it together and we're all living on our own whim of uh, what we think the truth is or what we think is best for the truth, then we're not seeking harmony or unity with other human beings. We're going to create chaos. So sort of like my cat for the last <laughs> few weeks, Last few last few weeks, like he's cool, he's cool, he's chill. Look at him. Okay. <laughs> like the past few weeks, he's 
as soon as I get on, as soon as I start streaming, he like goes nuts over here in the corner. Like he's putting on his own show. <laughs> he's yeah. cool though. He's an old man. <laughs> Spry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I think for a good resource concerning a lot of this and connecting what I said, actually, um, some works by C.S. Lewis when he talks about objective truth and natural law and um, the first platitudes and traditional morality. He co equates all these terms together, saying that society uh, is trying to get away from this foundation. And in their attempts to get away from this foundation and all their attempts, no matter how grand they are, nature just swept in and destroys it all back to the foundation <laughs> um, because the foundation is really the only thing that remains there. And, and humans are trying to find justifications for their immoral behavior, but they know it's immoral and most people know it's immoral. So it's, um, it's a contradiction people are living with, especially with the belief of statism in the picture, which individuals like him or many other researchers throughout history have not considered. So now that we have this new component to add into the to the scenario, which has been there, just nobody looked at it. That took perspective. That took being able to reflect, you know, individuals like Larkin Rose being able to write a book. The book starts out empty. That's how it turns into a book. It starts out with empty pages. He used those pages wisely, and now it turned into a, a work that is changing lives. And so um, if we really want to open up humanity uh, to the freedom that exists within humanity uh, inherently, as they have it within their ability, I think it to some extent involves seeing the yin, right? Uh, being able to, to uh, find out what's a good stepping back mechanism, whether that's taking mushrooms for some people, whether it's fixing their diet, which includes getting rid of all the blockades and toxins and barriers, preventing your mind from thinking, anything just to open us up to our reality that has always been here because we have all these blockades that we create for ourselves and expectations and attachments to those blockades that like we need these blockades. They need to be there. It's like us again on the stream, holding onto a branch, refusing to go with the stream, the stream of life, the stream of truth. I'm not talking about the stream of society. Stream of society is not as like the stream of water. <laughs> you know, again, people in the stream of life, I mean, in the stream of society, they're always seeking the highest places. The stream of life seeks the lowest places. Like the average person, you're not trying to be someone special. You're not trying to have some ego or some identity or some image. You're just being yourself. And people actually will respect that more, actually. You know, we find out the best leaders uh, are people who are just sort of natural leaders. I did a whole documentary on that at one point. What is a natural leader? It's not that they're born a leader. It's that they are expressing themselves naturally, influencing others naturally. Like I would call you a leader for doing what you're doing if I find it inspiring. Same thing with Mark Passio, right? Like we can look up same to him and say, wow, he taught all these people great information. He's His actions might be worth emulating. That's a leader. But for some authority figure, it doesn't make them a leader just because they have a title, just because they have a badge, just because they have a uniform, just because they went up to the highest position in society. What is the highest position of society? It's just life is always changing. We ever believe that they're on this high position. It's like, no, you take a turtle out of the wilderness and put it on some, you know, fancy cloth and some fancy paper. And we worship the turtle. <laughs> it's like, is the turtle better off in the natural environment or being worshipped as this higher entity? Same thing with human beings. Let's not take ourselves out of our natural environment. <laughs> the more we do that, the more we end up just making 
the person themselves more insane away from their nature, but everybody else in the process who believes that's legitimate, whoever gave rise to that in the first place. So it's all just one big uh, illusion keeping us um, from, I guess you can say, the stream of life, <laughs> the the flow of life, whichever wants us to work with it. And we, if we go against it, we receive our own karma. That's what karma is, right? So it's like over time, it's like I, I'm holding on to this branch so long, but at some point I have to let go and then you let go and now you don't have no energy to swim. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like the stream is going to kick your butt now, basically. It's like the, the more you're trying to swim against the, the, the stream, the stream is like really pushing up against you. And then soon you just have to give up. And then so people either feel like they have to give up or, you know, it's like there has to be a balance. And, and people um, need to find that for themselves because there's so many people probably watching this live stream right now who are curious. They're like, what do I do? Man, I got to bring the truth to more people. Maybe it requires less. I got to do this. I have to do this. I need to do this. Maybe it actually requires more reflecting and thinking back as to, okay, let's stop trying. If I know something's the truth, it's part of who I am. I already see it. Let me open myself up first to then see what else needs to be done. Because people will even have preconceptions of what they think needs to be done for the truth. So like you might, someone might come up with a really good idea that we, none of us have because we're so stuck in our doctrines of this is how we must deliver the truth to other people. So like in a way they are, they have an edge on, on us and our knowledge because they're able to uh, reflect and, and, and sit back. So like, that's how I get a lot of my great ideas. I don't know about any of you guys watching, but uh in the bathroom, if you're taking a shower, if you're like relaxing, the times where you're just like walking through nature, times where your mind is not really busy doing anything, you might come up with really good ideas and times where you just don't, you're not looking for the ideas. They, they just come to you. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> nature provides. <laughs> yes. It's the greatest healer. Like again, fasting is a good example in the body. And I listed other examples before. I think to some extent, people need to let go into nature, just not let go into society because society will eat them up. <laughs> well, I mean, that just goes right along. I mean, just to, well, let's nail the point home, right, Corey? Like that just honestly just goes right along with a big point that we've been making this evening about being yourself and knowing yourself, mm -hmm. staying true and holding yourself and have some self-esteem, real self-esteem. Uh, not some sort of provisional self-esteem, you know, like that holds people back so bad, so bad. And man, carrying yourself forward with that, with that authentic self-esteem is, is the, is the way. And, you know, I, I'm really glad that we've been able to really kind of yeah, really expand upon, you know, just what that means. I think it can seem confusing to some people who are attached to those things and feel like, well, without an identity, where, where would I be? Without trying to aim for something, where would I be? And they, they try to find the justifications for that. And it keeps them less present minded. And it, and it also thwarts from finding themselves, which requires that like present mind to some extent. So um, I think a lot of clarification will be made in my upcoming presentation for anybody who is curious. Uh, because I want to put it in a format that is more easily to digest uh, with many different examples, including some of the ones I mentioned here. Um, so I definitely recommend people stay tuned for that if you're curious, because um, in this community or any community that is very truth and freedom oriented, we have to be careful not to express too much of that yang. 
Because yes, we recognize there's people who are not doing anything for the truth, but they're busy doing other things in their life. They're still yang energy. There's still tons of it in their lives. They're just putting it toward things that they don't, you know, that we don't find truthful, the things that we don't find beneficial for society. And they think they're they're doing things that are beneficial for society. So like, in a way, we're all trying to do what we think is right, but we end up fooling ourselves if it's not actually right. So um, that's where we have to be able to know um, our practice of what we're, of, of who we are. Like you said, being honest is the first step. If you know yourself, like know thyself is that biggest quote, yeah. then you can know everything else in creation. Yeah, I mean, it's just unfortunate just how wrong things have gone because when it's gone to, you know, when it's gone to such an extreme, like the this kind of polarization, what's coming to mind at the moment, when it's gone to such an, a, a, such an extreme of, of wrong, objective wrong, it takes an equal amount of force to correct that. And it, it will take like an equal amount of for, like of righteous force of, mm. and maybe force is the wrong word, but it's going to take people yelling from the hilltops like, Hey, all of you people, you're wrong. You know, it takes, and, it takes a lot of different efforts, I would say. But um, I, I think that sort of approach is what I mean by like there might be too much yang energy in the in the truth freedom crowd. Not to disagree with you, but in the sense of like, oh, please do if you if <laughs> don't, like, don't worry about that, man. I mean, it, it's it's fine with me. It's just well, it's because nature will change people itself, but if we work with it, like, and, and there's a level of counterintuitive action. So, like, you know, there's a lot of people who say Mark is too angry in his shows and deters some people. That has been the case sometimes. Now, other times it's been very helpful. But seeing where it does deter people helps us see where the the yang is taking too much hold. You see what I mean? Oh, what I uh, let me clarify uh, was what I was saying was is that like it. Um, I think that it will take a lot of people to be saying, "Hey, no, 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 that's wrong." Like it, it's so living your life and do and contributing and and all these different great things. Yeah, that's awesome, but. I, what I'm saying is, is that things are so wrong right now. Think where, where we are, we are so close. And I hate to like bring it here, but I, it, it just seems so apparent to me how close we are to a lot of things just falling apart in, in our, the things that hold this together. I'm stammering. I'm stumbling over my words. So excuse me, please. But it just seems like we're at the zero hour. We're like right there. We're right on the precipice of like complete and total control slavery. Like if if something doesn't happen. But we've it, been there before in history, have we not? Yeah, multiple times. And and you know what? So like, why do we worry? Um, I wouldn't say worry is the correct word. Mm. I'm not worried. Okay, good. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> like I like I let me say let me speak for myself there. I'm I personally I'm not worried. Um, but I think people are nervous. Mm -hmm. I think that might be a more accurate uh, definition of it. I think people sure. are experiencing the bystander effect where everyone's thinking the same thing. It's just no one's brave enough to be the first one to speak up. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that the more people that are speaking up in a fashion in which like you and I do, many other people yeah. do the more ch more of a chance we have at a peaceful change and to roll back the amount of slavery and actually accomplish a, a degree of abolition 
the, to the likes of which that will satisfy us during our lifetimes to carry on to the next generation in order mm -hmm. for them to have a leg up on the competition and for them to continue making an impact and change. And that that's going to take a lot of people to come out of the, to come out of their shell and to figure yeah. out that they too can contribute to a powerful thing. And that, and that, and to bring it back home, we are too close to this being a, a, so much of a complete and utter totality of control that silence is, and I know this is going to sound like, like, like counterintuitive or counterproductive or mm -hmm. whatever, but silence and let's chalk this next part up to just my opinion. Silence is no longer acceptable. If you know these things, if you know what's going on, sure, and you're silent. You're part of the problem. You know, you, you, knowing is not enough. You ha you you need to speak up about it. We're not at a place. So the reason why things got so close in the, the all right, we said don't focus too much on history, but let's do it for just a minute. The reason why in the past things got so close and ultimately failed is because enough people realized it was getting that close and things were going bad, and they said no, 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 no. They stood up and they said no. They spoke up. They made their people aware of it. Mm -hmm. And you know, even in the American Revolution, it was thought to be somewhere along the lines of three percent of the population. This is where the three percenter idea comes up. Only three percent of the population actually stood up and fought. A lot of people were like, "Yay, we support you," but only three percent actually fought. Right. <laughs> you know, so very small amounts of people can actually make a very big change. You know, and so. Yeah, But the reason why we were this close before and it never really went through is because people stood up and spoke. Yeah, up and I, I agree. And, and this goes with what I'm saying with like going with the stream of life versus the stream of society. Yeah. I'm not saying go with the flow of society. I'm saying yeah. go with the flow of life and truth. So that means sticking by that path. Like if you're water, you're flowing down that path. You're not holding on to a branch. You are holding onto a branch if, on the stream of life if you're saying, well, I need to attach to this man-made thing. If you're willing to let go, that is saying no. It's mm -hmm. saying, I'm willing to put my life on the line. I'm willing to go with the truth, and I don't care where it's going to lead me. It can lead to the to my death, which is, you know, every river leads into an ocean. It can lead, <laughs> into, it can lead into my obliteration, but I don't fear it. I'm going to follow that stream to its end, yeah. and, and, unless you're going to try to hold on. And, and again, it's going to be counterintuitive. So yes, that is exactly what I'm actually saying. But it just takes perspective to see it. Because I'm not saying for people to do nothing, but rather know when to do nothing. And that value is so immense. Because as I said, it's the emptiness that actually makes things useful. Very well put. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably better than I said it before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it it that it did clear it up, but like this is the thing, like this is why a healthy conversation is necessary, you know. Yeah, it's like so I want to ask you a question that you probably a lot of people ask you. Um what if you can remember is like the single thing, if there is one, that sets you on this path. Um like is there a moment in your in your childhood is there a moment in your you know later in your maybe adolescence or whatever something that sticks out as like the moment where you knew something was wrong and that you were uh, you were a person who could or would try to 
do something about it. Something about what? It, like the truth? The Something about the state, the condition, the thing that you recognized as, oh, this is... Like statism? Oh, this, oh, this is... This is all a game. This yeah. is wrong. You sat there and you said, something's wrong here. Yeah. I, recognize, I recognize this thing as wrong. I got to do something about this. It's up to me. I can be a person to make change. Like, what was that thing? And if, if there is that thing, what, what was it? When was it? And what was it? Well, I, I don't know if this answer will be sufficient, but it's a continual. Because it's not, there's no one defining thing. And without, throughout my whole life, I've held with me questions and um, questions and answers alike, both um, like answer. Nature is the answer, right? Question anything that man creates, anything that is in my existence, uh, anything that uh, could be the truth or may not be the truth. And those questions constantly seeking the truth would just lead you down the path of recognizing certain things. So I know that sounds like an answer that may not be uh, like, here's one specific event, but I'm sure that entitles uh, some different events. For instance, there were times where my parents uh, or my family was resistant to some of the ideas I said, right? That's part of the process. And now they're the ones saying the things I'm saying. I don't even have to say a thing. <laughs> so I can literally sit back and they're actually saying everything I'm saying. But now, being that I recognize those things first, and now I'm reflecting on what they're saying, I'm like, there might be a better approach to what is actually being said. So although we're all saying the truth, maybe there's a better way of approaching the truth. And that's where the emptiness and the questioning and stuff like that that I mentioned to you comes in. Um, so it's a continual process of, okay, got to find the truth, but then got to know how to act on the truth. These are two separate things. Because our society has been conditioned, one, away from the truth, and two, on acting on the truth. <laughs> both. So uh, you have to be able to navigate both. And some parts of it you have to be able to decipher, and other parts are going to decipher later in time. But you get there step by step. I wouldn't say it's a, it's a one-stop thing. If there was any awakening events happen in my life, there's only certain events that um, drive forth a mysterious mind. And mystery is the key to creativity. Mystery is the key to, um, at least in my view, um, being able to see the things other people can't see and therefore find the truth, being that the truth implies that it's not already in people's mind of accepted truth. Although what we're talking about is pretty darn basic. You would hope that most people would have it <laughs> as the current truth. So... <laughs> um, Nonetheless, we're, we're, we're getting there, but that's because we've detached from the simplistics in life. So it doesn't take hard for a mind to reach the simplistics with a little bit of time and reflection and nature, which is what I'm basically hammering home with in this whole interview. It's like nature is right there. It's right in front of you. Does it require some special practice? Does it require yelling into nature? No, unless that is your way of uh, coping with the society that you live in nature is always there for you. And um, you can always go into it, you could always walk, you could always breathe. I mean, it's it's the emptiness is there for your use. I, we build all these buildings, we build this technology with the emptiness, like we used it to our advantage. And I just want people to see that value in that. Because um, like I said, if you're given pieces of paper, if you're given a platform like the ones I'm creating, it can be your future. It can potentially create so much more things if you use it wisely. 
if you use it to your advantage. So that's all I did throughout my life. I carried with me questions and I used it um, through my journal and I used it uh, talking to other people. And eventually I found paths and I had to make choices, I guess you can say, in those paths. But each path, you know, would lead ultimately to the same conclusion because that's that's this reality. Everything comes back down the source. Um, but if you're trying to find the source itself, then you have to get past the blockade, so the false paths. And so you need to be reflecting on, um, am I doing something wrong? Not so much, am I doing something right? Like this is the apophysis that Mark Passio speaks of. So when I was um, doing all this in my journal, reflecting upon all this, then I came across Mark Passio's work. I said, wow, his stuff really brings it together. And I didn't expect um, him to word things and bring it together in the way that he did. Um, I never saw like a sort of seminar like that being done before. You know, again, I was coming from like the health background. Uh, I wasn't, I never looked at it like through this new lens of perspective and applying it to politics. And so um, he helped bring in, and he says this too, most people say he's not teaching them anything new. He's just bringing together what they already know, or he's able to facilitate and bring together all these different aspects of what they already know, or most people know. So that's, that's what he did for me as well. Uh, it's just bring it together into a structure, which is something I appreciate being an inventor. Uh, I've always created games and stuff like that. So curiosity is just my mindset. I have to run into truthful concepts. I have to run into things that are unorthodox or unconventional, because if not, I would cease to be me. <laughs> yeah. So that's your answer to, to the question. <laughs> um, I'm sorry if it's not like it's direct, but I'm I like to be creative because it's just who I am and I won't stop. It's yeah. hard for me to. Yeah, I just didn't know if maybe there was like a defining moment like where you were maybe not as confident or something. And, and next thing you know, this, this moment oh, happens. I definitely wasn't and, confident back then. Right. And then this moment <laughs> happens and then all of a sudden Corey's more, more confident, like, Oh wow. Like, no, there's a direction to this. There's, there's drive now, you know, like, Oh, these, these, um, these, these thoughts, these, these things that were, you know, weren't, I couldn't really confirm them and, and these curiosities and, and this, this, that, or the other, uh, now there's, now there's direction. All right. Now there's a, there, now I have some footing here and, yeah. and I can move forward. So I think natural law helps with that direction. Absolutely. Because again, it's providing some sense of structure. Same thing with the teachings of Taoism. You have a poetry book that is so profound. Uh, anybody can read even the youngest of ages and anybody can confirm whether it's from a scientific point of view or a spiritual point of view. Um, it actually works with every one of them. And it's not one that's trying to ask for profit or ask for any man-made thing. It's, it's looking, it can align perfectly to natural law. And I think that's very valuable. Um, it's providing even more structure. So the more structure you sort of build onto that pre-existing structure, you end up with um, a very tall, very strong building. Um, and it's able to withstand time, right? So um, I think like the goal is, is we're trying to create something that is very helpful for the world, you know, but we have to realize it's not, that's going to change even 100 years from now, the language we use, uh, the ideologies and stuff like that. And so um, being able to see the structure requires like, how did we start it started from nothing? <laughs> and like otherwise you can't keep the structure without the foundation the structure falls apart without the roots the tree falls so i'm just trying to remind people of those roots it's always been about that because if nature is the answer then it doesn't matter anything that i say it doesn't matter anything that we create 
is always something underlined that gives way to all of those things. And that is actually the most important thing for people to know, at least in my view, because it's what creates everything there is to know to begin with. So um, sort of just answered my own question for the Liberator 2 showcase. <laughs> but um, that's that's the truth. Like, unless somebody can come up to me and say, well, it's the cosmos or it's the universe and it's beyond nature. It's going to be part of nature at that point, because <laughs> I'm not I'm yeah. not limiting nature's definition to one specific thing. I'm saying that it's bound to change and, it, and it's this infinite, vast world that we live in. And so um, that's why we need to be able to be flexible and adapt to change. And especially if we want to help our fellow man reach our conclusions, we actually have to go down to their level, be willing to adapt, be willing to change and uh, see where they're at because I can alienate myself greatly um, being that I <laughs> am a younger individual who came across this information faster than other individuals. Um, as it is, I don't speak or write the same way as a lot of people. I don't even think the same way as some, a lot of people in many regards because I am just unconventional in the way I live and the way I do many things. And so um, some level of flexibility and seeing your own changes will allow me to not become too alienated so I can help people, which is my actual goal. <laughs> you, met, you, you just mentioned age. Why does that matter? Exactly. How, like how, how old are you anyways? What, what, how many years have you been here? It, it doesn't matter, does it? Exactly. <laughs> right. Does it? I don't know. Do I have to answer that question? Is that an no? Answer? You don't. It was. It was just a kind of a rhetorical question. Like, mm -hmm. it, yeah. so it doesn't really matter. This is the point. Yeah. It, People like, judge me my yeah. whole life about it. Because Again, there it's like present moment awareness. Like you know, what are you doing now? That's what matters. It doesn't People, matter how long you've been here. You the know? judgments I've received over my years, like for that, is uh, something I don't talk about much. But it's been crazy. So no. like there was a period of my life where I was fat. People were judging me for being fat. I never took it to mind. I ended up not being fat because I just took care of myself. I never had a bad mentality. I kept my, my mental in the game, right? I was always present minded of, I'm just going to do my best. You know, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but like that, it just, uh, it's just on my mind. Like it, it actually kind of bothers me. Sure. Um, that people would consider your, consider your age. Whatever, whatever it is, it doesn't matter to me. I, I can tell you're a younger guy. It doesn't fucking matter to me yes. because I, I because you're doing you're do like you're doing a lot, and like your actions speak louder than than it's oh let's attach a number and then let's yeah. let's form some sort of it's, higher, it's like an it's, ego it's for people. It's, it's dumb, you know. And it's like yeah, okay, life experience, blah 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 blah. Like okay, whatever. But dude, you're doing you're doing great stuff, so it doesn't matter. Thank you, but I, yeah, I mean, I have to consider some of it. I'm not going to disregard it completely because, like you just said, life experience. Absolutely, people who have lived longer in this reality can say they have more life experience. But I will also tell them and say, is experience and life experience your whole awareness? Like, can you not learn from awareness before experience? And then that's when they start to fall apart. Because they don't want to deal with the philosophy of things. They want to project their ego to find some sort of edge upon you as an individual living their life, which they might feel sad about themselves being that they woke up later in time. Um, and so that can happen with a lot of people in the truth movement. I've come across conservatives and people who are very 
stuck in their values. I can't come across enough uh, leftists because they won't even talk. Um, <laughs> but it's in the conservatives, you know, they're defending themselves and they're projecting their ego a lot on me when they're like, well, you haven't experienced this. And, oh, I was at the border. I was doing this. It's like, okay, cool. Awesome. Like I wasn't there. Do you expect me to just give into your argument just because of your own experience, just yeah. because of your age? Do you expect me to just leave the conversation be like all right i know nothing i should just not talk anymore like is that is that would that make them happy <laughs> you know or it's like oh okay i'll just listen to you and you know more than me and i should not have an opinion it's like that's like have, a, that's like yeah. a that's like a, a, a that that what you just said there like i should not talk i should just listen it's like a yes or massa like it's it's one of those things where it's just like where is this why is this hierarchy like what what is this hmm. you know this is not equality this is oh some sort of tag on my on my chest, you know, being like, hey, uh, I'm this I'm this age, and that means that like you're my superior because you're like a few more years or maybe twice as old as me. You're you're my superior now. Yeah, well, bro, it's like no, nah, dude. Uh, no, nah, I learned from everybody. I actually get along with a lot of people who are older. I don't know enough people who are my age. Um, <laughs> I can't find them, but that's the truth. And if I do, it's like they're on their phone and they're distracted. So there's there's problems in each generation. And I don't judge by age because there's too many different types of people. And I've run across people my age who understand the same knowledge as me. And I come across people my age who have many more experiences that I don't on other things. So it's like, I, I don't judge and judgment is for the limited mind. It's for the individual who has to find some sort of sense of ego um, for themselves, because the truth is reality is complex and it's full of mystery. And if you don't see that mystery again, you want to limit yourself and you're not going to be creative. Being a creative mind, I can't judge. I can make patterns and see different things that happen within life but even if i see that pattern i'm not going to take it for granted and say this is the way life is just because i found this pattern like statism is a pattern that i see right where there's a belief system and it leads to certain events and this and that but that goes back down to our nature and understanding how reactions occur cause and effect operating by law and it's something that we can quantify we can see throughout history and it happens over and over and over and over again it's like when will we learn <laughs> you know, it's like it's not like it's like it happened once or twice. It happened hundreds of thousands of times. And it goes against mere simple reality of just being honest or being ourselves or following our conscience. And these are things that we know we should do. So it's not like, again, we're arguing any like the impossible. It's not like we're arguing theoreticals. But um, people can assume it like that, again, because they want to attach their ego to it. Oh, I'm just going to assume it's a theory. I'm just going to assume that uh, you're just you have an opinion. I have an opinion. So let's just not worry about it while they still continue their immoral beliefs. Let's agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's agree to disagree so I can continue being immoral. And it's like, uh, no, I can't agree to disagree because you're wrong. You are wrong. And it's not like you're wrong. Like, oh, you gave the wrong answer on a math question it's like no you're wrong in your actions and you're in and you're, the consequences of your actions are hurting so many people mm -hmm. and it's like you're just wrong but it's not it, but then like again that's future-minded present-minded they're just not using their conscience so like we can use that okay. as an argument and be like yeah well you might hurt these people but then they'll be like well what if i don't and, and it's like then it's just everybody's just arguing about well possibilities now what we do know is the fact that an individual should follow their conscience well hold on if i were to, yeah well like but like it's there is a certain amount of like 
ever like ongoing present moment ongoing harm that's being caused due to this religion of statism when we're talking mm-hmm. about the theft of taxation these things are ongoing yes. and it's like in and, and advocation for this religion it there is you're also advocating you know of course for this ongoing harm so yeah. that's that's but i don't think people should actually look at just the harm they can actually look at just the action hmm. this is uh the difference between uh quant- consequentialism and other forms of uh philosophy that have been developed in like moral ethics and stuff like you can study all the fancy smancy terminology and all that but what i'm saying is like the action itself it that can be evaluated nonetheless the results of those actions they just give more credence as to the actions yeah. so like if somebody uh does not think for themselves we can think about, oh, well, you shouldn't think for you. You should think for yourself, because if you do, this will happen and this will happen and this will happen. But no, someone should just think for themselves because they're themselves. You see what I'm saying? That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, it, it's like because you can't think for someone else. Right. And, and that's it. It's something that we presently know. And you can ask someone like, hey, you know, do you know what is right and wrong? Like for yourself, like if I were to do something right now, like or, or if anybody were something that were to happen right now, instead of always the theoreticals or possibilities, because that's where they want to be. A lot of statists or people in that mindset, they want to ask, well, what will happen about this and what will happen about that? So if you c- turn the conversation about the future, they're going to want to make it into the future because yeah. they can still play with possibility just as much as you, but they can't deal with the present reality. They don't want to face it. Well, what about isms are always rooted in fear. Yeah. It's always, it's all fear. And it's, that's the thing that people need to conquer the, the, the most is their own fear. And that's your point about letting go and just mm-hmm. going with it. You know, it's like, there's things out there that, yeah, they're going to happen whether you like it or not. Yes. And, you know, but they're, they haven't happened yet and you don't know if they will. And it's just like, come on, you know, yeah. stop Do being so afraid. Stop being so afraid because you know what? The result of your fear is millions of people, billions of people are suffering and it's worse. It's just worse. Yeah, and including was, yourself. Which, it, yeah. Right, that's and, like a different scenario. <laughs> right. I mean, if you want to, if, if you're a sadomasochist, you can go right ahead and be in a voluntary consensual relationship with someone that you get to get your jollies and, and you know, live that kind of lifestyle. Go right ahead. But don't make me, <laughs> don't make me do that because I'm not yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't mean we might accept it either. Like if I don't like that, um, I, I can accept the fact that you might have a practice like that. But if I know it's going to start to affect other people and it is affecting other people, I'm going to start speaking up about it. Right. Like, yeah, but because people don't often see that the problems that they have, but they don't perceive as problems will eventually turn into problems. So like that's where vice can turn into crime or where um, alcohol usage, for example, although it's an individual action, can turn to a crime. Now, people have used that as a justification for law. That is a separate condition. I'm saying, obviously, that's not <laughs> moral either. Well, with alcoholism and everything, just as a brief as a brief adage to add on to what you're what you're saying about that, mm-hmm. um, and in my in my personal like lived experience with alcoholism and lived like experience with other people having been in programs been like this that was a big part of my life for a very long time and um it always seems to come back to like people want to blame and i'm not saying you're doing this but i'm just saying for the sake of saying it it's not the alcohol the those those desires are 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 latent in the person already they're there they exist 
there's something in that person's head and then the alcohol kind of draws that barrier away like it gets the barrier away you know and then the person's like i can go and do those things now you know it, oh yeah it can have good effects now. that's liquid, where liquid courage you yeah. know and it's like no it's not courage you're being a jerk you're acting like a dipshit right now you're about to go do something extremely just reckless yeah and you're gonna or or, or violent mm -hmm. i can't tell you how many times i've gotten into fights with people and it was i would have never done like i would I, if i were of of optimal consciousness in the moment i would have never have done those things i would have never have done the things i did to myself let alone the things i did to other people yeah if it weren't if if i had just not been drunk and i know that sounds like a piss poor excuse but it was an action i took drinking that put me in that state of mind where i thought i can go and do that now and i and i had the but like that was the problem it was a problem of consciousness it was a problem inside my head I had to do self-work and everything. Hmm. So this whole idea of like alcohol and, you know, it being like, oh, the, the, it was the alcohol. It's like, no, that, that stuff right. already exists in that person. The yeah. alcohol just is a conduit. Now, yeah. the work, what happens is the work is inward mm -hmm. and, and you fix that. And now, I'm sober. Uh, I pat myself on the back because it's a big fucking deal for me. And it's been almost three years. It's been almost nice. it's been two and a half two and a half years since the last time I had any alcohol, and that's fucking huge. I mean, I'm talking like twenty years of dealing with this and and with that struggle, and like wow. even before then, having accidentally drank alcohol, a uh, 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 call it a screw a screwdriver, but it's like alcohol uh, like vodka mixed with orange juice, mm -hmm. and my mother left it on the kitchen counter. And I thought it was just orange juice and I was just the right height. I was like five years old and I drank the whole cup and it was like a pint, a pint glass and I drank it and she's like, where'd my drink go? And I'm over mm. in the corner throwing up and, and like, I was like four or five years old when that happened. So yeah. I've had this like exposure to it for a long time, dude. And so for a per like, so it took a lot of inner work. You know, yeah. of, of, of reflection and being like, oh, shit, what's going on with me? What like, why do I turn to the drink? What's yeah. what's up with that? And it's like, oh, I could just be the regular Irish guy and be like, oh, it's part of my heritage. It's like, no, that's not yeah. good enough. that's not good enough. You know, you got to I want to change. All right. Where does that happen? It starts with me because mm -hmm. I'm the one doing these things. Yeah. And when I get into that state of mind, I turn into this monster. Well, why do I turn into that monster? Well, X, Y, and Z. Okay, how can I solve X, Y, and Z? Well, first you got to stop drinking. Okay, that's the thing. Like you got to stop doing that thing that brings the monster out, and then you can kind of tame the beast and keep it, keep it, you know, at bay, and yeah, kind of take it for a walk every now and then if you have to, <laughs> and like, and and then that's you know that's how it starts. But um, yeah. but yeah, it, there's a lot of people suffering from that, and it's not yeah. a disease. It's dis-ease, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like, oh, I'm sick. I'm exactly. Sick. It's like, no, you're just not at ease. You mm -hmm. need to figure out a way to balance your shit, man. Yeah. And like bring yourself together mm -hmm. you know, and, and find that inner inner strength to pull yourself together. And it starts, yeah. with, it starts with the person, you know, that's something that, you know, that Mark used to say a lot, uh, that stop doing this 
and start doing this. Point the finger toward yourself. What mm-hmm. sh- what's the what's my bullshit all about? Mm-hmm. What am I doing? You know, yeah. how, and how are those actions how, how are those actions affecting other people? Cuz you're never yeah. going to get anywhere. You're not going to even take the first step until you ask that one question, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. You know, I'll, I'll let you take it away from there. Enough with my little rant, but no, I think it's a great life story right there. Uh, very powerful. That's definitely, um, definitely like a good example of like somebody who's done shadow work, um, especially for like 20 years. Like that's crazy. And I know a lot, there's a lot of people, uh, especially in Florida who do drugs and alcohol and all that. And it drives me insane personally. Um, because these people, you can see they not, they're not themselves. And they need that to feel like they need to express themselves. And, I, and I'm like, could you have fun without it? I, it's It drives me crazy thinking it's like, wow, they don't know how to have fun without this. So it's an attachment and it's a desire that is taking hold of their life. And they're making their life depend on it as if it's another body part. And I, and I say that often because it's like, this is how illusion takes hold of nature. It takes its place. You know, so like I can't have fun without alcohol. I can't go somewhere without my phone. I can't be responsible unless I have the government, you know, it's like this, this type of thing. So yeah. please they, somebody tell me what to do. Please somebody, somebody yeah, yeah. tell me, you know, and it's very disempowering for people. Whereas it would be empowering to recognize that these shadows um, are extremes of one end to teach you of the balance, you know, uh, in life. So not that you'd, have a balance of alcohol usage, but it's called temperance. That's the word that has been used throughout history. I wanted to make a video about this temperance versus uh, prohibition, because just because somebody uh, thinks alcohol is bad does not mean that they have to use the law to (laughs) make it illegal. But that's where it went, you know, in the 1920s. But before that, the abolitionists were talking about temperance, they never called it prohibition. So I thought that was quite funny. um, in, In history, they weren't calling for the law to aid them. They didn't call for the law to aid them for ending slavery. If anything, the law was aiding the slaveholders. (laughs) So it's quite funny. Um, They were saying the same exact things we're saying now about having self-restraint, being able to get past those shadows. And so I would just end on that moment of recognizing that um, you you wouldn't be the first uh, of people who face shadows. And there's probably many other people out there who have shadows of their own. To, to face. So it's a process of getting out of those extremes in life and seeing that those extremes actually teach us uh, more about the balances in life, balancing ourselves, I'm saying, uh, being able to harmonize ourselves, harmony, balance, order, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> being able to then realize I'm not holding on or have burdens or attachments or obligations that will actually hinder my freedom, because that's what they do. So um, thank you um, for for having me. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate being on here for the Hitchhiker's Guide to Truth. So uh, I thank you for for asking all these different questions and just getting a unique conversation going uh, about the value and non-value and things that people don't like to value often in reality because they could actually be quite valuable if they take the time to look into it. <laughs> yeah, well, Corey, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Um, and... Is there, uh, was there anything else? I don't think there was anything else. We got it all in, I think, you know. Um, mm-hmm. thought there was a... Go to deliberator.us. I mean, that would be where I want to redirect people so they can get involved in the projects. Feel free for anybody out there. Deliberator.us, don't forget it. Uh, 
basically use it as your own news media platform whatever you want to do send me a, a message if you're confused if you don't know but i have a bunch of videos and a bunch of explanations on how you can share it uh what you can do send an article send poetry send music whatever it is get involved <laughs> we're all in this for the truth so it all can come to this one source where we can utilize um, more impact essentially excellent well thank you very much Corey. yeah thank you man are you going to go over some articles and stuff you said yeah i got i got some things to uh i got some right. things and i got some I'm things i'm gonna hang out with fam i'll see you later though peace out all right man i'll talk to you later Corey Angelot, everybody. Uh, yeah, go check out that website, theliberator.us. And um, so I kind of made a commitment to talking more about, you know, uh, talking more about, you know, the free press and talking more about government censorship, things like that. So I'm going to start by playing this video. Hold on. Let me just pull it up and hold on now. And we'll, uh, Pull this to the side. Sorry, I had to. I had all this pulled up and prepared a little bit earlier, but I had to like. I had to uh, close it out because, for whatever reason, my internet connection has been uh, a little shitty. So, um, let's let's go over from the beginning. I kind of have this mapped out, and. Basically, what I'm going to be getting at is just I want to I want to I wanted to highlight that, you know, the reason why we had a free press in this country laid out in the Constitution, not that, you know, of course, well, he's talking about the Constitution. Oh, my God. What an anarchist. But the thing is, is that the free exchange of information has always been the way that tyrants have been able to be kept at bay. So that's the important thing. That's why it, the in the First Amendment of the Constitution, the freedom of the press was installed. It wasn't, to, it wasn't necessarily supposed to be a segregated group of people were the press. No, they were talking about the press. As far as my understanding goes, it seems that they weren't just talking about people that made newspapers. They were talking about publication of information and that it was supposed to be anyone could do that. If we're talking about something that's right next to freedom of speech, freedom of the press, well, freedom of press, freedom of speech, these things are married to one another, which means that you know anyone is supposed to be able to do that. You don't need special credentials like a press pass or something like to be official. Like, oh, now I can do these. This now I have this right. No, everyone has the right to publish. Everyone has the right to, and that's what it means to be the press. So, um, so this is this is the thing. In the last hundred, <laughs> in the last hundred years, this country has been going through quite the metamorphosis and in here we are today dealing with a lot of the negative impacts the the negative the negative outcomes of these things so i wanted to uh start with this video that goes over operation mockingbird 
the CIA's covert media manipulation program. And then from there, we're going to talk about the Smith-Muntz Act then being repealed. The, the NDAA uh, repealed it back in 2010 or 2013. So this is kind of just drawing it out a, a little bit, but I'm going to uh, bring this in. And so all of the, everything that, that is being referenced for the most part, everything that's being referenced right now can be find found at freeyourmindne.com forward slash live. Scroll down into the description, into the show notes, and you will see all of the references, all everything I have over there. So this this video, including the full church committee report, uh, I've included a full book on PDF called The Invisible Government. I've included the 1977 Rolling Stone article by Carl Bernstein titled The CIA and the Media. So that's what goes along with this first video. And I wanted to make sure that you guys knew that right away and that uh, we're kind of citing our sources, which we'll get to later on and why that is so important. So we're in for a hell of a ride, folks. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a lo another long one. So without any further ado, I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to start playing this video. Of course, we're all familiar with fake news, but one term that we should popularize just as much is Operation Mockingbird. And it's something I covered in detail on my channel years ago, but it's been quite a long time and it's such an important and serious topic that I'm gonna do a very lengthy presentation on it by reading from my book, The True Story of Fake News, which came out at the end of 2017, because it's up to us to educate the American people about how the media functions and how it's colluding with the deep state to try to overthrow the Trump administration. A lot of people enjoyed the reading last week from the Liberal Media Industrial Complex, and so I think I'll make it a weekly series, if that's what you guys want. Uh, me here at A Hitchhiker's Guide to Truth do not endorse or support any political figure or party, so just don't throw the baby out with the bathwater here because the type of information that this guy is going to convey is important. He's obviously a statist, but we can learn a thing or two from what he's about to present. If it gets too crazy, I will cut it off, but rest assured, guys, I don't endorse what this guy's fucking saying. So anyways, let's continue. And Operation Mockingbird really is one of the most important topics when it comes to media period. No discussion about fake news would be complete without a thorough examination of the CIA's Operation Mockingbird, which at first sounds like a conspiracy theory out of the plot of a Hollywood thriller, but it is a very real and well-documented program that was exposed during a 1975 congressional hearing called the Church Committee. In the early 1970s, there were widespread allegations that the CIA was involved in a variety of corrupt activities, including spying on American citizens and even assassinating foreign leaders. The Church Committee was set up to investigate these reports, and one of the surprising things they uncovered was that the CIA had been covertly spending millions of dollars a year to pay key figures at major news outlets to work as government propagandists and gatekeepers. The scope of Operation Mockingbird is staggering. Thomas Braden, who helped lead the program, admitted, quote, if the director of the CIA wanted to extend a present, say, to somebody, suppose he just thought this man could use $50,000, that's $250,000 adjusted for inflation today, by the way, he's working well and doing his job, he could just hand it to him and never have to account to anybody. 
There was simply no limit to the money it could spend and no limit to the people it could hire and no limit to the activities it could decide were necessary. Such reporters could be considered to be members of the deep state using their position of influence to serve intelligence agencies rather than the news agency or their readers. These were people who would be given classified information to leak to the public, a practice that still goes on today, which we saw in the case of the transcripts of President Trump's phone calls and those of his advisors being given to the press after they were intercepted, which is obviously a serious felony. During the initial investigation into Operation Mockingbird, a congressman asked William Colby, who was then the head of the CIA, Do you have any people paid by the CIA? who are working for television networks. This, I think, gets into the kind of uh, getting into the details, Mr. Chairman, that I'd like to get into an executive session. Executive session meaning a closed session with only a handful of senators who were authorized to have access to classified information. Despite the CIA's attempt to contain the details and scope of the program, a lot of information was revealed, but many investigators believe that the full extent of Operation Mockingbird was never made public and insist the church committee's hearings were just a limited hangout, meaning, despite some damaging revelations, the true nature and scope of the program remained classified. Former special assistant to the deputy director of the CIA, Victor Marchetti, said that limited hangouts are used by the CIA, quote, when their veil of secrecy is shredded and they can no longer rely on a phony cover story to misinform the public, so they resort to admitting, sometimes even volunteering, some of the truth while still managing to withhold the key and damaging facts in the case. The public, however, is usually so intrigued by the new information that it never thinks to pursue the matter further. Frank Weiser, who led the Office of Strategic Services, which would later become the CIA, called Operation Mockingbird the Mighty Wurlitzer after the Wurlitzer jukebox because he and his operatives could get the media to play any tune that they wanted. The church committee also uncovered assassination plots, a frozen poison dart gun built by the CIA for such operations, poison pen letters, and other shocking activities, which was actually uh, sorry to pause it, folks. I find it important to mention that the CIA coming from the OSS, well, the OSS was modeled after MI6, which is British intelligence of the same uh, caliber. So we kind of see this relationship um, being built heavily upon <laughs> how we do things in America, basing in, the, well, let's let's say in the 20th century, how we started doing things in American government, modeling a lot of those things off of how the British do things in their government. So this is very important to keep in mind. Let's continue. Actually, their primary objective, discovering the CIA's media manipulation was an unexpected side effect. The Church Committee's final report on the investigation admits, quote, the Central Intelligence Agency has used the U.S. media for both the collection of intelligence and for cover, and that the CIA maintained covert relationships with about 50 American journalists or employees of U.S. media organizations. They are just a part of the network of several hundred foreign individuals around the world who provide intelligence for the CIA and at times attempt to influence opinion through the use of covert propaganda. 
These individuals provide the CIA with direct access to a large number of foreign newspapers, periodicals, scores of press services and news agencies, radio and television stations, commercial book publishers, and other foreign media outlets, end quote. Notice they stressed foreign outlets, which was just a diversion. The program was very much a domestic operation as well. Shortly after Operation Mockingbird was exposed, George Bush Sr., then director of the CIA, issued a statement saying, quote, the CIA will not enter into a paid or contractual relationship with any full-time or part-time news correspondent accredited by any United States news service, newspaper, periodical, radio, or television station <laughs> anymore. The CIA also claimed, quote, as soon as feasibly possible, the agency will bring existing relationships with individuals in these groups into conformity with this new policy. CIA recognizes that members of these groups, U.S. media and religious personnel, may wish to provide information to the CIA on matters of intelligence of interest to the United States government. The CIA will continue to welcome information volunteered by such individuals, end quote. The Church Committee report noted that, quote, of the approximately 50 U.S. journalists or personnel of U.S. media organizations who were employed by the CIA or maintained some other covert relationship with the CIA at the time of the announcement, fewer than one half will be terminated under the new CIA guidelines. It goes on to say, quote, about half of these some 50 CIA relationships with the U.S. media were paid relationships, ranging from salaried operatives working under journalists to cover to U.S. journalists serving as independent contractors for the CIA and being paid regularly for their services to those who receive only occasional gifts and reimbursements from the CIA. More than a dozen United States news organizations and commercial publishing houses formally provided cover for CIA agents. A few of these organizations were unaware that they provided this cover, end quote. The report also admits, quote, while the CIA did not provide the names of its media agents or the names of the media organizations which with they were connected, the committee reviewed summaries of their relationships and work for the CIA. During the church hearings, the CIA claimed that they never tried to engage in any clandestine use of staff employees of U.S. publications which have a substantial impact or influence on public opinion. But this is an obvious lie, and the report whitewashed such actions as fallout, which they described as unintended and incidental side effects of their propaganda, which they admitted spread through the U.S. media, not just the foreign press. They said this fallout in the United States was, quote, inevitable and consequently permissible, and there were no way to shield the American people from such fallout, end quote. A former senior official of the agency said in his testimony, quote, if you plant an article in some paper overseas and it is a hard-hitting article or revelation, there's no way of guaranteeing that it's not going to get picked up and published by the Associated Press in this country. The report also admitted, quote, the domestic fallout of the covert propaganda comes from many sources, books intended primarily for an English-speaking foreign audience, press placements that are picked up by the international wire services, press services controlled by the CIA, and direct funding of foreign institutions that attempt to propagandize the United States public and Congress. 
Even if they aren't officially paying reporters anymore, which is most likely a complete lie, the fact is that they openly invited reporters and executives to work with the CIA voluntarily, and the report admits that this relationship would be of great benefit to the careers of the journalists who take them up on that offer. The report also admitted that the CIA propaganda contaminating U.S. media, fallout as it's called, quote, occurs in virtually any instance of propaganda use, and that it is truly impossible to insulate the United States from propaganda fallout. It goes on to say, quote, the fallout problem is probably most serious when the U.S. public is dependent on the polluted media channel for its information on a particular subject. They even admitted that, quote, the propaganda effort had an impact on the American public and congressional opinion, end quote. One example was the CIA paying $170,000 to create pro-Vietnam War propaganda magazines in the 1970s, which were then distributed to American readers, including the offices of United States congressmen and senators. The CIA-funded magazine, which wasn't named, even sponsored American congressmen to travel to Vietnam. The Church Report admits that, quote, through this institution, the CIA engaged in propagandizing the American public, including its Congress, on the controversial issue of U.S. involvement in Vietnam. The report even noted, quote, the CIA recognizes that it risks seriously misleading U.S. policymakers, end quote, and that their propaganda might influence the thinking of senior U.S. officials or affect U.S. intelligence estimates, end quote, and no mechanism exists to protect the U.S. public and the Congress from the fallout of black propaganda or any other propaganda. The CIA also secretly ran various newspapers in foreign countries to take their propaganda to a whole new level and provide cover for CIA operatives. One paper was the Daily American in Rome, which was used by the agency to help influence Italy's electorate. Operation Mockingbird also funded the publishing of various books, although they refused to mention which ones. Former CBS president Sid Mickelson was later asked if he thought, despite these revelations, the CIA was still covertly working with reporters, and he answered, quote, Yeah, I would think probably. For a reporter, it would probably continue today. But because of all the revelations of the period in the 1970s, it seems to me a reporter has to be a lot more circumspect when doing it now, or he runs the risk of at least being looked at with considerable disfavor by the public. I think you've got to be more careful about it. It's interesting to point out that CNN's Anderson Cooper interned for the CIA during the summer after his sophomore year of college, and again the following summer while he was attending Yale University, a hotbed of the CIA. Radar Online reported in 2006 that, quote, Anderson Cooper has long traded on his biography, carving a niche for himself as the most human of news anchors, but there's one aspect of his past that the silver-headed CNN star has never made public, the months he spent training for a career with the Central Intelligence Agency. Cooper then confirmed his connections with the CIA in a blog post on CNN's website and said he decided not to talk about it publicly until Radar contacted CNN, telling them they were going to publish their story and were looking for a comment. By the way, my books are not available in stores. You can only get the paperback from Amazon.com or download the ebook from any of the major ebook stores. Because I'm the self-publisher, and even though I submitted copies for review to the Barnes & Noble stock department or whatever it's called, they just decided that they weren't good enough to stock on the shelves. Carl Bernstein, who worked for the Washington Post, and he blew the lid off the Watergate scandal, which led to the resignation of President Nixon in 1974, became an instant icon in the news business and gained a reputation for his continued investigations into government corruption and abuse of power. A few years after his Watergate bombshell, he left the Washington Post and for six months investigated the CIA's relationship with the press, leading to a cover story in Rolling Stone. 
While the church committee was reluctant to name names and news agencies, he certainly wasn't. He named some of the papers and reporters who had cooperated with Operation Mockingbird, including people at the New York Times, Newsweek, Time, the New York Herald Tribune, the Associated Press, and even his former employer, the Washington Post, although he did defend the paper, saying the publisher, Catherine Graham at the time, and managing editors, were unaware of the operation and claimed only stringers were involved. Was he protecting his former employer or treating the investigation into them with kid gloves? While that's likely the case, it's also possible that he was just in denial about their involvement, but his Rolling Stone story was still packed with information not mentioned at all during the church hearing. Bernstein wrote, quote, Journalists provided a full range of clandestine services, from simple intelligence gathering to serving as go-betweens with spies in communist countries. Reporters shared their notebooks with the CIA. Editors shared their staffs. CIA documents show journalists were engaged to perform tasks for the CIA with the consent of the managements of America's leading news organizations. He pointed out that part of the operation included using journalists to, quote, aid in the recruitment and handling of foreign nationals who are channels of secret information reaching American intelligence. He continued, quote, many journalists were used by the CIA to assist in this process, and they had the reputation of being among the best in the business. The peculiar nature of the job of a foreign correspondent is ideal for such work. He is accustomed to unusual access by his host country, permitted to travel in areas often off limits to other Americans. Spends much of his time cultivating sources in governments, academic institutions, the military establishments, and scientific communities. He has the opportunity to form long-term personal relationships with sources and, perhaps more than any other category of American operative, is in a position to make correct judgments about the susceptibility and availability of foreign nationals for recruitments as spies. He goes on, quote, the tasks they performed sometimes consisted of little more than serving as eyes and ears for the CIA, reporting on what they had seen or overheard in an Eastern European factory. On other occasions, their assignments were more complex, planting subtly concocted pieces of misinformation, hosting parties or receptions designed to bring together American agents and foreign spies, serving up black propaganda to leading foreign journalists at lunch or dinner, providing their hotel rooms or bureau offices as drops for highly sensitive information moving to and from foreign agents, conveying instructions and dollars to the CIA-controlled members of foreign governments. Do you understand what he just said there? International correspondents are literally used to give cash bribes to foreign officials. Bernstein even explained how unsuspecting journalists were recruited for the program. Quote, Often the CIA's relationship with a journalist might begin informally with a lunch, a drink, a casual exchange of information. An agency official might then offer a favor, for example, a trip to a country difficult to reach. In return, he would seek nothing more than the opportunity to debrief the reporter afterwards. A few more lunches, a few more favors, and only then might there be a mention of a formal arrangement. That came later, said a CIA official, after you had the journalist on a string. Could this explain how the Washington Post and the New York Times keep getting classified information leaked to them in order to damage the Trump administration? Are they willing servants of the deep state trying to bring down the president by any means necessary? Senator Chuck Schumer once gave an ominous warning to President Trump when he said that the intelligence agencies have six ways from Sunday to get back at you if they don't like what you're doing. Bernstein quotes one CIA official as admitting, in return for our giving them information, we'd ask them to do things that fit their roles as journalists, but that they wouldn't have thought of unless we put it in their minds. This was all informal and unofficial. The formal recruitment of reporters, Bernstein says, only occurred after they had been vetted with background checks to ensure they could be trusted as, quote, agents of the government. 
Journalists being considered had to sign non-disclosure agreements before the offer was even made, and Bernstein quotes an unnamed former assistant to the CIA director as saying, quote, the secrecy agreement was the sort of ritual that got you into the tabernacle, end quote. David Atlee Phillips, a former CIA chief operations officer himself, admitted that more than 200 journalists had signed non-disclosure agreements with the CIA, which Bernstein described as making up a good old boy network that constituted something of an establishment elite in the media, politics, and academia, who wrote, quote, propaganda for CIA proprietary publications. Once uncovered by the church committee, the CIA tried to paint Operation Mockingbird as something that only functioned to influence foreign press. But Carl Bernstein admits, quote, the CIA's use of the American news media has been much more extensive than agency officials have acknowledged publicly or in closed sessions with members of Congress. He goes so far as to say, quote, the use of journalists has been among the most productive means of intelligence gathering employed by the CIA. CIA Director William Colby admitted during the church hearing that people in management were involved, not just reporters, and they helped the CIA with the program. And while Colby wouldn't name names, Carl Bernstein pointed to William Paley, who was the president of CBS, Henry Luce, the founder of Time Magazine, and Arthur Hayes Slusberger, the publisher of the New York Times, who actually admitted the CIA had him sign a non-disclosure agreement. At least 10 employees at the New York Times were working as CIA assets or were actually CIA agents who the paper were providing cover for, often in their foreign press bureau. The CIA even had a training program in the 1950s which taught agents how to pretend to be journalists and were sometimes placed in major news organizations with help from management. It was All right, well, let's call it off there, okay? Clearly this... This video has a lot to do with things that happened back in the 60s and the 70s. The church committee, uh, you know, the, the church committee report was published in 1976, if I'm not mistaken. So it leads us to wonder, is this still happening today? Um, well, according to some people, the CIA has stopped, all right? And maybe they did for a while. That certainly seems like what they were trying to sell the public. A lot of the times what we see is the lid being blown off of these uh, these operations, and then the, some old geriatric politician gets wheeled out to explain it to the public, like the public is a bunch of fifth graders, and uh, and then... Oh, we're sorry. We're you know we're not doing that anymore. Like this, you know this George H. W. Bush back in like the eighties or whatever, and uh, and saying, oh yeah, we don't do that anymore. The same as you know, uh, who was it? Bill Clinton, who was like, oh, we apologize for doing MK Ultra. Oh, we don't do that anymore. It's like okay. It's it's like as if they're saying it, you know. Oh, they want us to drop our guard. But um, it leads me to the next the next video where we're gonna we're gonna get informed about the Smith Munt Act of the Smith Munt Act of 1948 being repealed uh, by and it's a oh, bipartisan legislature. Uh, legislation back in the Obama administration and the end of uh, Barack Obama signed it into law and blah, 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 blah. And uh, so this video is much shorter. Okay. So it's going to, and there's no dialogue. So um, 
This is going to be special for the viewing audience. And we're going to learn about the the repealing of the Smith-Munt Act of 1948. And let me, let me stop sharing that. We can get rid of that. One man band here. So let's make sure that that's correct. And we'll bring that in. Press play. If I turn the volume all the way down, I can read. Let me start this over. I'll read it. The U.S. Information and Educational Exchange Act of 1948, also known as the Smith-Munt Act, has ensured for decades that government-made media intended for foreign audience does not interfere with the United States. Uh, on May 10th, 2012, Mr. Thornberry and Mr. Smith... Oh, it's going too fast. No. <laughs> Hold on. To amend the U.S. Information and, Ex uh, and Educational Exchange Act of 1948 to authorize domestic dissemination of information and material about the United States intended primarily for foreign audiences and for other purposes. Go, go, go. This amendment was tagged on to the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act of 2013. It was voted on by the U.S. House of Representatives to be included in the following year's defense spending bill, which was then voted on. It was approved. Dun, 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 dun. Neutralizing acts that had been passed to protect U.S. audiences from their own government's misinformation campaigns. Propaganda that was supposed to be targeted, uh, supposed to target foreigners, could now be aimed at Americans, reversing a long-standing policy. The new law gives sweeping powers to the government to push television, radio, newspaper, and social media onto the U.S. public. essentially removing protection for Americans. The State Department and Pentagon now utilizes all forms of media against the American public for the sake of coercing U.S. citizens to believe whatever version of the truth the U.S. government wants them to believe. 2013, folks. This was passed 2013. The evaporation of Smith-Munt and other provisions to safeguard U.S. citizens against government propaganda campaigns is part of a larger trend within the diplomatic and military establishment. So, to sum it all up, the government has, been, has made it legal to perform false flags to brainwash you to further their agenda. All media is being manipulated. All media is being manipulated, including alternative media YouTube channels. Not this one. Not this one. Question everything. I endorse that. Yeah. Think for yourself. I definitely endorse that. <laughs> Truth versus the agenda. Is, is that the end? I think that's the end.
So we have in the show notes, uh, next would be to, hold on, uh, we're not, not watching that. In the show notes, next would be the uh, spooks in social media. So let's, I'm going to pull that up. And this is a pretty long article, but um, what I wanted to do was at least make sure that we shared this and, and got this on here. All right. So spooks infiltrate silicon. You got, wait, it's that, that's not shared. Okay. Let's get that up there. Headline. This is from the dailymail.com. This was um this was posted. This was published on uh December 22nd of 2022. Okay. Uh spooks infiltrate Silicon Valley. Facebook is riddled with ex-CIA agents, including President's Briefer, who now runs the quote harmful content team. So many ex-FBI work at Twitter, they have Slack channel, and Google is rife with ex-CIA. So this, if you want to read this article, it's a very, it's actually a very long article. We can watch this little video here in just a moment. It's only a minute and 46 seconds long. You get a good kind of a little bit of a look at this dirtbag who used to, uh, in the video posted on Facebook's website, Aaron Berman. Okay. This is the, this is this guy who we're going to watch in this video. He was the president's former briefer at the CIA explained in, in the video. He explained how he is the manager of quote, the team that writes the rules of Facebook unquote. Um, so it goes into him specifically a lot, right? So Deborah Berman, Aaron Berman, uh, is this his wife or is this just a coincidence that they have the same last name? But so in this article, we go down the list and it just, it names names. Chris Rose, he's a political and counterterrorism analyst at the CIA before joining Meta, which is Facebook now, Meta's oversight board. Uh, Deborah Berman, former intelligence analyst at the CIA, now working as trust and safety manager for Meta. Uh, Brian Weisbard, former CIA intelligence officer, now employed as Director of Trust, Safety, and Security and Data Privacy at, uh, at Meta. Cameron Harris, CIA analyst turned Meta Trust and Safety Project Manager. Scott Stern, CIA targeting officer, now working as Senior Manager of Risk Intelligence at Meta. Mike Torrey, senior CIA analyst, now Meta's technical head of detection, investigations and disruptions of complex information threats. Hagen Barnett, CIA contractor, who is the head of harmful content operations at Meta. Gina Kim Sumilis, former lawyer for CIA, now works at Facebook. Emily Vacher, Va whatever. Former, C former FBI uh, supervisory special agent who now serves as Meta's director of trust and safety. What a creepy smile. It looks like a fit, like it looks like a mask or some weird filter to make you look like a human cartoon character. Uh, sorry, it's such a low level to go, but these people are low, so meet them at their level, right? My uh, Mike Brado former USAID Deputy Director of Policy, now working on misinformation policy at Meta. 
Jeff Lazarus, former economic and political analyst at the CIA, now working in Meta's strategic response department. Uh, Olga Belagolova uh, worked at the State Department and the Office of the Secretary of Defense before joining Facebook as its policy manager. Corey Ponder, ex-CIA senior targeting analyst. Senior tar- he's targeting seniors, folks. That's a joke. Come on. It's a comedy, it's a comedy show. Corey Ponder, ex-CIA senior targeting analyst, now working as a senior strategist at Meta, focusing on creating equity and well-being. Haley Chang, former FBI lawyer, now working as the director of associate general counsel for Meta's cybersecurity and investigations team. Get a look at this guy, Robert Flame. Uh, Meta's head of strategic platforms who spent more than 20 years in FBI. Daniel Aragnovich. Let's go with that one. Director for Intelligence at the National Security Council, who is now the Director for Global Threat Disruption at Meta. And he has a Twitter post here saying, good people doing one of the hardest hardest jobs in tech don't deserve to become political footballs for a a manic billionaire or for ladder climbing opportunists. Nathaniel Gleischer, former director of cybersecurity policy for the NSC, joined Meta as head of, sec- of security policy. Jeffrey Gelman, former NSC, uh, national I think that's National Security Council and State Department official who became the policy communications manager at Facebook. Aaron Clancy, political advisor at the State Department turned public policy manager at Meta. Jim Baker, <laughs> Jim Baker, uh, who before serving as de- deputy general counsel for Twitter, held a similar role for the FBI. And he's now under fire for meeting secretly with some of his former colleagues at the bureau. So Jim Baker, the embattled Twitter lawyer who used to work for the FBI. Matthew Williams, intelligence program manager at the FBI, who became a senior director at Twitter. Kevin Mc- McKellena. Uh, an FBI intelligence analyst for more than a decade before becoming Twitter's senior corporate security analyst. Then uh, the list goes on and on and on. And you can get all of the names for yourself. All the nice, bright, smiling faces who are willing to brainwash you and deceive you and to do all of these terrible things to you, uh, to your mind manipulate you into whatever they choose to get you to believe in here in this article okay let's scroll back up and get a closer look and watch this guy's little chunk of chunk of the interview here my name is Aaron. I've been with Facebook for two years now. I'm a product policy manager. What does your job entail? We're part of the team that writes the rules for Facebook. If something violates our standards for safety and security, what Facebook could, should, can do. You and your team are faced with very important decisions, especially when it comes to content. There's very little agreement whether we should be leaving more content up, taking more content down with any particular rule or issue that we're looking at where something has come up where the rules are not 100% clear. We're not going to make everybody happy. How does your team work on that? 
Transparency is incredibly important in the work that I do. How do we think about the balance between harmful content and protecting freedom of speech? It's a balance. Does it ever make you feel uncomfortable to be put in a position where you're having to draw the line? Yes, and I think it should make me uncomfortable and all of us who do this work. If 99% of the people are expressing themselves, sharing their family photos, exchanging ideas, and 0.001% are encouraging violence or spreading harmful content, that can ruin the thing for everybody. These decisions can have real effects on people. We are developing rules and policies without regulation. We're really navigating that space as best we can. Why would updating regulations help you? Regulation can help us better define what is acceptable and what's not. I think a standardized approach would help platforms all across the board actually give us guidelines where right now there's very few. Technology has changed so quickly, we need the legislative and regulatory space to catch up. Regulation can help us better define what the bounds of those rules should be. Okay, so that's enough of that. We got that on the record, and I've shared that link in the uh, the comments of the YouTube channel. And again, uh, these will all of all of the links, everything will be made available after the show is done on all of the other platforms. I will go in in post production and make sure that the links are available for the replay. If you're interested in getting any or all of the links, all of everything that I'm including in the show tonight, come over to freeyourmindne.com forward slash live. Scroll down. The description on that page includes everything right now as the show is live. So next on the agenda, now that we've established that there are former government agents, and wrap that word in quotes, former government agents working in let me let me stop sharing the screen hold on let's just get rid of it former government agents working in uh social media tech you know companies um are they former who knows <laughs> i'm leaning toward you know that they're that they're not and if anyone is familiar with the the next thing that I'm going to highlight, we're going to watch this video. It's 11 and a half minutes long, and it's kind of a it, it's it's a fun video. It's going to make you chuckle, but it's also going to make you kind of open your eyes a little bit and say, "Hey, what the heck?" Um, if you're not aware of this, we found out last year, right around Thanksgiving time, that the Department of Homeland Security uh, there was an article, you know, that it, it leaked that the Department of Homeland Security, um, that uh, they, the, the uh, social media companies conspired with the government or vice versa. So they were working together. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to watch this video here. Let me, again. Um, and uh, let's get that in there. So this guy's pretty funny, but we're going to watch it together. And welcome back to the show. Yeah, it's been a while, but uh, here I am. And we're jumping straight into some interesting shit that happened a couple of days ago. I wonder if you're familiar with what happened with a very interesting story. I think it's a very actually big story that a lot of people might not know about. It's 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 kind of scary that this thing, this story actually happened. So um, this, the DHS leaks. So basically what happened was the the Department of Homeland Security has been colluding with social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, 
MySpace? Bullshit! <laughs> obviously not, they don't exist. But yes, obviously not TikTok. I'm sure TikTok, Chinese owned, they weren't, they weren't interested in that one. I like China. China! But they have been colluding with uh, the major tech companies. So you're basically the people, the public square. The stuff that came out is, is a, quite a bit scary. For example, uh, documentary on Facebook and Twitter closely collaborating with Homeland Security, FBI to police disinformation. Yeah, it's always a difficult disinformation, misinformation and malinformation. Those are the three things that they removed. Um, plans to expand censorship on topics like withdrawal from Afghanistan, origins of the COVID information undermines the trust of the financial institutions. I mean, isn't isn't that like isn't that just crazy to you? They have been doing this. They they they've been. I mean, I think it started in 2018. They kind of only kicked really kicked in mid 2019. I mean, one of the the, the big ones that they. They removed that was apparently misinformation was the hunter biden laptop fbi agent laura was in communication with facebook and led to the suppression of the hunter biden laptop story over the false allegations that it was disinformation like now, just focus in on that one for one second quickly the new york post had their twitter account suspended because they posted the story they posted the documents that came from the exact laptop hunter biden left his laptop with a guy the guy went to the New York Post and gave them all the information he had copied. The FBI then came and picked up that laptop. Then the New York Post posted the story. When that happened, they came out and they contacted Twitter, Facebook, and they asked them to shut the story down, knowing that the laptop was real. <gasps> Facebook, Twitter, and these guys were like, oh no, this could be fabricated. That was their argument. When questioned about it, they didn't say anything about contacting, being in talks with the FBI or any of the government agencies. They said that they took it under their authority that it looked like that. Without, they made an assessment and decided it was misinformation. It ended up not being a misinformation. Get the fuck out of here! No, I cannot! Maybe in your opinion, it didn't make that big of a difference. But to a lot of people, especially at the time during that voting period, it was really hectic. So you had, in essence, you had a government agency meddling with the public square in order to push a narrative or to hide a narrative. And I mean, that should scare you. I mean, that should scare you very much. No company, no government should be able to do that. I mean, again, it's against the law to do that. My Lord, is that legal? I will make it illegal. I think in America it is. The government cannot interfere <laughs> with free speech, but like they're using their power to suppress certain, certain stories. I mean, like, you know, funding that the government sent to the COOF laboratory, um, you know, origins of the COOF, um, the story that, you know, the the COOF medicine uh, somehow stops the spread. Remember that one? Right. Instead of the virus being able to hop from person to person to person, potentially mutating and becoming more virulent. Rachel Maddow, right? Road Scholar and drug resistant along the way. Now we know that the vaccines work well enough that the virus stops with every vaccinated person. A vaccinated person gets exposed to the virus. The virus does not infect them. The virus cannot then use that person to go anywhere else. Horseshit! We've been studying germ theory <laughs> for, for 200 years and going like, this is not how that works. They were, they had their counts removed. They had... They were doctors, experts who had their entire livelihoods lost because you had social media and their fact checkers, along with now the DHS, who actually told them that they can't say these things. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. That is very scary. That is a scary world to live in. 
um, it's 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 insane. I mean, it's it's actually crazy. I mean, there's a, and, and and another thing about it is like it kind of only goes one way. You know, I mean, there's a couple of things. I made a little list of certain things. We had the Russian collusion story for four years where the media came out and straight up told us that politicians, everybody going, this guy is a Russian agent. Do you believe the president right now has been an agent of the Russians? Yes, I, I think there's more evidence than he is. Based on absolutely bullshit, nothing. There was, uh, what was there? The JC Smollett thing, you know, like, ah, oh, you know, these two guys jumped me screaming, this is MAGA country. And I mean, he said, this MAGA country punches me right in the face. Bullshit. I mean, what other stories were there? The Covington kids, uh, Brett Kavanaugh rape, the Trump P tape. CNN learning tonight that Hillary Clinton's campaign and the Democratic National Committee helped fund the research which led to the controversial and frankly, uh, salacious and disgusting in some of its allegations dossier that detailed alleged Russian efforts to help Donald Trump's presidential campaign. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. There was no, there was no narrative stopping these stories. It, it, it only always tends to go one way. I mean, have you ever seen the fact checking by Facebook? It's, it always leans to one side of the sort of political spectrum. And you're going, well, oh, what, what does this kind of stuff matter to a South African? It, it kind of does because social media platforms have the ability to be paid by government or be forced by governments to allow them to, to censor specific stories that are important during specific times, especially as important as during an election. That's, that's not good. I mean, our, our government is corrupt as corrupt can be. There has been recognition of corruption in the ANC. I wouldn't want them to have the ability to contact social media and go like, we need to quash the story. Oh, like the president did something terrible and this just came out now. Now, like media companies and news agencies are just squ are being squashed because, you know, like, well, you know, the government, these, these social media platforms have allowed them to, allowing them to. And I mean, it's also quite funny that it's happened this round about right now, just as Elon Musk acquires Twitter, my kind of conspiracy theory about i think what actually is at play here all right i don't know if i really care about his conspiracy theory that's actually at play here but i'm going to give him one more minute to hold our attention and maybe we can see this one through you know with this entire story of the leaks coming out uh, i mean like he just bought twitter and along with twitter he's buying receipts he's buying any mail is is safe it's on their servers he has access to every single mail, anything, everything that they've done for the last 10 years. He has these receipts and maybe they were thinking, again, I'm just speculating. Maybe they were going, oh shit, he's got this. We better come out. We better get ahead of the story before he comes out with the story. And it could be worse. But I mean, like the thing is, this is one of the stories where people don't, I don't think they understand the depth and the scariness of it. And I mean, another thing that just happens right after that, and I'm going, huh? Like really? Is this? It's like Democrats demand national security investigation into Saudi Arabia's stake in Twitter under Elon Musk. You're going, wait, just for reference, the person they're talking about is a Saudi prince who has had a stake in Twitter for the last, I think, what, 10, 20 years? 10 years or something? Never did they ask for an investigation then. Oh. All of a sudden now, you see, you see how things skew to one end. It's, it's, eh, like, I mean, if you don't see it, then then like I'm sorry that then you're blind. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's help for you. Just read things. Read things and be try and be impartial. Anyway, that's all I have. I thought it'd be interesting to see. Um, also, oh, just before. All right. Well, that's all he has. So that's all. That's all we need to hear from him, right? So um, I have 
I have the next thing here that I wanted to share is something I shared a while back on the show, but we're going to share it again. This is the article from that he is talking about from The Intercept. Again, it's in the show notes. It will be. It, so um, I wanted to talk about the, the key takeaways here, this section right here. So the key takeaways from this article is, though the DHS, Department of Homeland Security, shuttered its controversial disinformation governance board, uh, Nina Jankowitz was supposed to be the head of that, and it was a, it was a mess, if you can remember that. But uh, a um, let's see, the blah, 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 shutters the disinformation governance board. That was basically, like, if you think of George Orwell, 1984, it's like the Ministry of Truth, okay? Um, a strategic document reveals the underlying work is is ongoing. So this is what they do. They make it public. They gauge the public's response. If the public's not going for it, they tell us that it's not going on anymore. But we don't, the thing that a lot of people don't realize is that these projects, they still go on behind closed doors. They They retreat and then they find a different way to flank and they try to find a way to infiltrate and to make the thing acceptable so they they probe the public it's not acceptable retreat reorganize adapt and then come back at it again and then they that's that's the strategy okay the dhs plans to target inaccurate information on the quote the origins of the COVID-19 pandemic and the efficacy of the COVID-19 vaccines, race justice, U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan and the nature of the, but all right, let's, this last one is the most disturbing. Facebook created a special portal for DHS and government partners to report disinformation directly. What this means, if you read this article, is that you find out that they had a way to direct to to directly contact multiple social media platforms in order to tell those platforms what was or was not acceptable information that people were posting they had the ability to uh to and they 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 put it under the guise of suggestion but you fall but you you know we can use hindsight to find that these people in social media companies, I've already pointed out today that in Twitter and Facebook, the CIA, the FBI, these agencies, they're in there already. Who do you think are the liaisons from the DHS to the Facebook to Twitter? It's the same people that are filling the roles. All right. So, you think that it was like this is this is from this is for and I'll get to if you missed this one if you missed this article from the intercept let's go back up here when was it published let me see if i can find october 31st 2022 note that date cuz we're going to get to another article that was posted the same exact day that and the the next the the other article that was posted on October 31st of 2022 is the article that everyone was paying attention to while this one was circulating behind you know behind the veil okay that's another tactic so but um what i was getting at and i kind of lost my train of thought there anyways we're going to stop sharing this next on the show card. 
I know I'm just like rapid fire. Bing, 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 bing. Um, next on the show card, let me refresh this page. Um, all right. We're going to watch. We're going to watch this video of this this woman testifying she's a journalist or whatever let's let's just watch the video and um and get this on the record here and we'll see about she's testifying in front of the um she's testifying in front of congress i believe but and it's about it's about government censorship so so there. Uh, let's watch it. My name is Emma Jo Morris, uh, politics editor at Breitbart. Um, I'm here today because I published a series of news stories three years ago in October of 2020 about Hunter Biden's now infamous laptop, also known as the laptop from hell, uh, which is seen as some of the most scandalous reporting of the last decade. Um, what was more scandalous than the reporting itself, though, was the fact that it exposed the unholy alliance between the intelligence community, social media platforms, and legacy media outlets. At the time, I was deputy politics editor at the New York Post, and um, my reporting showed that despite then-candidates Joe Biden's repeated and furious denials, he was apparently involved in the foreign business deals of his family. Over several days, just weeks before Americans would vote for their next president, I revealed verified, authentic emails from the Biden Scions hard drive showing Ukrainian business partners receiving leaks from the Obama White House. I documented an off-the-books meeting between then-Vice President Biden and a Ukrainian energy executive and introduced the world to the big guy um, who got action on a deal with CEFC, China Energy Company. The Post published exactly how the material for the reporting was obtained, even identifying our sources, um, as well as a federal subpoena showing the FBI was in possession of the material the story was based on and had been since December of 2019. Um, but when the stories appeared on social media that morning, the venue where millions of Americans go to find their news and editors to get their angles, uh, within hours the reporting was censored on all major platforms on the basis of being called hacked or Russian disinformation. Um, Twitter refused to allow users to share the link to the stories, banned the links from being shared in private messages, a policy, by the way, that's used to clamp down on child porn um, and lock the post out of its verified account. Facebook said it would curb distribution and reach of the links on its platform. However, the stories were not based on hacked materials, nor were they Russian disinformation. And despite those claims appearing to come out of thin air at the time, we would eventually learn that they actually didn't come out of thin air at all. On October 19th, five days after the Post began publishing, Politico ran a story headlined, Hunter Biden's story is Russian disinfo, dozens of former Intel officials say. God, I can't even say that with a straight face, you know? <laughs> Politico printed a letter completely uncritically from veteran members of the U.S. intelligence community falsely claiming that the post-exposé has, quote, all the classic earmarks of a Russian information operation. My God. <laughs> Most notable among the signatories of that letter were Jim Clapper from 
former DNI, Michael Hayden, former CIA, John Brennan, former CIA, despite having such damaged credibility following their participation in the Russia collusion conspiracy theory. A few days later, on October 22nd, when Biden appeared in the second presidential debate and was uh, confronted with the facts of the Post reporting, he said to Trump, quote, 50 former national intelligence professionals said this, what he's accusing me of is a Russian plot. But it was not, um, and he knew that. Now, fast forward to this year, three years later. Just last spring, House investigators revealed it was a call by now Secretary of State Antony Blinken to former acting CIA Director Michael Morell that prompted the spy letter published by Politico, which bypassed agency approval processes that would have been normally applied. It is also now known that ahead of my reporting, federal agencies were priming social media companies to execute an operation to discredit it. According to internal documents released by Elon Musk upon his acquisition of Twitter, the FBI and other intelligence community members essentially directed the platform's censorship operation, in part externally by working with top management and in part internally by social media companies hiring eye-popping numbers of agency alumni. Journalist Michael Schallenberger reported, based on documents he obtained from Musk, that during all of 2020, the FBI and other law enforcement agencies repeatedly primed Twitter executives to dismiss reports of Hunter Biden's laptop as a Russian hack and leak operation. Feds arranged for top secret security clearances to be granted to Twitter management and even had encrypted messaging networks set up, which they dubbed a virtual war room. To this day, hundreds of people from the intelligence community work at social media companies. Over the last few years, my reporting has been confirmed by virtually every mainstream news outlet, from the Washington Post to the New York Times to Politico, when the stakes were nothing, by the way, two years later. No one denies that the laptop is real, that the origin story is exactly what I told you it was in the first place. This elaborate censorship conspiracy wasn't because the information being reported on was false. It was because it was true, and it was a threat to the power centers in this country. What this relationship between the U.S. government officials and American corporations represent is, is an unprecedented push to undermine the First Amendment, the right to think, write, read, say whatever we want, and how we respond will determine whether we see a free press as inalienable or as optional. Thanks. All right. Well, you know, that's how it, that's how it always goes, right? Um if we can look back on just the last handful of years, all right, here's what, here's what we can do since what, and I, again, I'm going to belabor the point here. We don't endorse political candidates. We don't, we don't vote. You know, we don't, we don't do that. We don't contribute to the violent system. Uh, I wish they would stop being so violent, but my point is, is that, if we can remember when DJ Trump was running for president back in 2015, uh, when, when he announced was what, like 2000, it was probably 2015, 2000, uh, yeah, somewhere around there. It was like almost immediately it almost felt immediately that he's like a Russian agent, you know, they've been drumming up this, they've been drumming up this fear of Russia uh, more recently, you know, like heavy, like being so heavy handed about it. And so it's just, you know, it's almost like they've 
been planning this. <laughs> What's going on today over in your uh, over in uh, over in Russia with Ukraine and all that stuff? Um, so this is some really striking evidence. You know, we're just we're just revealing it here. You guys think of it what what you want, uh, and trying to provide as much source material as possible. Next on on the agenda for this evening is one of my favorite channels to to watch and we're going to watch this one in its entirety from front to back we're going to think of this as um, the first part of tonight's intermission so we're going to get through intermission then i have the other article that was published on october 31st of 2022 and then my, the final segment of the show, which I did, I did last week, and I think I'm going to start doing this every week. Where the final segment of the of the show will be, I had to watch it. Now you have to watch it. <laughs> Sorry, but some of the things that I run into while accumulating these lists, aggregating all of this stuff, uh, is is pretty disturbing. And I have some choice words to say about it. And it just goes to show, like, what is what is being put out there anyways we'll get to that we'll cross that bridge when we get there i don't want to get ahead of myself so let me drag this over here get rid of that come back over here do this and then do that so we're gonna we're gonna watch this uh this production from truth stream media this production is called um oh hold on let me get it's called "Finally a Win for Free Speech." It was pu it was published on Odyssey on September 29th of 2022, and we're gonna watch this, and it's gonna be fun. So on the other side, we'll talk. About, we'll play this on 1.25 speed. Shave off a little bit of time. And on the other side, we'll kind of talk about this. This is going to lead us into kind of a little bit of different territory. So we're going to be shifting gears after this, after this video, but it's going to be great. So enjoy. All these people talk so eloquently about getting back to the good old fashioned values. Well, as an old poop, I can remember back to when we had those old fashioned values. And I say, let's get back to the good old fashioned first amendment of the good old fashioned constitution of the United States and to hell with the censors. That is a give me knowledge or give me death. Kurt Vonnegut. So there's finally some good news and at least some chance for a positive solution in terms of free speech online. After years of repression, censorship, shadow banning, being buried in the algorithm, hidden from view, uh, having subscribers not be. Sorry, I'll pause this right here because, you know, my buddy John here in the in the chat actually makes a very good point. I just saw that movie Oppenheimer too, and John says even the movie Oppenheimer, as good as it was, seemed to stoke the fear of nuclear standoff. You're absolutely right, dude. One hundred percent correct. That I believe is the exact purpose of that movie coming out at this exact time um, to stoke the flames of nuclear standoff, 
to get people to be like, oh yeah, those dirty commies. Oh yeah, the dirty Russian commies. Yeah, okay. So as good of a film as it was, as well done as it was, Nolan doesn't, uh, no, Nolan very rarely disappoints. I think the only time Nolan, Christopher Nolan has ever disappointed, and I might even deserve a couple lashings for this, but it was Dark Knight Rises was kind of an anticlimactic finish to the trilogy of the Dark Knight trilogy that he did. But anyways, I digress. Good point, John. Thank you for being here tonight, buddy. Onward with the video. He recommended content, having search queries impossible to find in the name of misinformation uh, and balancing content and protecting users, hiding what's harmful. Uh, millions of content creators, publishers, uh, independent journalists, and others have been censored online. It's affected nearly every channel that I've ever followed on the internet. It's affected us personally. It has really stifled dissent. It has really stifled free speech and the sort of free discussion that we should all want in a free society. It's a lot of freeze. But there's finally some good news in terms of freedom of speech online. And that comes in, in the form of a Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals decision that looks very promisingly like it would put an end to at least outright censorship on social media giants who are increasingly being seen legally from a court's perspective and just in a general day-to-day -day public perspective as the new public forums, the new digital public squares online where discussion should thrive. Twitter and Facebook and YouTube lose. The First Amendment wins. This is from Alex Berenson. A federal appellate court just blew up the absurd argument that the world's largest carriers of speech and journalism can censor views they don't like. Next stop, the Supreme Court. If you'd like to read this article in full, I've provided a link to it in the show notes. And this is a case where the federal appeals court, in this case the 5th District, struck a massive victory for freedom of speech. In a brilliantly argued 90-page decision, the 5th Circuit Court of Appeals ruled in favor of a Texas law stopping the biggest social media companies from censoring their users. Government censorship is one form of control. It is also possible for newspapers and other forms of communication to be controlled by private interests. In the case surrounds HB 20, the Texas law, which was passed approximately a year ago, September 2021, that would prevent social media companies from banning users based on their political opinions, their ideologies. I thought I told you to kill that story. It'll cost us a lot of advertising. If that story goes out. And it was passed by conservative lawmakers who've charged basically that uh, the social media companies are part of a dangerous movement to quote silence conservative ideas and religious beliefs but this is not about conservatives versus liberals this is about any type of dissent against basically the prevailing ideologies of the day uh, one of the texas representatives said at the time at this point a small handful of social media sites drive the national narrative and have massive influence over the progress and developments of medicine and science social justice movements election outcomes and public thought the ruling will likely be appealed to the Supreme Court, setting a hugely important battle. If the High Court confirms the Fifth Circuit's view, companies like Twitter will mostly lose the power to censor their users for legal speech. If not, their censorship could become even more aggressive. And if books and newspapers and the radio are efficiently controlled, the people will read and accept exactly what the few in control want them to. So this temporary victory over the Texas House Bill 20 
that prevents social media companies with more than 50 million uh, viewers from censoring based on political and speech opinions uh, is probably going to go be tested at the Supreme Court. And what's decided there could affect the entire span of discourse and free speech on the Internet. Because if they affirm that, yes, uh, these social media platforms are carriers of the public message, are basically forums and public squares, then their ability to limit speech will be severely curtailed, as I believe it should be. On the other hand, if they strike down this decision and poke at whatever its flaws might be and come up with an alternate view of things, it could embolden them that they would have a right to shut down other people's free speech on the basis of their free speech. Now, at the heart of the issue was the argument on the side of social media giants that it is their First Amendment right to censor and shut down things they don't agree with because it's their platform publicly uh, open but privately owned. Uh, on the other hand, the lawyers in this case have argued that no censorship is not an expression of their free speech, it's mainly a curtailment of the user's free speech, the Davids in this Goliath scenario. And so Berenson talks about uh, how it's common and uh, mostly directed at conservatives at this point, but in another political cycle, it would be targeted at liberals, and then I guess things would flip and, and conservatives might cheer curtailing free speech and liberals would decry it. Uh, I think everyone should have free speech and that shouldn't be the way to win arguments is to just shut down people's ability to make those statements or reach people. And that they've also been targeting, <laughs> as you know, people who are skeptical about COVID interventions and vaccines. Basically, you can't even talk about that issue or even use those terms on YouTube, not in a, in a critical way without being shut down and censored or at the very least buried. A community rates low on an information scale when the press, radio, and other channels of communication are controlled by only a few people. Are controlled by only a few people. And when citizens have to accept what they're told. Have to accept what they're told. Social media companies have successfully argued in other cases that their own First Amendment rights allow them to clamp down on users with opinions they don't like. For instance, in a little-known 2018 case, a lawyer for Twitter told a judge in the San Francisco circuit that the company had a right to censor black people and other protected groups. Does Twitter have the right to take somebody off its platform if it does so because it doesn't like the fact that the person's a woman or gay, etc., etc.? And they said the First Amendment would give Twitter the right, the lawyer said. However, in this most recent case involving the Texas law, judges Andrew Oldman and Edith Jones rejected that view, distinguishing between the company's ability to say what they like, including commenting on users' posts and their right to censor. The judges noted that the issue of discrimination based on political viewpoints is even larger than social media companies. Uh, it would extend, basically, to mobile phone companies, email providers, even banks, canceling the accounts of people uh, sending emails, making calls, spending money, who might support disfavored political parties, causes, candidates, issues. And we've already seen this nightmare play out during the stuff in Canada with the truckers. People supporting the truckers had their bank accounts shut down across international borders because the Prime Minister of Canada didn't agree with their form of protest. It's outrageous. And the fact that this is all global is only making it more complicated, but Americans' recognition and right to free speech has been seriously curtailed here, and the chilling of free speech, it's, I mean, it's affected my life personally, definitely, but it, it just makes the whole... I kind of just want to uh, point that out and just, like, emphasize what he just said. Our... <laughs> our government took marching orders from a foreign government, whether you believe in government or not, or you want to, you know, uh, if you want to genuflect to them or not, 
you know, you want to bow down to them or not. Look, there's something really fucking disturbing about the idea that Canada can tell the U.S. government how to treat its citizens. Canada of all places. Come on. For real. Whole thing up and down. You know, you feel like you can't talk about certain topics because, you know, the bread on your table, your ability to make ends meet and keep a roof over your head may deter may depend on whether or not a social media company has a certain word in their search terms that they're flagging for certain issues. It, I mean, in some cases, they do have real people watching your videos, but overall, what they start with is a computer algorithm that's just looking for key terms and flagging them and shutting them down. So it's not like it's even being taken into context of whether or not your dissent <laughs> is justifiable, okay? And it's not a case where the law has been broken. It's just a case where opinions are not welcome and they get labeled um, as misinformation or disinformation. It's just because they rolled out those words all of a sudden it's like you don't have a right to free speech well that is now being challenged but we've already been living under this environment in this atmosphere and I, frankly I think everyone in this audience those who have been reached by this message who are subscribed because you weren't recommended this video I can tell you that not by the algorithms um, you all know what I'm talking about you've seen the censorship the pulling down of videos you've seen how hard it is to find even just as an example hypothetically dissenting information about certain issues so then you got top stories and that's all official mainstream sources CNBC, Time, CNN, Washington Post, CNBC again, Scientific American, Wall Street Journal. So that's all official news, right? Uh, billions news. of search results. Over 25% of people who use Google, which is the number one search engine, they literally click on the very first link that is offered to them. They don't even look at the second or third option. And they found out that by the time people get down to the 10th result, there's only a 2.5% click-through rate. So hardly anyone is going past the 10th result. We're constantly being told that the internet is just this ever-growing vast digital universe of information that just stretches on and on, right? There are now almost 2 billion websites in existence. And when you search for something online, you are confronted with results numbers that are that massive. Mel did a video a couple months ago, and then uh, Bright Insight did a video about it, uh, bringing it up again. If you go to these search engines, Google being one of the search engines, Bing being another, uh, DuckDuckGo being another, and you search for controversial topics, political topics, you will find authoritative mainstream sources for the first several dozen pages of results. Do this experiment, check it for yourself. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to replicate what was posted there. This person did a search for climate change, which is something that should have quite a bit written about it. Okay, this says there are 868 million results. But let's look at this for just a second. First of all, this is the top part of the page that comes up. And if you really take a look at what you're looking at here, almost everything you're looking at comes from one source, the UN. So you have the effects of climate change from the United Nations. Down here you have the causes, also from the United Nations. The definition, also from the United Nations. Actions from UN Act Now. IPCC, World Meteorological Organization, that's also the UN. You have United Nations Environmental Program. In fact, the only thing right here that I'm immediately seeing that is not the UN is Environmental Defense Fund. Everything else that they are showing you right here looks like all these links, all these things you can click on. It's so many things. No, this is one, basically one source, what you're looking at. So it's not thousands of results or hundreds of results or even a dozen here. It's basically one, one thing, one source. Something like climate change, you'll find official United Nations sources and very little, if any sign, of dissent 
of side opinions, of counter arguments about this. And if you dig further and further into the search results to the supposedly hundreds and hundreds of pages, you'll find those results are not actually listed. And if anything, they just repeat uh, the same information, maybe reposted on different sites, the same type of authoritative, curated, cultivated information. But it says up here, right, that we have 868 million results. So that's a lot. So that, that's not going to just be these people, right? So let's find out. Let's go all the way to the end. Let's go all the way to the end of these. Okay, so that's the last page. So we're on the 43rd page. And now we have 422 results. What happened to the billion results they claim they had about this topic? Where did those millions of pages go? between the first page and this page, where now there's only 422 results and I just scrolled through them all and that's it. With individual dissent or even just individual bloggers discussing the issue, just, hey, I was at this rally. Hey, I held up a sign. You can't find that stuff easily. So where is it? <laughs> what if those people have a point about any topic? What if you don't agree with it, but they have a great point that people should be discussing? You know, why is that stuff buried? And why should these social media giants have, you know, discretion just to take it down? There are no other places where these conversations are happening. I have actually done experiments on our own channel where I will, in quotes, paste in a title of a controversial video and I will put quotes around it and I will paste it into the search box and you cannot find that video. It's like they lost it. It's just lost somewhere. I have scrolled down sometimes, I will find it. It'll be like 146 videos down the list and finally it pops up. They can find things, they can promote things and they can lose the hell out of some things. Ooh, and you watch a channel grow and change the way that we've watched our own channel evolve over the years, you can literally sit and watch the patterns of your work getting screwed with in real time. And there's no denying that this is an important issue. If you can't discuss a topic and be a dissenter on it or raise an objection to the things going on, then there is no free speech for anyone, really. If they only allow people who are saying non-controversial things to speak out, there is no free speech. If it's not controversial, there's no reason to even have a law at all. The Founding Fathers pointed that out, others have. But this is not just a hypothetical discussion, this has actually been happening. You know, among the hundreds of others, the Babylon Bee was censored by Twitter because they talked about a controversial subject, and they're a parody site. Uh, Zuckerberg has been part of Facebook curtailing the users that it allows the type of content and at the same time they were wrapped up in the Cambridge Analytica scandal where they were grabbing data in huge ways and making individual psychological profiles about each individual person that they had gathered data on in order to then sell those packages to political campaigns with multiple points of data suggesting whether they would actually support this candidate or whether they would support opposing that candidate's opponent or whether they just wouldn't be interested in, in voting or what type of uh, profile they had and they were selling that and using it to win campaigns and that data was, you know, it was collected unethically. These social media platforms for all their faults and for all their benefits have connected billions of people across the internet and on a variety of topics both political and apolitical they've become the de facto public discussion place people particularly in younger generations do not tend to read newspapers anymore and online articles from mainstream news sites to independent blogs 
tend to be picked up by people who share them on social media. But the past couple years, independent bloggers, independent uh, content producers, just like TrueStream Media and all kinds of other outlets, have been severely suppressed, okay? Many content creators have been kicked off of platforms altogether for discussing controversial issues. Others have had uh, their recommendations taken away in the algorithm that's basically buried them and made them extremely hard to reach uh, a significant audience and to make a difference in larger discussions. And there's questions there. I mean, is it a consequence of the curation of this information in this very slanted, one-sided way? The learned helplessness of just resigning one's own intellectual curiosity to the Borg and just passively accepting whatever we're told about every single thing because people are starting to get afraid to even ask questions now. We know that the public platforms of the internet, we know that social media is effective in communicating because Eric Schmidt himself uh, discussed in his book along with his co-author how the internet and various social media platforms, including Twitter, might be useful in provoking revolutions in Iran, for instance, uh, velvet revolutions in Eastern Europe. Eric Schmidt and Jared Cohen say digital insurgencies will bring down autocratic leaders. Well, again, that gets back to the Arab Spring stuff. I was in, uh, in the streets of Egypt and I asked the young person, I said, what got you into the streets? He said, I would have just watched this on Al Jazeera and then Mubarak shut my internet down and made this my issue. Pushing political issues that aren't wanted by the ruling regimes there and pressuring uh, dissenters and encouraging them to basically rise up using the internet uh, to get those points across, right? Uh, a lot of young people view the freedom to connect as a fundamental human right. And when the government shuts everything down and you're completely unable to communicate with your peers and get access to information and each other, you run the risk as a government of turning something into an issue for people that otherwise would have watched on the sidelines. So we know it can be done and it has been done or at least proposed by these social media and data companies uh, for use outside of the United States in kind of troubled regions, right? But there's no doubt that technology had an impact, most importantly as an accelerant. But if it works there, what's going on inside our country with the suppression of information? Is the opposite happening that the status quo and the selected preferred authoritative candidates can't be defeated because dissent can't mount, they can't gather, they can't have a forum that shows how many people are for it. Other people aren't being recommended their arguments and they aren't seeing videos uh, exposing the misdeeds of certain candidates or the problems with certain issues or it's very unconstitutionality. You know, how can there be free speech if the dissenting side is invisible, okay? Whether they have good points or not. Hundreds of frontline medical professionals, scientists, researchers who dare to speak out against the official narrative, gone, disappeared from social media. They didn't ask approved questions. They didn't come to approved conclusions. Google, their famous search engine, and YouTube, which is one of their subsidiaries and a host of their other products, have specifically dedicated themselves to uh, since 2019 and 2020 to specifically raise or elevate high quality content and authoritative sources where it matters mo most, especially when dealing with news, recent events, crises, uh, controversial issues, science and medical misinformation topics and the like. And they've specifically dedicated themselves to reducing the spread of potentially harmful information where they normally would feature or recommend content. For example, when a user is looking for a specific medical information or advice, Google and YouTube say they want to provide content from authoritative sources.
sources like health professionals and medical organizations and they basically fail to recommend or derank uh, low value information sources that are not considered trustworthy unless people specifically search for them and believe me it's a pretty specific type of search and everything that doesn't fit into this carefully built carefully propped up promoted image or heaven forbid goes against the accepted narrative that the majority seems to be on board with at any given time or even questions that narrative right then you get locked up in the digital no-no closet and buried in the algorithm or black hole altogether and google alongside youtube here in their 2020 white paper information quality and content moderation discuss the effects of their policies so far stating that reducing recommendations of borderline content and harmful misinformation just on youtube alone has resulted in a more than 70 percent average drop in the watch time of content coming from potentially harmful potential misinformation sites when at the same time uh, the watch time for trusted authoritative sources has gone up over 60 percent They've been using their new policies, in other words, to disenfranchise independent, non-authoritative bloggers, whether they're right, wrong, whether they have strange ideas, or whether they're right on point. They've been deranking them, and they, have, as a group, have been getting over 70% less uh, watch times and views while they've been artificially promoting mainstream news sources that are considered authoritative. The sharing of biased and false, false news has, has become, become all too common, common on, on social, social media. media. More alarming, some and when you look into that policy, community guideline policies about the things that are not allowed because they're dangerous, harmful, illegal even, and those are listed. But what YouTube and Google take on in this white paper are content producers that are not in breach of those community guidelines, but are maybe close. Now that's a dangerous slippery slope. Basically in this paper, Google and YouTube admit that they're downgrading the views and recommendations in the algorithm uh, to demote and lower the watch time of borderline violators, people who don't actually violate the community guideline contents, but aren't considered authoritative and trustworthy sources. Now, this doesn't matter nearly as much when it's a channel that is dedicated purely to entertainment, to jokes, gags, talking about pop culture, but for channels that discuss news and information, history, science, medical content, they're getting slapped down very, very hard at the same time that Google and YouTube are basically almost insisting users first check out BBC and Fox News and CNN and other major news networks. The Trusted News Initiative was founded in 2019 by UK state broadcaster, the BBC, and its global media and big tech partners. And so that whole sort of uh, search engine optimization uh, stuff that's been done on the web for many years to help draw clicks and bring viewers into your websites and channels has now switched over to Google's policies of expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness. When a competent observer looks for signs of despotism in a community, he looks beyond fine words and noble phrases. One nation. And when you get into what that means, how it's defined, um, it's information or content that quote unquote helps users is created by an expert. So if you're not an expert, 
Uh, how can you become an expert? Well, through experience, but you can't get experience if you're not posted on an authoritative site. You have to be trustworthy, which basically revolves back around in a circular fashion uh, to being trustworthy because you're posted on an authoritative site and you're someone with credentials, right? So in my view, while a lot of these practices of journalistic expertise and citations and references and methods, sources, um, that sort of thing are well and good and a good sign to have from authoritative established sources, there are also qualifications that just shut down uh, individual dissenters, people who live in this country have who have opinions about what's going on, who have first-hand accounts perhaps, who have done their own research and study like we do on True Stream Media and even cited their sources. Do we get promoted in the algorithm or, or labeled as trustworthy after we cite sometimes hundreds of scholarly sources or often at least 10 or 20 uh, on, on many of our major works? No, we don't get credit for that. The TNI issued a warning in 2019 that anti-vaxxers are gaining traction across the internet, requiring algorithmic intervention. This is a very troubling issue, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It does seem like this issue has been set up because it needs to fail. We can't have a world moving forward with free ideas and everything possible online, but uh, social media companies that are so big and so powerful and so restrictive that you can't actually think outside of the box. Obviously, illegal and disgusting things shouldn't be allowed on the internet. You can't prey upon minors and vulnerable people and break the law. But those issues and certain extreme political cases and stuff are not good arguments for shutting down the dissent of everyone else. They're not good arguments for denying the free speech process that was outlined in this country's founding. But remember, this country was never supposed to be just a closed bubble. It was supposed to be sort of a light to the rest of the world, to show the rest of the world how it should open up and involve people more in the process of government. And above all, even if you can't pick your leadership or change the laws of your country, you better damn well at least be able to speak out about it. A community is low on a respect scale if common courtesy is withheld from large groups of people on account of their political attitude. And if you hold up a sign in the literal or figurative public forum of your place of locality, you better be able to be seen by the people around you. I mean, let's just click on a random page, page 34. What do we have? We have duke.edu, um, Nat Law Review, the California government, bloomberg.com, boston.gov, Reuters. Do you see this? If you can't see the dissenters on any major issue, you know you're not living in a free country, a, a free zone online, or a free place of any kind. If you are not hearing from dissent, even if you think they're ridiculous and silly, then you know you're not free. Where's Bob's blog? Where's anybody's blog? Where's anything that's not one of these official like epa.gov and ipcc and nature.com and the wall street journal if all you're hearing are things that reinforce the official ideas yes this is the worst crisis yet yes the only thing done will be to get more power and do things more globally consortium of global leaders from corporate america and certain united nations and monarchs still existing you know if you have that kind of thing going on and you're not hearing from other groups that should really raise some flags what happened to the internet where's the rest of it Where's the billions of, of results that supposedly exist that has everything as far as the eye can see, right? Where did it go? Where is it? Hopefully, um, this Texas decision will spread. It won't be a Texas or conservatives thing. Hopefully, people will realize that 
banning user speech online is not good for any part of our country or our conversation. It makes for very bad and very toxic politics. Yes, things have gotten extreme in recent years. The internet itself and the way it fuels debate, especially on Twitter. Remember that one guy talking about they deliberately introduce opposites. They're exploiting a vulnerability in, in human psychology. The short-term dopamine-driven feedback loops that we have created are destroying how society works. That is truly where we are. It literally changes your relationship with society, with each other. It is eroding the core foundations of how people behave by and between each other. If you feed the beast, that beast will destroy you. If you push back on it, we have a chance to control it and rein it in. And it is a point in time where people need to hard break from some of these tools. And for years, I've watched these patterns unfold. Anyone who's had to do work online becomes pretty accustomed to data patterns. If you pay even mildly pay attention, you can see what's happening. You can watch it unfold. If you talk about what the algorithms promote or what I would call, quote, non-threatening to the box topics, things that don't threaten the box, uh, you can get millions of followers and have your stuff promoted everywhere, all over the place. But if you attempt to use this space to have serious conversations about controversial things or ask the sticky questions, uh, then you just get your channel buried. You get your videos gagged, hogtied, and stuffed in the digital basement. You essentially get put in a cyber chamber so tiny it doesn't even really echo. Cyber purgatory. Things have gotten rather strange and extreme, but that is not a good argument for shutting down free speech. It needs to be restored, and hopefully if this does go to the Supreme Court, uh, those justices, with whatever their personal biases are, will see through that and see for the greater good. You know, these companies are very much like common carriers. They're the telephone companies, the telegraph companies of our day, but they're more complex too because algorithms weren't part of that system in a previous time. But all that needs to be figured out, and free speech needs to win the day. Can you imagine picking up the telephone and having your conversation just ended being hung up on because the telephone company doesn't agree with your opinions when you're talking to another person? Or can you imagine a, a husband suspicious of his wife calling up the telephone company and saying, I know you're associated with my wife. You seem to be very close with her. No, they're just carrying the phone call and whoever she might have called and whatever she hypothetically did in this example has nothing to do with the carrier. No one sees opinions posted on Facebook, on Twitter, or videos on YouTube and assumes that they're endorsed by these companies. In fact, they have all kinds of statements uh, making clear to the contrary that they're not responsible for this content. But at the same time, these platforms are putting up their little notifications. Here's more context. Someone talked about a controversial issue. Read this official authoritative source about it well they can do that but people can't freely talk about it because they find themselves banned they get strikes they're buried they're not recommended in the algorithm and their own supporters as we have personally seen can hardly find them i mean our channel i've, I've watched our channel get picked apart by the vultures and depending on what's going on at a certain time stuff will get dug up that was put up on here eight years ago so that it can be deleted because now it's inconvenient to talk about that even though it was it's totally, we have gone out of our way on this channel to put up things that are backed by sources. We have tried to cite ourselves, sometimes excessively so. 
especially if what we're talking about is extremely controversial. The words misinformation and disinformation were evoked so you can't talk about controversial subjects and you certainly can't have dissenting opinions, not if they're deemed potentially harmful or close to violating policies. Are you freaking kidding me? Truth Stream Media. You guys, check that channel out wherever. Oh, let me get rid of this. Let's do it. All right, Truth Stream Media. Check it out. You know, uh, I support the current thing. That's what the NPCs say, right? Um, so clearly from that video, like we can we can tell that it's not just social media that's doing this. It's search. It's 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 a search engine as well. So, um. This is a tactic that is used to train people into like capitulating to an authority, right? The appeal to authority, this logical fallacy where it's like, oh, well, an expert said it, so it must be true. I'm going to do what they tell me to do. I'm not going to think for myself. I don't have time to think. Um, it, they're just corralling people, really. That's what it is. This This idea of like getting rid of dissenting voices I actually uh, did did a search myself, and let's go. Let's do this in real time, okay? And let's do it together. Let's have some fun, all right? So let's go to bring the microphone all the way over here. Let's go to Google. Go to Google, and let's type in climate change. Which I already did. Climate change. Climate change. Okay. Look at that. Um, um, that's almost three billion. Uh, about three billion sources. I don't know what's going on with my browser here, but yeah, the first ones that pop up: the UN, NASA. You know, causes. Cutting down forces, all this stuff. Uh, so you know, we see at least on this, at least on this search engine, Google, which is the number one search engine in the world. So, climate.gov. NASA. So, I mean, it's the National Geographic. I mean, you know, CNN, the Department of Energy. It's just the World Wildlife Foundation, <laughs> which was founded by, I believe, the uh, current king of England, KC3, King Charles Third, I believe had a hand in founding the uh, WWF. Not the WWF that, that we grew up on. So yeah, I mean, the USDA.gov, New York Times, authoritative sources, folks. So it, yeah, you know, and we keep going down and down and down. It just keeps refreshing. So there's no longer... 
there's no there's no longer a uh a page thing so anyways but yeah there there I just wanted to share that with with the audience to make sure that you know there's some credence there cuz it's not really a way for me to share that kind of thing in the in the show notes so why not just do it live on air and um next part of the show is going to be fun so what i'd like to do now is kind of just um tell you that like in that video the Berenson uh the the Berenson report and the appeals document i've those are in the show notes you can read them for yourself and then i also would like to point out that this is what the video is is um what that video is is talking about is the reason why it's so important that when you run across alternative media that you give it all the different things that you can to fight the algorithms i mean you got to share shows I, you know i'm only one guy but you got to share shows like this you got to give you know you got to share them out that's the only way we're going to fight the algorithms uh so so there <laughs> and then so let's see So tonight I've been talking a lot about, oh, I have this in the show notes. Oh, I have that in the show notes and whatever. So I I came across this video a couple weeks ago and it really like, it really just kind of lit a fire under my ass. That's why last week when I had Stephanie on, I kind of started doing this because it's so important. Uh, to share your sources, to cite your sources and, and, and everything like that. So, and, uh, so I'm going to make a, a very concerted effort to continue to do that. And I wanted to share with you guys the reason, uh, the, the, what I, what I came across that made me really go, okay, like, all right, like I, I want to be taken seriously. I, I, I take doing this show seriously, so I kind of want to, um, I, I kind of want to show, you know, my sources, and on top of all of that, like this is also how we kind of fight the censorship too, because we need to share the sources that we're that that we're getting our information from and then that only widens the reach of the source material and it actually substantiates the claims to a, a greater degree so it becomes a little more a little bit more you know informative instead of just maybe opinion based and we're going to get into that with this video that um that we're going to we're going to watch. So this is James Corbett. Okay, and he's going to be talking about 
Um, this is his solutions watch, and this is called How and When and Why to Cite Your Sources. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back to The Corbett Report. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. It is July of 2023, and you are tuned to Solutions Watch. Say, do you find yourself lamenting the low-quality, information-poor rhetoric that passes for internet discourse these days? Do you wish there was a way to engage in meaningful, data-driven, evidence-based discussion online? Well, now there is. That's right, folks. For the low, low price of zero dollars and zero cents, you too can reap the benefits of citing your sources. Wow. All right. This should not be a new concept to literally anyone in the audience, if for no other reason than that I have expounded on this over and over and over and over throughout the past decade and a half of my work. And in fact, it often comes up when people are interviewing me about my work. What is open source intelligence news? Um, but for the purposes of today's discussion, I think it is important to really flesh this out because there are a number of important aspects to citing sources that we need to take into account when engaging in that task. Also, some potential pitfalls or traps or wrong ways of thinking about this that people can fall into. And I think they all need to be put on the table and addressed in greater detail. But as I say, the general concept of citing sources should not be incredibly revelatory to anyone in the audience. And this doesn't just apply to creators in the independent media space like myself, although it certainly does apply to in, in that particular context. And when you are listening to a podcast, watching a video, reading an article online, you should be actively thinking about and conscious of the fact when someone makes a particular claim, what is their source for that claim? How do they know that thing? Can I independently verify it? Of course, that is important. But it's not just that. As I say, I think anyone, literally anyone who is engaged in any kind of discussion, any kind of back and forth on any issue of real importance, any really important subject matter, should at the very least be able to cite their sources, to know how to cite sources, what sources to cite, in what context, in what way, and for what reasons, so that they can engage in a deeper level of conversation than simply Trust me, bro. As I say, I've talked about this many, many times before, so it shouldn't be new to literally anyone. But as a representative example of me expounding on this subject and why it is so central to the work that I do, let's flash back to 2013 when I delivered a lecture on open source journalism to the FOSSA conference in France. I think taking our cue from the open source software paradigm, obviously open source journalism is journalism that lets you look under the hood. It lets you see the source code of the journalism. And in the case of journalism, what is the source code? It's data. Um, it could be statements that are uh, made by officials. It could be laws that are being passed. It could be what have you, whatever it is, video that's, uh, that's been made available. Someone tweets out a, a picture of something that might be part of the data. Um, but journalism that lets you see all of that underlying data that was used to compile the report, the, the report is obviously that's a contributory factor to what we can think of as open source journalism. And the other part of this, of course, the permissive licenses that are, uh, that are used in a lot of online endeavors these days can also, of course, be applied to, I think, open source journalism. Journalism that users can remix, reuse, republish, and repurpose is, I think, an important part of what is the open source journalism revolution. So it's at least two-pronged. I'm sure there are many more prongs that we could think about, but let's use this as a first approximation. And, uh, and so let's look at an example of what is not open source journalism. Even though it's online, it's online journalism. This is the New York Times website, nytimes.com. 
And this was a randomly selected article from 1999. Uh, Congress passes wide-ranging bill-easing bank laws. Uh, Congress approved landmark legislation today that opens the door for new era on Wall Street in which commercial banks, securities houses, and insurers will find it easier and cheaper to enter one another's businesses. The measure, considered by many the most important banking legislation in 66 years, was approved in the Senate by a vote of 90 to 8 and in the House tonight by 362 to 57. The bill will now be sent to the president, who is expected to sign it, Aid said. It would become one of the most significant achievements this year by the White House and the Republicans leading the 106th Congress. Today, Congress voted to update the rules that have governed financial services since the Great Depression and replace them with a system for the 21st century, Treasury Secretary Lawrence H. Summers said. <laughs> uh, this historic legislation will better enable American companies to compete in the new economy. The decision to repeal the Glass-Steagall Act of 1933 provoked dire warnings from a handful of dissenters that the deregulation of Wall Street would someday wreak havoc on the nation's financial system. <laughs> the original idea behind Glass-Steagall was that separation between bankers and brokers would reduce the potential conflicts of interests that were thought to have contributed to the speculative stock frenzy before the depression. All right, again, this was a pretty randomly chosen article from the New York Times archives, nytimes.com, 1999. Do you notice anything about this article, stylistically? Do you notice any hyperlink anywhere in that text, anywhere to anything? Hint, the answer is no. No, you don't. Because they don't. They don't link to anything. Nothing. Nothing whatsoever. Uh, and think of all of the oppo opportunities for linking to information that are embedded in this article when you look at it. Uh, Congress approved landmark legislation today. W show us the legislation. It's available online. Link to it so we can actually go read it for ourselves if we want. Um, there's a statement from Lawrence H. Summers. I bet you that's on some government website somewhere, or there's a recording of it on some, some website somewhere. Why not link us to that? It talks about the Great Depression. Uh, the Great Depression, wow. The New York Times was publishing during the Great Depression. Wouldn't that be an incredible thing if they, I don't know, curated some of their articles from the Great Depression, created a link so that you can go and find out more and browse through the archives? Even if you want to stay on NewYorkTimes.com, there are obviously ways that they could do that and they could open up their journalism just a little bit so that you can actually go and see some of the underlying data of what they're talking about. <sighs> but Never fear, New York Times is cutting edge journalism and they, they, they're on board with this online news thing. This is New York Times 2013, a randomly selected article from just the other day. This is an article about Obama picking a, a new uh, replacement judge for U.S. Uh, District Court, Court of, Circuit of, Circuit Court, Court of Appeals judge or something. Nothing of any particular relevance. But look at this. Look at this block of text that's embedded halfway through the uh, article. Do you see it? Do you see it? I'll highlight it for you. Oh, they've learned how to hyperlink. Whoa! The New York Times has hyperlinked in one of their articles. It's unbelievable. Mr. Obama issued a statement saying blah, 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 and they link to the statement on whitehouse.gov. <sighs> well, my work is done. I think I'm just going to stop my website and just give it up to the New York Times. So this is the, uh, the extent of how far the New York Times has come in the last couple of decades, and I... I don't know, maybe I'm crazy. I think we could do a little bit better than this. Well, again, not to toot my own horn, but obviously the Corbett Report is my website. It's been in circulation on, online since 2007. Tagline is open source intelligence news. It's been that tagline since the foundation of the website in the about section of CorbettReport.com. I link to a Washington Times article from 2006 that notes that the CIA has an open source intelligence office, OSINT, which obviously Tom was talking about earlier today, 
and the, uh, the, the director of that OSINT center was talking about how these days most of the important information that the CIA gets is not from HUMINT, it's not from James Bonds, you know, smuggling across the border and spying on people. It's not from SIGINT, it's not from the fact that they're listening to literally everything you say, do, and think, probably. Um, it's from open source intelligence, what they find online, what they find in books, TV, newspapers, and online and more and more significantly online. And I thought, hey, if it's good enough for the CIA, it's probably good enough for independent journalism. So open source intelligence news, that's where that comes from. And here's just an example. This is kind of the bread and butter of my website. It's my podcast, um, now up to 280 something or other episodes. This is an example of a recent episode. Uh, it's a half hour to one hour audio slash video documentary type exploration of a given subject. In this case, it was Rockefeller Medicine exploring the Rockefeller Foundation's role in creating our modern concept of medicine. And uh, you see the text, kind of the description and the link to the YouTube version for people who are still stuck on Google. And there you go. Underneath every single episode of my podcast, there's a documentation list. Every time I mention a document, every time I play a video or play a recording or what have you, I'll link to that in the show notes with the time index. So you hear it on the podcast, you go look at the time, you go look it up in the show notes. There it is. You can go read it for yourself. Because my entire premise is that I'm not really doing anything other than presenting my opinion that's been gleaned from this and this and this and this and this source. Go look it up for yourself and come to your own opinion. But if you value the work that I'm doing, then yeah, continue to listen. All right, so far, so straightforward. As I say, this concept will not need a great deal of elaboration for anyone, but the details of how and when and why this is done are important because there are better and worse ways of citing sources. There are also, as I say, pitfalls that we can fall into with the what's your source question that I think we'll come to in a bit. But let's go through this Again, for everyone, uh, some people out there may never have heard. I barely ever talk about it, but you, I do have a website. It's called CorbettReport.com, and I would suggest you go there maybe once or twice if you are interested in my material, because that is where I will always be. <laughs> anyway, um, if you have been there recently, you probably know how this works, but let's just take a look at, for example, my most recent podcast on Further Down the David Kelly Rabbit Hole, which if you haven't seen or heard yet, I suggest you do so. I think there's a lot of important information in this particular episode. And as always, when I make a particular claim or cite a particular article, you better believe I will have it by time reference and the title. Um, at least for the podcast episodes, I do the time reference. Generally in an interview or what have you, I'll just have a, a chronological, as it were, list of references and citations. But anyway, it if I talk about it and it's of importance, it should be in here. For example, when I'm talking about David Kelly's last emails and his email with Judy, Judy Miller, dark actors playing games. Oh yeah, okay. So you click on that link and you will get the free library link um, document of the Sunday Mail 2003 article, Dark Actors Playing Games, talking talking about and quoting that final, those final um, emails and what they contained. And you can go and verify, was I quoting it correctly, accurately, in context, etc. So you can verify that for yourself. Or when I'm talking about the, uh, the Anthrax War documentary, well, you can go and here's the link to the actual documentary. You can go watch it for yourself. Or uh, at the very end, when I'm talking about the Dark Actors, The Life and Death of David Kelly by Robert Lewis, and I talk about the interesting sharp turn that that book takes at the end. Well, don't take my word for it. Go read it for yourself. You can literally get the link here to the archive.org version of this book. And you can go and flip through the pages and read every single page of this book for yourself. So it is available 100% for free for you that way. Um, so again, if I talk about it, I, I do my level best to link to it. And I think it is important. Um, sometimes, I mean, I know there's going to be a million things that are cited in every particular podcast and every editorial. Sometimes 
far too much for the average person to go through for themselves. I'm not expecting that every person is going to look through every source of every show note in every episode that I ever do. That might be a form of madness. But certainly when something catches your ear, piques your interest, there's something you want to know more about, there's something you want to verify for yourself, well then go and check for it. So for example, in my recent Descent into Madness editorial series, which again, if you didn't catch, I suggest you go and browse through them. I think there's some a lot of important information in this series. And for example, in this one on the weaponization of psychology, if you scroll down, you'll... Existing users log in? Is this a paywall? I knew you were a shill, Corbett. I hated you from the moment I laid eyes on... Oh, wait. Click here to access the editorial for free. Okay. And then when you do, you'll get the free version of the editorial because my life's work is available for free. You're welcome. Descent into Madness, the Weaponization of Psychology. For example, um, that 1983 Dr. Walter Reich article on the world of Soviet psychiatry, I I would hope you, if you're interested, give it a read. There's a lot of information in this six thousand word article that I link up. Of course, the archive version, because I'm not going to link you to New York Times directly if I can help it, um, but you can read through the entire six thousand word essay for yourself and discover a, a lot of really interesting information that I could only do my best to summarize and encapsulate in the couple of paragraphs in which I'm dealing with it here in this editorial. And likewise with the dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of other things that I'm linking to. Did you see, did you read about the tranquilizing chair that uh, Benjamin Rush was coming up with? And Uh, People like that uh, back at the founding of American psychiatry and information about the DSM and other such things, especially um, I I bet you a lot of people did not click on this particular link. The reestablishment of peacetime psychiatry by George Brock Chisholm. Who is he? Oh, yeah. The man who would go on to serve as the first director general of the World Health Organization. But I I would highly suggest if you're interested, check this one out. Um, It's insane. And there's no amount of me saying it's insane that we can accurately capture the the essence of the insanity going on here this we need a cadre of millions of psychiatrists to go out and break the conditioning of the public that's been conditioned to believe in this morality and good and evil no we need to break that mindset in the public and live in peace and harmony thereafter (laughs) says george brock chisholm again read it for yourself it's crazy but here's the actual document from 1946 and you can actually again go and read this for yourself again on archive.org in this case but um there's there's no dearth of information in any of the work that i'm doing of interesting uh, sources to go through now let's take a look at the flip side of this because unfortunately you may have noticed not not everyone always cites their sources so let's just take a random example of not citing sources i don't know uh, the uh, conspiracy subreddit <laughs> yeah i don't spend my time here at this point because uh, i don't know if they've got an actual rule against actually linking to articles and information but Whatever it is, the only thing people ever do here is post screenshots of tweets and or headlines. And <laughs> and literally, this is a screenshot. You can't click on anything. You can't actually go and read this article that people are presumably talking about in this co- comment thread. They're just linking to the tweet and you, you can't click on that link. So if you want to find it, you'll have to, well, take that take that uh, that headline and type it in and then hopefully you can find the article that they're talking about. But sometimes they even clip out the headline so you can't, you, it's really a guessing game of how to search for it. It's crazy. Um, and I think it is important because time after time after time, I have seen this dozens and dozens and dozens of times on the conspiracy subreddit and elsewhere where people are talking about a screenshot of a headline of an article and you'll have hundreds of people commenting back and forth and talking about that screenshot of the headline and what it implies and blah, blah, blah. And you might have one person down at the bottom of the thread going, did anyone actually read the article? Because it's exactly the opposite of what everyone is assuming here (laughs) or something along those lines. It happens more often than you might believe if you've never thought about it. But let's look at a specific example. So here's a, a conspiracy subreddit post from the past week. The Rothschilds took over the British economy and planet Earth 
1815, after the Battle of Waterloo, when they used their advanced courier system to get early intel and buy up the entire London Stock Exchange for pennies. In 1913, they took over the USA by creating the Fed. Now we are inflation slaves. Woo, okay, that's quite the treatise. And I can think of a lot of different pieces, uh, claims in, that in this, just in these few sentences that might need citations to flesh them out in more detail. <laughs> and hopefully you picked up on that too. For example, of course, astute observers of the Media Matrix series will recall that I opened part two of that series with a treatment of that Battle of Waterloo Rothschild story and where it comes from and what we know about it. And well, maybe we don't know about it, but if you want even more on that particular topic, I did talk about it in my Mass Media A History online course, and I talked about where that story comes from, where what the sources are, what we can definitively say about it, what is speculation, etc. So there's a lot to get into even in that first part of that first sentence, let alone then, okay, so in 1913, they, the Rothschilds, took over the USA by creating the Fed. All right, okay, well, some bold claims, but luckily there are sources provided here in the form of screenshot. <laughs> of course, it's going to be an image. But anyway, at least this person was not only kind enough to flesh out the claim that they're, that they're talking about here, but to have a big blue arrow pointing to source. <laughs> so you can't miss it. This, this is the source, guys. So the claim that is being um, backed up with this particular source, the Rothschilds created the unconstitutional Federal Reserve private money printing institution for the elite slash bankers to buy up all the assets and steal all the plebs money via inflation. <gasps> Wow, quite a claim. And what is the source for this? Well, uh, let's follow this giant blue arrow to the CIA. The CIA? What? I didn't know the CIA admitted that the Rothschilds created the Fed. Wow. Now, there's a lot to think about with regards to this and the game that can be played with citation and sources and linking to what source do you link to? It, 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 there's a lot to think about with regards to this because generally speaking, if you're in conspiracy realist spaces online or elsewhere and you're trying to prove your point, you generally wouldn't link to the CIA, right? Well, it's the CIA. Why would you be linking to... Oh, I get it. It is, of course, it's a it's a deft move here because it's an admission against interest. Well, the CIA, of course, you they they of course they know all the secrets and they wouldn't want the public to know too much about the Rothschilds creating the Federal Reserve. So if the CIA is saying it, it's well, there you go. Even the CIA is admitting this. It's so out in the open that even the CIA is publicly admitting this, right? At least that's the implication of this. But let's drill down on the details here because there might be there might be more going on with this citation than you might think at first glance. Secrets of the Federal Reserve, the London Connection, which must be some kind of article on CIA.gov. Unfortunately, it's not linked, but so you'll just have to trust me, bro. But anyway, Secrets of the Federal Reserve, the, the London Connection by E. Mullins. Well, I guess E. Mullins must just be some CIA agent, right? Who wrote some sort of report on the history of the Federal Reserve for the CIA. That's why it's on CIA.gov. That's why he's citing CIA.gov here, right? <laughs> All right. Well, I'm sure a lot of the people in the audience already know where this is going. Secrets of the Federal Reserve by E. Mullins? You mean Eustace Mullins? Yeah, I've heard of that, of course. And uh, CIA? Well, at least... Publicly, officially, Eustace Mullins was definitely not CIA, right? He was a conspiracy realist, wasn't he? So what's going on here? Well, what is going on here? Well, specifically with regards to the Rothschilds creating the Federal Reserve and the way that this particular citation from this particular book is being used with the big handy red arrow pointing to Rothschild representatives in this sentence. So, you know, there you go. It's the Rothschilds that did it. And even the CIA is admitting it. There's so much more to talk about and interrogate with that claim and where it comes from and what it's saying and what it's not saying and how it's sourced, etc., etc. I could do an entire episode on that. 
And hey, if you're up for it, ask, leave the question in the, in the comment section and maybe I'll do a questions for Corbett on this because it's a fascinating <laughs> rabbit hole in and of itself, just this one citation and where it's pointing to. But anyway, yeah, let's, let's interrogate this a little more. Secrets of the Federal Reserve, the London Connection on CIA.gov. Well, again, there's no link here because it's a screenshot, but I've, I've done the work. I, I can type in CIA.gov and do some searching and hey, here it is. Yes. And here it is. CIA.gov absolutely really does have Secrets of the Federal Reserve, the London Connection by Eustace Mullins. And so you can go and check and make sure that that quote that's being used here is actually in here. And it is. Although, again, I have so much more to say about that particular quotation and what it means and what it doesn't mean. But anyway, so it's on CIA.gov. But but why? I mean, Eustace Mullins wasn't working for the CIA, at least not openly, right? So what? why is this on CIA.gov? Well, let's let's interrogate this this URL a little bit more because you'll note, of course, again, there's no not even the URL. It's just CIA.gov. But of course, the actual URL here, CIA.gov slash library slash Habit a bad compound slash 48 slash blah, blah, blah. Hmm. Habit a bad compound. Where have I heard that before? It sounds, sounds familiar. I, I, I kind of dozed off during James's five and a half hour Al-Qaeda documentary. So I, I, some of the details slipped my mind, but let's just, let's just play a game. Let's just delete the end of that. And let's see what comes up. If we just look at the Abit bad compound link here on CI.com, November, 2017 release of Abit bad compound material in an effort to further engage public understanding of Al-Qaeda, the Central Intelligence Agency, on uh, November 2017, released additional materials recovered in the 2nd of May 2011 raid on Osama bin Laden's compound in Abbottabad, Pakistan. Oh, yeah, at Abbottabad. (laughs) This is literally, so this is the section of the CIA website where they have published all of the material that was in Osama bin Laden's, quote-unquote, Osama bin Laden's bookshelf. Trust us, guys. Trust us, bros. We totally, you saw that scene in Zero Dark Thirty where we snatched a bunch of books and stuff off the shelf and files and computer files. Well, this is it, man. And we're publishing it here for you. So yeah, audio documents, images, video devices are all there on CIA.gov. And you could totally trust them. This really came from Osama bin Laden. Anyway, apparently Osama bin Laden was reading Eustace Mullins on the secrets of the Federal Reserve, right? So this is where this comes from. This is why it is in the CIA.gov library. Newsflash. Uh, this is a game. This absolutely is a game that people will play. And sometimes I think knowingly trying to trick you. Sometimes I think people are just ignorant, but sometimes people I think are knowingly trying to trick you by saying, look, this book is in the CIA.gov library. Therefore, it's a CIA document or therefore they know the real truth about this thing when it is nothing of the sort. The CIA library includes all sorts of stuff like the Abbottabad compound materials, Osama bin Laden's bookshelf, etc. Um, and all sorts of other things that they have collected in the, in the course of all sorts of investigations into all manner of things. And it does not mean that it's a CIA document and it does not mean the CIA believes it or is trying to, you know, here's the real truth, guys. Um, I'm sure you've seen about the Adam and Eve story and how the CIA, it's on the CIA library, man. And it tells the real truth about the pole shift or whatever is coming. uh, No, no. The CIA has a big material, material archive of all sorts of stuff that they have collected that absolutely is not CIA endorsed, but maybe they like the idea that people play on that. See, the CIA knows the truth about this. Anyway, so that's one way that sourcing can be a kind of game that can be used to trick people. Oh, it's coming from the CIA. This is a CIA document, guys. Um, I'm not even saying that's particularly what's happening in this case. As I say, I think this is more like, hey, it's an admission against interest. Even the CIA admits that the Rothschilds created the Fed. And as I say, there's so much more to say about that claim. (laughs) But anyway, you get the point that sourcing can be a type of game that is being played at times and can be used to trick as much as enlighten. 
So anyway, just keep that in mind. But let's let's start exploring this um, in a little bit more detail because uh, this is a specifically a subject that came up recently um, on a interview that I did. So for example, um, interview 1813, what just happened in Russia with Roloslavsky and in which uh, as I hope you've heard by now, I talked to uh, blogger Rolo Slavsky about his work on the Prigozhin mutiny and on the Russian not war um, in, in general. And we talked, we had a discussion. And as usual, I, of course, I cited various articles that he had written and that we talked about in the course of this conversation. And then several, several articles that I specifically quoted headlines or talked specifically about certain things that were being reported. So of course, as usual, as I always do, when I talk about a specific article, I'm going to link you to that specific article, right? So pretty, pretty non-controversial, except of course, this is a controversial topic in conspiracy spaces. So it became controversial. So for example, we get uh, uh, various comments like, for example, Dregai, who says that this report is reminiscent of James's reports in quotation marks, because they're not real reports with Riley Wagonen quote-unquote show notes, because they're not real show notes, primarily links to the interviewee's own writings, which lack references, mixed with Western publications. Most of Roloslavsky's statements seem to be hearsay, with none of the Corbett Report's typical reference links to sources. The one Moscow Times is created slash run by Dutch Dirk Sauer, Wikipedia link, link to Dirk Sauer, seems qu unquestionable source, in my opinion, Bracket, yes, as is Wikipedia, <laughs> after linking to Wikipedia. But yeah, Wikipedia is unreliable. But anyway, rely on Wikipedia to see why this is... <laughs> I like how even this commenter caught himself in the performative contradiction there. Anyway, no mention of other independent on-the-ground journalists in Donbass and Russia. None. In short, Corbett report reports, in quotation marks, because they're not real reports, on Russia are lacking incredible, quote, show notes, in quotation marks, because they're not real show notes. And how does Rolo Slavsky know all the assertions he claims? In war, the first casualty is truth proper credit unknown. Okay. Um, an interesting series of assertions here. So let's take them one by one. So um, again, okay. So it's just rhetorical slander. This isn't a report like my reports with Riley Wagman art reports. Anyway, uh, show notes primarily linked to the interviewee's own writings, which lack references mixed with Western publications. Well, yeah, as I say, when I'm talking to an interview guest about their particular articles and we talk about a particular article and we have a discussion around what they have written in a particular article, that's what the show notes are for, for me to link you to their articles. <laughs> so uh, again, this is controversial because, oh my God, it's Rolo Slavsky. But uh, take, for example, my recent conversation with Jakob Nordengard. And what do you find in that conversation where we were talking about his work on the UN apex body and all of that? Well, yeah, I specifically cite the articles that he wrote about that topic that we talk about in that particular um Fucking buffering in the middle of the goddamn video. Is it? The hell, man. It's mixed with Western publications. Well, yeah, as I say, when I'm talking to an interview guest about their particular articles and we talk about a particular article and we have a discussion around what they have written in a particular article, that's what the show notes are for, for me to link you to their articles. <laughs> so uh, again, this is controversial because, oh my God, it's Rolo Slavsky. But uh, take, for example, my recent conversation with Jakob Nordengard. And what do you find in that conversation where we were talking about his work on the UN apex body and all of that? Well, 
yeah, I specifically cite the articles that he wrote about that topic that we talk about in that particular um, interview and the UN reports that we're talking about. I also link to those, which is, that's the entirety of the show notes, his articles and the UN reports. Because what else am I going to link? Am I going to start linking to people who who think that the UN is a great place because it has to be balanced. So you should link to it in the show notes, even though you don't talk about that in that particular interview. No, as always, as I always do, I, if we're talking about specific articles or videos or what have you that the guest has produced, I will link to those. If we talk about other specific reports or things that uh, of general relevance, they will be in the show notes as well, if we talk about them specifically, exactly as I do in this interview with Rolo Slavsky. So... For example, we talk about various of his articles, which also, it turns out, are just hearsay with none of the Corbett Report's typical reference links to sources. Again, okay, so these are just hearsay, right? So, for example, we talk about um, various um, various articles that, that Rolo had written on this subject in the past. For example, Wagner's Prigozhin issues most dire warning yet ahead of Ukrainian counterattack. So if you go and click on that link, you will find that as we were talking about in the interview, um, Rolo did break down a rather lengthy hour and a half interview that Prigozhin had given earlier this year that made a number of startling claims. And and Rolo basically broke it down into bullet points. So Prigozhin claimed this, Prigozhin said this, Prigozhin went on to make this point, Prigozhin made that point. And there's a lot of points because it was an hour and a half conversation. Here are the bullet points. But Rollo's just making this up off the top of his head, right? He doesn't cite any source. Oh, wait, he does cite sources. You can watch the entire thing in Russian here. And when you click on that particular link, you're going to get the actual interview. Indeed. So if you speak Russian, you can go and watch this hour and a half long interview and you can verify for yourself if all of these points are true or if Rollo's just totally making it up. Totally. You can go check it because the source is there. So anyway, I think there's a number of false claims that are being made here. But uh, this one is particularly interesting. So um, he cites the one Moscow Times is created run by Dirk Schauer. Okay, so that's an interesting point. Okay, so for example, again, in this list, um, there are a number of things. And as I say, almost all of them are specific articles that I had cited and talked about specifically in the course of this interview. So as usual, I'm citing my sources. Um, this one at the bottom, uh, at, towards the very end, Rolo uh, mentions the Medvedchuk um, swap that took place, the prisoner swap for Azov prisoners for this Russian oligarch, the swap that took place last September. And so as just as a way of documenting that that took place, that that prisoner swap took place, I, of course, do link to the Moscow Times article uh, that documents it. Moscow's Azov Medvedchuk swap inflames Russian hardliners. And it talks about the fact that there, the fact, the documentable, verifiable fact that there was an exchange of 215 high-profile Ukrainian prisoners of war for 50, 55 captured Russian soldiers and Kremlin ally Viktor Medvedchuk, which sparked outrage Thursday among Russian hardliners and far-right figures. Okay, Moscow Times, you're right. Yeah, Dirk Sawyer and it's the Moscow Times. Yeah, it's uh, not, uh, this isn't a source that we are trusting about their interpretation of events. But the question here is the documentation of the claim that there was a prisoner swap, that there was a prisoner swap that took place. And Russia gave up hundreds of Azov battalion members, etc., for this Russian oligarch. Did that really happen? Well, 
okay, so the Moscow Times says it happened, and there's the link, but let's not take their word for it. Okay, so let's not take their word for it. Is the claim that is being made here the fact that this Moscow Times, the Moscow Times is unreliable, therefore this prisoner swap didn't happen? Because then you're going to have to, you're going to have to provide some more information that that prisoner swap didn't happen. Uh, I could cite dozens and dozens and dozens of sources that would verify this information. For example, we could turn, how about to antiwar.com? Was that a good enough source? Dave DeCamp? I cite antiwar a lot because it's, it really is some of the most straightforward, just, just the facts sort of reporting. There's no flowery sort of expansion in these articles, and it's generally just the facts. But anyway, yeah, September 2022, Russia-Ukraine carry out major prisoner swap brokered by Turkey and Saudi Arabia. Russia and Ukraine carried out a major prisoner swap this week involving nearly 300 people that was brokered by Saudi Arabia and Turkey. Ukraine said Wednesday that it freed 215 people from Russia. 215 people from Russia. Where did I see that zany? Oh, yeah, in the lying... Moscow Times, yeah, okay, and then uh, including commanders of the Nazi Azov Battalion, yep, who surrendered to Russian forces after the Battle of Mariupol. Uh, among the Mariupol, um, among the 215 people were 10 foreign nationals, including five British and two Americans. In exchange, Ukraine released 55 Russians and pro-Russian Ukrainians, including Viktor Medvedchuk, a Ukrainian politician who has ties to Russian President Vladimir Putin, but previously led Ukraine's largest opposition party in Parliament, Opposition Platform for Life. Okay, and more information there from antiwar.com? Am I allowed to cite that source? Does that mean that the Medvedchuk prisoner swap did happen? Can we now establish that? Oh, no, not yet. Okay, well, how about a Russian source? If you want a Russian source, I'll include it. And if you speak Russian, you can go read it for yourself, or you can find a way to translate it online. But here's a Russian source talking about this in great detail and citing the fact that, yes, there was a prisoner swap that took place. Or how about even more Russian uh, how, how can you get more Russian than TASS, the Russian news agency, right? Official Kremlin-approved propaganda straight from the horse's mouth. And oops, what's this? Oh, just the past couple of days. Yeah, you better believe there's been more confirmation of the Medvedchuk story in case you needed it. It's already been established. But oh, there's there's been an update to that story in case you missed it. Zelensky says he returns to Ukraine from Turkey with Azov nationalist battalion commanders because this Russian war is... I'm sorry, not war, is totally about getting Azov, guys. That's what it's about. Anyway, have all these Azov prisoners back. We just want our oligarch. But anyway, uh, yeah, now Zelensky is coming back to the Ukraine together with five commanders, commanders of the Azov Nationalist Battalion, banned and designated as a terrorist organization in Russia who had been in Turkey. And it goes on to talk about um, this embarrassment, um, shall we say, that is now being talked about in TASS. And oh yeah, more confirmation. Yes, after a prisoner swap between Russia and Ukraine, uh, 215 people, etc., etc. So uh, what exactly are you squabbling about with regards to this citing of this particular source? Okay, so I should have cited anti-war or Russian material or maybe TASS. Anyway, the prisoner swap did happen. And yes, that's not, that's not being debated. So again, what is the what is the point of questioning that source in that case? In that case, the what's your source, bro, is being weaponized. And I am sure that people have encountered this online, where when someone is being cornered into a, a, a corner by reality and facts, you just bring out the handy, what's your source on that sort of uh, rhetorical flourish. And voila, you get out of it because, oh my God, Moscow Times. Well, that means the Medvedchuk's prisoner swap didn't happen. <laughs> 
wait, here's another source and another source. And here's the Russian official propaganda news agency source. Well, is that good enough? <laughs> what, what is it you're questioning? But by that point, everyone's moved on and the conversation has moved on and the doubt has been sown. Anyway, there's, if you want more on this particular latest thing and how the Xeonon 5D chessers are coping with it. <laughs> you can check out uh, Are You a Loved One Recovering from Xeonon Addiction? where he, he talks about, oh, that 5D chess master Putin has been tricked again. Gosh darn it by the Turks. Can you believe they let those Azov guys go? <laughs> and uh, he does make the point that, uh, yeah, releasing the Azov commanders wasn't Moscow getting tricked by their esteemed NATO partners, but a clever 5D Xeonon plan. Few understand this. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what this boils down to, but yes, uh, yeah, no, they, they 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 released the prisoners from Donbass, where the death penalty exists, so that they can now get Turkey to release these guys back to Ukraine, so they can now be killed. <laughs> and it, that was the plan all along. Genius, I tell you, genius. <laughs> anyway, the Xeonon stuff is actually kind of funny when you really start interrogating it, but it does, of course, raise the question. Then, okay, okay no mention of other independent journalists. So what why aren't you randomly citing other people in your interview with this person? Which you, by the way, never do in any of your other interviews, but you should do in this one because I disagree with the guys. Well, okay, what what sources should I be citing with regards to this particular interview? Um, maybe Seymour uh, Hirsch has been getting a lot of traction lately with his Trust Me Bro reporting. Um, his, for example, Nord Stream reporting. Trust Me Bro, I've got a secret intel source that tells me it was it was an American operation. Blow up. I don't need Seymour Hirsch or his secret sources trust me bro to tell me things like that and I don't need him to tell me about Prigozhin's folly but let's see I mean this was getting a lot of traction in a lot of these non type friendly places that I see online and here's press News touting Seymour Hirsch's groundbreaking substack work on the Prigozhin mutiny and what, what really happened and, and you read through and it's a really interesting and thought provoking article but what is Hirsch's source on this information so below is a look at what is really going on that was provided to me by a knowledgeable source in the American intelligence community. And literally the rest of the article is just him quoting this anonymous American intelligence source. It's literally one source article that no one, I, I have not seen a single person question this article or question its veracity. I've seen people actually citing this anonymous American intelligence official. Trust, trust her, bro. Um, uh, taking, taking his take at face value. Again, it seems really odd, except for the fact that people want to believe it. So when people want to believe something, of course, they're not going to question the source. They're not going to look at it deeply. When people don't want to believe something, they're going to question the source even when it doesn't make sense to question the source. The Moscow Times? They're a propaganda rag. Therefore, the Medvedev swap didn't happen. Well, actually, it did happen. So what, what exactly are you questioning? So you see how this can be weaponized, how it can be gamed, how we can cite the CIA, that CIA agent you used as moments and his secrets of the Federal Reserve book, I tell you. Or, oh, you can't believe the Moscow Times and they're reporting on objectively identifiable facts <laughs> on the ground. So anyway, it's a game. It, there is a game aspect to this and it can be weaponized like anything else. What's your source on that? And depending on your answer, the, the person will find a way to disbelieve what they don't want to believe. Um, so there's a lot to consider with regards to this. And that's why 
as usual, as always, as with, I think, everything that I cover on Solutions Watch, and as I've stated since the beginning, I don't think there is the single silver bullet solution. Just cite your source and everything will be okay forever. Well, what source do you cite and how and in what way and in what context? And what does that particular source that you're citing, what does that imply about the bigger argument, etc.? There's, I mean, again, it can be weaponized and gamed like anything else, and it can be used um, as a way to distract from online discussion rather than forwarding it. And um, again, I'm sure we've all seen how discussions can get derailed by people um, making it into the source game. Well, I don't like that source that you cited. Well, here's another one. Do you like that one? Um, Anyway, there's so much to think about with regards to this, but I just want to put this on the table of a way that we can start to improve, not perfect, but improve the types of conversations that go on online by being aware of the need for information to be independently verifiable, to at least be... uh, I won't say that you need, because of course there are all sorts of things that we cannot independently verify. There's not going to be a ground rock source that you can provide for You know, the New World Order is a big giant plan to cull the human population and keep us controlled for all time. I mean, there's a million different things in there that you would have to interrogate individually, and all of these things can be cited individually, but does it add up to that whole picture, and how much is speculation, and how much is... I mean, there's there's never going to be that bedrock source that will provide all the information for everything. But at any rate, the more that we engage in this task of constructing information from sources, I think the better off we will be. And... I'd like to think that the Corbett Report is contributory to the type of discourse that I'd like to see online with regards to having sources and being able to back up what you're saying. Having said that, I have been, shall we say, disappointed over the years to receive uh, uh, to receive emails from people about the latest documentary that's being passed around online. Oh my God, you got to see this, James. It's so great. And I'll go and look at it. And it's it's claim after claim after claim after claim after claim after claim that is essentially, trust me, bro, no citation needed, no citation provided. It's quite disheartening to see that, that people who presumably are interested in the Corbett Report because they they like this type of work and the way that I do it, but will also gravitate towards things that are completely sourceless and uh, go into the trust me, bro, journalism mold. Anyway, that's not what I do. I do open source journalism. And it is there on CorbettReport.com for your free perusal and hopefully edification. And as always, I don't know everything. I'm not right about everything, but I'm doing my level best to at least put the information out there the best way that I can. And here's where I get my information. This is the way I put this information together. And I have faith in the intelligence of the people in this audience to be able to think for themselves, put the information together for themselves in whatever way they wish, search more on whatever thing they think is most important. Um, Disagree with me? Of course. Come to your own conclusions. But at the very least, let's have a more informed and informative discussion with actual evidence to back it up. But having said that, I think that will do it for today's edition of Solutions Watch. I thank you for investing your time in this uh, this exploration today, and I'm very much looking forward to talking to you again in the future. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. No, I did not fall asleep. I forgot to unmute myself. Um, So, okay, so that brings to mind 
a lot of good a lot of good inspiration that is you know it's very important to back up your claims all of the great things that he said you know and on top of all of that like it also just i don't know it's just it's just the right thing to do um so let's move right along and i'm going to call this next segment the uh the digital gaslighting segment Okay, and this is a a good show of just why it is so important to save things off the internet, save save things off the internet. So, uh, and you can do this by say, let me show you, uh, let me show you with with like any old random. Um, uh, what did we? Ow! I just stubbed my toe on my desk. What did we look at earlier? Climate change. Let's say I wanted to save. Okay, let's go to un.org. Let me share this. All right, so does this pop up? Oh, it's not going to show the whole thing, is it? Um, is it showing the whole thing or so, so what I I was going to, what I was going to try to show was how to save an internet page or an article as a PDF. Uh, there's multiple ways to do that. One way in particular would be to go and print the page. And then from there you can, um, from the print uh, print the page uh, screen, the window will pop up and you can alter what you want to do there in order to save it as a PDF. I did this. I did this. Yes. Um, at one point in time, because I, for one, got a little upset about, about a, uh, about an article that came out. Remember earlier tonight how we went over the D, the Department of Homeland Security, the leaks, and the the Intercept article from October thirty first, two thousand and twenty two. Well, here's the thing: on the same exact day, there was another article that was released that a lot of people were very, very, you know, tuned up about, and that was this article: "Let's Declare a Pandemic Amnesty," published. October 31st, 2022. So while the Department of Homeland Security was being outed, the Atlantic decided to pull on our emotions and to get us all in a reactive state of mind by releasing this article. Let's read the the, uh, subtitle here. Subtitle says, let's focus on the future and fix the problems we still need to solve. Did it always say that? No, no, it did not. It did not always say that. Let's go and see what it did say at one point. All right, we're going to reshare here. Let's see if we get it right this time. Here is the PDF article. See if I can zoom in. Eh, That's a lot. Okay. 
I saved this article on 11-12. So on the 12th of November of 2022, I saved this article. It was released. This is the same article. They changed the subtitle. They changed it. It originally said, we need to forgive one another for what we did and said when we were in the dark about COVID. And then they changed it somewhere between the 12th of November and the 26th of November. The reason why I know it's the 26th of November is pretty simple. That was the first, that was when, um, that was when Sean McCann and I teamed, uh, teamed up for the first time for Black Pill Digest. Black Pill Digest number one, we went over some of the COVID stuff. We went over it with, uh, with a few guests and this article came up and we pulled up the internet version of the article to which I noticed that, wouldn't you know it? The subtitle had changed. We discovered this on on air, live on air. And yeah, that was that was pretty disturbing. This is called this is this is something called the. It's almost like a digital book burning, right? It's a little bit of gaslighting. See, there's a lot of people out there that saw this and they saw this they saw this subtitle they saw that subtitle there can i not highlight it yeah they they see this you know and that's what they saw and that's what that's what that's what was published originally and then they go and they try to talk to their friends about it or whatever and wouldn't you know it within within just a, sh- a few short weeks it was changed oh now it it never said that oh yeah let's prove it oh so, what's your source bro right just like what corbett was talking about oh well if you go back to your source now then oh the source that you the, the this is this would be your source now where it says let's focus on the future and fix the problems we still need to solve there's nothing else in this article that's changed if there's something else in the article that has that i've missed well i've provided a copy of the original P- of the original article that i've saved as a pdf uh, that's on my odyssey channel you can find it in the show notes there's a link in the show notes that'll get you over there and you can download it yourself you can have the original copy because for whatever reason I just had this instinctual reaction to this article and I said, I want this. I want a hard copy of this. I, I don't know why, but I saved it. I don't know. I don't know why. It's just something about the article just seemed fishy. Like this is going to be something that they scrub. I, I, I thought they would scrub the whole article. I didn't think that they would just change things of it, but this is gaslighting. You people uh, would go and say, oh, like, let's look it up. Oh, did it? Did it say that? No, it didn't. It doesn't say that. See, this is the thing about digital media. 
is that it it can be a little untrustworthy from time to time and why it's important to save your save your sources save your links download pdfs convert internet like origin like when something uh bombastic or something that's you know come out and it's it's of this kind of emotional reactive nature like this article here everyone was Dude, there, there's still people today that are like, oh, yeah, fuck your amnesty. I'm one of those people. <laughs> I did a whole episode. I was like, you know, we don't need amnesty. Fuck amnesty. What we need is accountability. You know, people that need to just take responsibility for their actions, right? Yeah. So, but I'm not a bad part of it. This is just a, a really good example of the gaslighting that goes on. You know, you get people to question what what they saw with their own eyes. And then you go, oh, look, look, look. And then they go, oh, where's your source? And then you go to something like this. I don't know how I'm now. I just feel like I'm repeating myself. I hope you understand out there that this is not an isolated incident. This is done constantly. Digital book burnings take place. They they. They take out whole sections of books. Sometimes they, they, you know, you can't even find books in in digital bookstores. You can't even find them. Let alone like some of the books that you can find that are of a controversial nature. They take out whole sections of those books. Entire books out there with sections missing, throwing the entire book out of context. It's it's a problem. So, um. In the old days, they'd pile the books up in the in a field and maybe throw some accelerant on it, like kerosene or gasoline or whatever, probably gasoline, and they'd light it on fire. These days, they don't have to do that. It's simple as highlighting and hitting the delete button or something like this digital press where they can go in and change whole sentences, entire sentences after the fact from the original publication if they go well you know you know our marketing department has decided after the fact that um yeah we're not really getting the kind of response that we wanted from the article so we need to change that tagline or the the subtitle because it's bad for it's our P, pr man it's bad for pub, you know. It's bad for our image. And what this, what this can, what this can show you, whether it's gaslighting or whatever, it's definitely, definitely they, they, they just have no integrity, no scruples at all, and, um, you know, it's disturbing. Not only the changing of the headline, but again, like the date that it was released, you know, the same day, which one, here's a, a, a question for the audience answer in the comments. If you've made it this far in the show, answer in the comments, which article is of more would you say importance or ha- or would have 
a greater impact or should have a greater impact. So I guess the clear question would be, of the two articles, which one has a more clear, would have a more uh, clear impact? Would it be this article about let's come declare a pandemic amnesty or would it be a department or would it be a, an article from The Intercept exposing the Department of Homeland Security for having backdoor permission into social media uh, sites to influence the social media platforms to censor individuals on those platforms? Department of Homeland Security, the United States federal government violating our supposed First Amendment rights granted to us by the, this constitution that everyone holds on to so, so dearly. Or, what, which one is it? Which one do you think is more important? Because I'll tell you which one it is. It's the DHS stuff. And I'll, tell you, I'll also tell you which one got more attention it was this one. It was the pandemic amnesty one. This one got more attention. So just goes to show, same day, probably hours apart, you know, if we could find an actual time of day that this was um, published, because The Intercept actually publishes the time of day that that they that they published it it's on there it's on there let's look it up again okay the intercept Here it is again. October 31st, 2022 at 5 a.m. Okay. They released this at 5 a.m. What time zone? All right. That's a decent question. 5 a.m. though. Kind of makes you think like... Uh, I mean, where's the where's the headquarters of of the of the intercept? Is there something on here that we can figure that? How can we figure that out? Oh, there's a correction for on November second, two two thousand twenty two. A a correction that is of no consequence to the general context of the entire article. So we can move on. About about the intercept. Let's go there. Anyways, I can't I can't spend much more time on this, but um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, same day, probably hours apart. This one came out first, and then they're like, oh, no, we need to throw something out there that's going to get a lot of people's attention. And that's like, oh, what's everybody still upset about? Oh, they're still upset about the pandemic. And now, like, all the all the attempts at mandating 
certain medical procedures and doing the mask thing and the social distancing and like all these things are starting to be rolled back and be put back in the you know in the toolbox for these psychos to use again later and they will probably try to use it again later and you know i i seriously i want to know answer down in the comments which article do you think is is more important and uh yeah you know so anyways that brings us to the uh, i believe the last segment of the show this evening and um <laughs> this is this is some disturbing stuff so the last segment of the show tonight again is going to be called i had to watch it so now you have to watch it <laughs> i'm sorry to put it that way but it's too it's too bad like so the reason why I decided to include this clip for this segment uh, this week is because while all this stuff about censorship hearings with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. are going on, while all of these things are happening, um, this is a stark reminder of where what I'm about to play. Uh, is a stark reminder of just where people's heads are at and just exactly what is going on in the mindset of most individuals in and uh, not only like around the world really because this is uh again uh, another let, let me let me open it up here get it get it ready this is another um a tiktok trend that's been going on and And it's like really fucking terrible. It's, it's so. Why don't we just play it, and then maybe on the other side we'll talk about it for a minute, and then uh, then I'll give my sign off and and we'll call it a night. So, what I'm bringing to you is a clip from Paul Joseph Watson. It's called "What the Hell Is Happening," and I share that sentiment with him very very much. <laughs> um, and just know I, I, <laughs> um, I do this out of love. So let's watch it. Yikes. I'm going to turn this down just for it. You probably saw this and were wondering, is it as bad as I think? Yes. Oh, marshmallow. Crunchy corn. Yum. Welcome to TikTok's latest wholesome contribution to society. It's literally called the NPC trend. Fire, fire, meow. Hee-haw, yes. The guy might put on like a cowgirl. Balloon. So simps spend actual money to buy TikTok tokens in the form of cartoon stickers, ice cream cones, donuts, roses. Then NPC streamers react to receiving them with scripted catchphrases and repetitive sex robot style movements. Ooh, ooh, gang gang, gang gang, 
Gang, gang. At the end of the stream, when the NPCs cash out, some of them are making over $7,000 a day. That's after TikTok takes its 70% cut. The vast majority, though, aren't really making anywhere near that and are just badly copying the trend. <laughs> a whole generation with thousand-yard stares, hopelessly addicted to a Chinese spy app, now literally behaving like robotic computer code to feed their narcissism-addled dopamine dependence. If you only knew how bad things really are. Damn marshmallow. Crunchy corn, yum. Kitty paws. Oh, 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 pumpkin, yum. Not spicy. Naturally, the legacy media, fresh from denouncing an anti-child trafficking movie rush to their defence. Whenever they endorse something, you automatically know it's trash. Vice, the same publication that celebrates virtuous pedophiles, claims the trend has made a lot of people mad. Mad as in driven insane by cringe overdose, maybe. Mad angry? Not really. Most people are just wondering what the hell happened to Gen Z. One of the most high-profile progenitors of this slop is Cherry Crush, who calls herself an AI Tamagotchi. She's so childlike, cute and innocent. Give her money. And of course, it turns out she's an online sex worker and adult performer, otherwise known as a prostitute. Another top TikTok NPC live streamer, Pinky Doll, advertises a free sex tape once you subscribe. Mmm, ice cream's so good. Ooh, ooh, ooh. The form likely originated with sex workers who would take donations from viewers in exchange for performing sexual acts. Right, so it's basically PG porn. The TikTok to OnlyFans pipeline. Yum. Ice cream, ice cream, ice cream. Another chance for TikTok to get underage boys hooked on the gateway drug of degeneracy. Greasing the skids for a lifetime of self-destructive simping. An actual porn addiction. Great, thanks for that. We definitely needed more of that. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. Thanks for the glizzies. <sighs> Remember, a quarter of TikTok's user base is aged 10 to 19. One million kids under 13 were found to be using the app in the UK. They're just pushing pre-porn on pre-teens again. Basically half of what TikTok is at this point. Now let's show you something that's genuinely wholesome. Look at this little fella. He's only eight weeks old. He's too young and quite frankly too fluffy to need a proper skincare routine. Ooh. Me, on the other hand, well, that's a very different story. At my age, I'm... Yeah, I, I, I'm going to skip over his little ad here and make sure we get back to. Yeah, here. Today. Now back to the video. Oh, but they're making so much money. Yeah, so did whale hunting. Doesn't mean it's good, does it? The Vice article admits the whole thing represents some dark fusion of fetish and cognitive gambling addiction. But then says anyone criticizing it or saying it's bizarre is just angry and jealous. Because the trend feels a little too good to watch. Yeah, heroin feels good too. Should we feed it to kids? Rolling Stone lords the trend of having zero thoughts. Because it helps you stop stressing about the world's student debt and laws that make it harder for you to abort your baby. Sounds pretty good to me. They interviewed one of the originators of the trend who said, You're letting go of your consciousness in order to achieve this higher level of enlightenment. Enlightenment? Really? Fire, 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 fire. Take your lily, slay her. So enlightening. Roses. Um, 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 hot dog. Butter, eat your heart out. <laughs> 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 
I feel more enlightened already. It's strange, isn't it, that the same media establishment that clutches its pearls over the dangers of toxic masculinity and the male gaze is gushing in its defense of a trend that objectifies young girls as robotic sex dolls. Hi, I'm Barbie. Do you want a tour of my Barbie dream home? I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. While rewarding them for being submissive, unthinking playthings for horny young men. Yes. Yes. Yes, Daddy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. What a great role model. Go, feminism. But it's not just girls performing the trend. This brain rot has infected men too. GG. Thank you for the share. Soy Jack. I love ice cream. So enlightening. Chicken, chicken. Also observe how they've basically succeeded in reappropriating the NPC meme, which used to be a savage critique of groupthink, intellectual cowardice, and exposed the dangers of mass conformity, and has now been supplanted by this. Roses. Uh, roses. Uh, roses. Uh, ro People conforming on demand for cash and eating worms for money. By the way, guys, anyone that sends me a lion or a universe, lion or universe, I will eat night crawlers tonight live. I will literally take them out of a fishing container and eat night crawlers live. So enlightening. Lightning. <laughs> and all from the same entity that gave you the Tide Pod Challenge and other wholesome trends that literally killed a bunch of kids. We once again honor TikTok for its services to the mental stability of Gen Z. But hey, if you can't beat them, join them. Not like YouTube's paying me much, is it? I'm, I'm, I'm ice cream yum. I'm too old for this. Oh my God. So <laughs> that's that's fucked. It, honestly, it it infuriates me to no end because of just the sheer just the sheer degeneracy of it, you know. And this is what people are enjoying to watch <laughs> instead of it, the thing that infuriated me the most was the comments made about the uh letting go of your consciousness and this enlightenment talk and everything about it it's just such horse shit to to even bring that into the uh, into the conversation when talking about perform like you know what like i don't want to i i don't want to you know come across as a jerk or anything and you know go and do what you want to do right but this is this is extremely just disturbing behavior you're not it's it's a lie first of all you're not enlightening anyone you're, yourself included you're not doing anything about anything like that by doing this type of stuff you know you're it's just not happening so excuse me <laughs> um uh i'm i'm not i'm not uh not impressed <laughs> and you know this is this is a terrible way to end the show but i mean it just goes to show where people's attention is at so this is what we're up this is this is kind of what we're up against and um where people's care lies and 
this is what this is where we need to where we need to uh get at people about is just what they care about you know they'd rather go online and watch a video like that than watch a video like you know cor- like a James Corbett video or any number of other uh, other great reporters or truth speakers you know people out there even even like you know myself or mark passio or you know sean mccann or uh i don't know you name it and richard grove you know any one of the people on the one great work network and instead and yeah i'll bring it there real just just to get just to be real you know instead it's people like that that are getting paid seven thousand dollars in a day to do this crap on the internet and a guy like me works i worked i don't know if anybody knows this but i've been up for almost 24 hours i woke up at 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 quarter past three uh yesterday it's it's almost two o'clock in the morning where I am at right now. And I woke up at quarter past three to go to work for the sixth day in a row to bring home shekels so we can support our operations here at my house. I worked 66 hours this past week. And I don't want to disclose how much money I'm going to be bringing home but it's no, I worked at 66 hours and it's not seven grand. <laughs> I work my ass off pushing and, and working with trash. I stink like shit. When I get home from work, I get covered in grime. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm, my back hurts. Like I, I am exhausted and I have what's known as right livelihood. And, you know, something, this type of video infuriates me. It's not because I'm jealous. It's not because I'm I'm desperate for money. It, like, it's because just the sheer lack of, I get. I don't know. It, it's just... For a person like me to see that and to hear that you're getting $7,000 in a day because you fucking pretend to do, you, you do sexual gestures into a camera and you act like a fucking robot. I think it's a perfectly normal reaction to have to be a little upset about that. <laughs> and it's like, you know, I don't want to live. I don't want to really live in a world where money is such a focus. I believe that there's so many better ways to um, gather the resources and the materials that you would need in order to, in order to live a life of abundance, you know, and that this, this system that we have, this currency that we have actually restricts, it restricts the uh, tongue tied. It's, it restricts things and it creates a scarcity mindset and it's a, it's so powerful that even people as conscious of it as myself have trouble to trouble getting away from it.
you know. That's why I promote things on this show like agorism. I have a book right here. It's called An Agorist Primer, Counter Economics, Total Freedom, and You by Samuel Edward Konkin III. It's a very thin book. It is in total 107 pages long. And the back reads, if you have ever suspected that government, academia, and other entities are attempting to pull the wool over your eyes in order to control your money, your morality, and your life, you will find answers and remedies in an agorist primer. In one concise volume, author Samuel Edward Konkin III explains the theory, principles, and, most important of all, the practice of agorism. If you think that consistency between means and ends matters, this is the book for you. So this is just all about counter economics, things like, you know, it's a, it's some libertarian stuff, but this is like a good way to get around some of the ways that they control our money, you know, where it actually alleviates a lot of the burden of the way that we gather that, uh, that all powerful dollar whatever you want to, however, whatever you want to call it. It's fiat. It's bullshit. So, <sighs> all right, let's close it out. Let's, uh, let's say our goodbyes and our good nights. And, um, and I want to let everybody know that, that, uh, you know, my little rant there about, about my work and everything like that, right? Jeez, how down in the dumps did I sound, but I have plans for the future. Okay. I have, uh, I have a winning attitude about it and I may not enjoy doing the job that I do. And, you know, I, uh, I want to win. I want to, I want to succeed in my goals. However, you know, the truth is, is that money is, 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 uh, is an obstacle. Um, I do what I do. For the, uh, I started doing what I do because we needed a we we needed a, a a steady and secure stream of income to make sure that we could uh, we could raise our children. We you know our son was coming into the world and I needed a job that was going to afford me the, uh, the 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 things that uh, I really thought at the time were important and. So anyways, um, the reasons why I do the job I do are for very good reasons. So, but then, you know what? Time changes people and situations change and, and ambitions change, goals change, you know, which is a good thing. You should be, and that's something that Corey was uh, trying to touch on earlier tonight was, you know, go with the flow. and and try to try to adapt try to try to live with nature and you know what like things are starting to change so that's great my goals are different my my ambitions are a little different these days than they were back then but i'm what i'm getting at is that like i am i am uh i, I am i'm hold i'm holding like a kind of like a fundraiser to pay for uh the tuition costs for the autonomy course 
and that that is uh, put on by Richard Grove and his team over there at the University of Reason. Season 10 of Autonomy starts in September, September 22nd, and I'm well on my way to being, uh, you know, being enrolled in that, like officially enrolled in that, but there is the concern about how the heck is this thing going to be paid for? And a time in a timely fashion. And how the heck am I going to be able to do that? Because we homeschool our children. My wife stays home. She does not have, uh, you know, I don't want to, you know, she does not have the type of job that anyone gives a paycheck for. She has a very important job. She homeschools our kids, you know, and she's there with them. We keep them out of government schools. We we have sacrificed so much to make sure that that happens. And nearly every single bit of the of the paycheck that I bring home uh, goes towards making sure that we have the clothes, the shelter, and the food that we need. So there's very little very little left over like i barely scraped enough money together the other day for a fucking movie ticket <laughs> so um it's not a sob story it's an explanation and i do have a winning attitude but i also understand that maybe every now and again people need to reach out and ask for help so that's what i'm doing i'm asking anyone out there listening to this for a little help if it interests you to maybe send a little help my way in the form of a donation in order for me to in order for me to pay for the tuition to go and to a, the autonomy course so i may have a chance at pursuing some big dreams and becoming uh, a more actualized and fulfilled individual where i could even produce more content like this uh, in a, in even a better fashion, um, and and whatnot. Who knows where it would bring me? Uh, I mean, I have my dreams and I have my ambitions, and I'm hoping to pursue them. And the autonomy course is the exact route that a person like me would need to take in order to pursue those dreams and to and to you know and to get those things done. So. That's my, that, that is my uh, little call to action there. So if that interests you, let me <clears throat> show you what you can do to help. You can make your way over to freeyourmindne.com forward slash donate. And that looks a little something like this. And over there, you find this page, and there's a few different ways that you can donate. Usually, what I use these donations for, and the joke is coffee because I'm always tired. And one of the options is the buy me a coffee uh, um, uh, donation or, or website or whatever. But usually, what I use these donations for is tech items and just like making sure I can keep the website online and things of that nature, you know, because it's, you know, it, it's, it's tough. Like there's other ways to do it. 
but um, given the you know the circumstances. So, anyways, these are the different ways you can donate to me, uh, and for the time being, all donations will go toward uh, will go toward the autonomy course. Also, there is another way. Sorry, I'm, I'm I'm slowing down, but we're over five hours. Um, so this is the the t-shirt shop, and you can access this through my website as well. It's the little store, I uh, the store button at the top, you know, the, of the navigate the navigation bar, and over here you can find all the different neat little designs and you know. Uh, witty, you know, uh, phrases and stuff like that on the front of the t-shirts. You get, you know, different different ones. There's stickers and coffee mugs and pint glasses and jackets of all sorts of di these different designs that I've uh, that I've that I've created to bring to you people, you guys out there. This is one that's like pretty cool keep calm and learn natural law like that's that's a pretty cool shirt and oh government an idea so great you have to be forced into believing in it and on the back of that shirt it has the etymological breakdown of the word government that we're all familiar with gubernare mentis you know mind control and uh you know i'm trying to come up with more designs as more time goes on but you can go over there and i don't get 100% of these prices here that you see, I get a portion of those, but that's cool. At least you get something in return uh, for your investment because that's kind of what this is, would be. It's a pretty good way of looking at it. It's, it's like an investment and and that investment is in, in me and this guy. <laughs> so um, any little bit helps. So with that, you know, I, I really, it, oh, one last thing about all that talk, right? It's never gonna, it's never gonna, uh, whether donations come in or not, it's never going to affect my content creation. If I ever stop doing content creation, it's just because I've, I've found a different way of, um, producing. So, I mean, it'll, there'll, there'll always be content being created by me it might not always be a podcast but time changes people you know as time goes on you gotta you gotta be willing to change my children are getting older who knows what that might mean but i uh yeah i'm always going to be doing something whether donations come in or not it's not about the money it's about the message and that's that so having said that I just want to remind you all that I love you and I really appreciate your time and attention throughout this whole broadcast. If you're watching the replay, make sure you, you know, really check out those links if you're watching. So I really appreciate that. Some, some people in the chat tonight, uh, uh, let's do some honorable mentions. We had some regulars. Um, my guest last week popped in the chat this evening, Stephanie Kosinen. We had uh, John Mindhack. We had Levels of Consciousness. 
Um, Chris Nelson in the chat again. We Angela Green came back and Sarah Cross was in the chat. Uh, so we we had we had a, a really nice oh we had Fred Fred Gingris was in the chat. We had a really nice chat chat going on tonight, guys. So thanks for showing up, turning out here. Uh, there's some other people too. Uh, somebody named Swirly was in the chat. You know, a lot of activity in the chat this evening. So I really appreciate that, everybody. And with that, I bid you adieu here to play us out is my buddy Joe Murray from freedomforall.online. Because you know there's a handful of people actually run everything. That's true. It's provable. I'm not it's all about not. control. To them we just cattle. Numbers battling each other while they're creeping in the shadows. Scheming, plotting, clocking your every move. Locked in your mind, brainwashing till it's rocking. Got the population operating as they want them. Symbolically mocking them, thinking nothing can stop them. So open your eyes to the lies of the evil. The poison in the minds and the lives of your people. And every time they lead you down the line to deceive you. And by then, it's always too late to see. Through the veil that they hide behind Cause your third eye is blind Better take a stand We running out of time Ain't nobody coming to save us Fuck what you had in mind Arm yourself with the truth And jump behind the battle line Can we turn it around? Yeah, it's possible Divide a little fool But united world stop This is for the world This is for the masses Attached to the strings Being pulled by puppet masters This is for the youth Searching for the proof Keep on looking for the clues I'll provide you with some truth This is for the ones Waking up from the spell to discover themselves yeah this is for the youth searching for the truth keep on looking for the clues i'll provide you with some proof this is for the world